Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later... The co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Robert Evans here, and I wanted to let you know this is a compilation episode. So every episode of the week that just happened... Uh, is here in one convenient and with somewhat less ads package for you to listen to in a long stretch if you want. Uh, If you've been listening to the episodes every day this week, there's going to be nothing new here for you, but you can make your own decisions. So look, I ain't going to hold you. I was not going to cover this because I feel like it's something that needs to be discussed at the domino table at the cookout, you know, and I just don't want to feed the machine. But at some point we got to decide whose man's is this and somebody got to come Come get their boy Yee. We got to decide, okay, when, when did he cross the line, y'all? And has he crossed the line? Because, you know, the important nuance of this is, is how we've survived as collective. You know, slaves, like the, you know, we, we needed each other to survive. So when somebody got out of line, we looked out for each other. You know, the, I don't know if you know this, but cornrows, like the braids inside of people's hair were maps you know, the Negro spirituals, you, you, you sang songs as code for when it was time to go. Harriet Tubman 
when she got free, you know, she escaped herself and then decided I'm gonna go back and get as many people as I can. Like this is this is her story. We take care of each other. So that's why it's hard for us to just write people off, to just cancel, especially if they black. It's hard for us because it's like we need to take care of each other. We can't let these white people like tell us what to do with our folks. But that being said, at some point we like, all right, nigga, you are on your own. You have hurt us too much. And I never, so I didn't want to cover ye because I still don't know how I feel. There are some statements that he said are obviously inexcusable, but I just didn't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of that conversation. The Kanye stands and the, I'm done with yeast people. I just don't want to be a part of the conversation. But Sophie hit me and the good folks that it can happen here hit and was like, yo, uh, we got to talk about this. And I was like, all right, I was on the fence. We need to talk about it. Yo, whose man's is this, y'all? Somebody come get their boy. So it's a crossover with the homie Garrison, Robert, and the It Can Happen Here team, Shireen, and we discussed this stuff. So dropping into our feed and they feed. It can happen here with politics. Let's rock. I'm just waiting for Kanye's uh, Gnostic phase. That, that'll probably be <laughs> a, good, a good develop. A good <laughs> I mean, as soon as it starts being... Uh, Start talking about Sophia and... Uh, I, I'm excited for when he runs for president uh, and then declares his opponent to be a demiurge. The demiurge. That's yeah, right. That's, that's right, be right. Great. <laughs> that's, that's what we're headed towards. We were, we were on the that, same track that, there. That, we yeah. know what's coming. We yeah, know. That, that's going to be a good day. Welcome to It Can Happen Here, the podcast <laughs> where we talk about Kanye West's inevitable war against the Demiurge. Um, yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, joined again by Shireen and Prop. So Hello. we just talked about kind of Kanye West's history up towards his most recent White Lives Matter t-shirt stunt and his anti-Semitic posts on Instagram and Twitter.com. And my main interest in the aftermath of these statements is kind of mostly how right-wing media reacted to what was going on and to one of their darlings kind of saying some questionable things and yeah. what that might tell us about how they'll handle overt anti-Semitism and fascistic um, kind of consumerism in the future. I'm going to do a quote from New Republic again about what happened in, in the direct aftermath of, of Kanye West's uh, posts. Quote, Fox News, meanwhile, posted an article that West merely had been locked out of his account due to an unspecific violation of the company's policies. After spending such a fulsome number of hours providing him with a platform for his White Lives Matter stunt, the network eschewed coverage of his anti-Semitism other than to point to it as the product of mental illness. Mm. The effort to sweep the second round of nasty bigotry under the rug after celebrating the initial outpouring is breathtakingly cynical, but not particularly surprising. The fact that West was, at least for now, deplatformed from social media accounts that he was using to traffic hate speech is in itself catnip for far-right figures. And unquote. So many a far-right grifter has tried to turn this into a free speech issue. Um... However, Kanye associate and Fashion Week White Lives Matter buddy Candace Owens tried to deny the anti-Semitism altogether. Within days of his Twitter rant, uh, Candace Owens on her Daily Wire podcast 
was defending Kanye, saying, quote, Death Con 3 should be interpreted as a move to protect the Jewish oh people. After Wait. all, because 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 DEFCON is a defensive military category, not an offensive military category. See, the, the, these are the words of a deeply unserious person. I'll, I'll be exactly. A, I'll, I'll be a very a, a, a very dangerous one, but deeply unserious. This um, is that's this is it's those things. Okay. Be conservative. Think however you want. But it's that stuff that is so infuriating to me where I'm like, you know, you do not sit across the table from me. She knows. You know, you know, and it's like, okay, just, I just like, like break character once, you know, just, just like. No, what is you like? There's no way I can't take you. There's no way you believe that. No, there's no way. Candace Owens has has been playing the long game for a while, and that kind of reaches that that reaches a culmination towards the end of this episode, which we'll talk about. Um, But let's uh, let's 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 play the clip there because she also does some pretty gross anti-Semitic kind of defensive stuff as well, talking about how you can't say the word Jewish without people getting upset. If you are an honest person. You did not think this tweet was anti-Semitic. You did not think that he wrote this tweet because he hates or wants to genocide Jewish people. This does not represent the beginning of the Holocaust. That's if you're an honest person, you'll meet that. You, you will admit that, right? If you're an honest person, when you read this tweet, you had no idea what the hell he was talking about. I had, I had no idea when I read this tweet what the hell he was talking about. This tweet inspired questions, not answers. First and foremost, what is DEATHCON 3? Did he mean DEFCON 3, which would be a military defense position, not an offense for those of you that are offended, a military defense position? Is he tweeting this because he's reading the Newsweek headline, calling him an anti-Semitic? Is he angry because he can't believe that he's not free to talk about people in his life who happen to be Jewish, right, without being accused of anti-Semitism? Is he saying, I'm not going to shut up and I'm going to keep tweeting and I'm going to keep calling these people out, referring to his friends that he feels slighted by? Is he talking about Jerry Kushner and Josh Kushner? If you're a liar, you'll say, I know I was scared, Candace. I actually thought that Kanye West was going to launch a military strike in Israel because that's the reaction. Like when I woke up and I looked at the headlines, the reaction was like Kanye West had gotten together a military strike and it was going to go forward in the morning time in Israel. That was that was the reaction that was met with this week. Now, once again, I want to make this very clear. This is not a defensive tweet. This is an open question, which never seems to happen anymore. It's like you cannot even say the word Jewish without people getting upset in the same way that you're not allowed to say black anymore. So there is definitely a lot in in that clip. Um, I I guess first off, we can talk about... (sighs) Talking about the tweet as simply asking questions about Jewish people, it's like you're, you're just like directly doing the Jewish question. Like what? That's, that's the thing. You can't frame this. Over, just ask like you're just asking questions about Jewish people. Really? And then and, and then Owens tries to link this to like a Zionist position, implying that attacks on Jewish people and anti-Semitism are only legitimate if they're in the form of a military action against the nation of Israel, which is not how anti-Semitism operates. What? 
That's no. like that's just that's just that's just not what that is. Like that's Man. just it's it's he, it's pretty gross. Again, just it's it's the same Daily Wire racism yeah. denying shtick by you know it's 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 the same thing they do by saying racism doesn't exist anymore because there are not racist laws in America, which mm-hmm. first of all isn't even true. There but, are guys, but, but second of all, that's not what racism is. Like that, even if there weren't racist laws, that doesn't mean there's no racism. Um, Man, she like <sighs> the. Yeah, man, it's like like I'm I'm trying to put my words together because there's a certain type of like sinisterness. Yeah, no, about like, it's a type of yeah, it's a absolutely. Type of, They're both deeply unserious, but it's also like explicitly complicit in the in the in like the rise of far right Christian fascism. Like it's 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 so yeah. absurd, but in a very dark way. Like it, it's it's yeah. I heard Kanye this morning. This is what day is this? October October twentieth. Uh, a clip from Pierce Morgan, no less, like trying to call him on his anti-Semitism. And yeah, just like, I know we're talking about Candace, but it's like, it's in the same vein of like, ain't no way you believe this mm-hmm. is in, in that he was like, listen, I apologize. I was talking about my experience in the music industry, which is a verifiable fact ran by jews uh, and i was like you bruh you ain't no way ain't no way and just break character like alex jones broke character before like uh 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 what's tucker carlson broke character tucker carlson in court was like this is entertainment don't take me serious you know just like let me have that moment where i'm like okay at least be honest with what i'm dealing with here just break character like this just give me that at least I know what I'm dealing with. No, yeah, like s- saying this is an open question. You cannot say the word Jewish without people getting upset. Like you, you, you know what you're doing. You like, know exactly what you're and doing. And with the with the af- after the like DeathCon three tweet, his follow up implying that Jewish people inv- invented cancel culture. Like Robert said directly, reference that that's that is just directly ripped from like Nazi theory. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's 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 so blatant. Like even even Candace Owens's boss Ben Shapiro had mm. to acknowledge that Kanye's tweets were anti-Semitic. He he <laughs> made a t- he made a tweet saying back from the Jewish holiday now, which don't Ben like Ben Shapiro. Do I I know what you're doing. I I know what you're calling it the Jewish holiday. Fuck you. Yeah. Back from the Jewish holiday now. As usual, two things can be true at once. Kanye's moves towards pro-life, faith, and family conservatism are encouraging. His DeathCon 3 posts and black Hebrew Israelite language are clearly anti-Semitic and disturbing. It's like Ben Shapiro, like the more this is, this is, this is, this this is basically Ben Shapiro saying the more he agrees with me, the more he becomes a Nazi. But I'm sure this is just a coincidence, (laughs) 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 which, which I did steal from. I I did steal that from someone on Twitter. So both things can be true. Um, That's my Ben Shapiro impression. Listen, both things can be true. Look, look, both things, both things can be, let's say that you, uh, all right, um, I'm going gonna, gonna to do, do a brief tangent on this guy named Jason Woodlock. So Woodlock is a sports journalist and podcaster who hosts the show Fearless Soldiers on Glenn Beck's Blaze Media, where he, quote, protects the realm of common sense and challenges the groupthink mandated by elites. 
Um, and he has like over half a million followers on Twitter.com. Of course he does. He made a series of not great statements that are still up and went extremely viral with a lot of likes, um, saying, quote, Kanye West and Dave Chappelle, is there a pattern? The industry wants both of them canceled. Black rappers and comedians are free to denigrate black people and white men a million different ways. But there's a line they better not cross, and everyone knows it. I wonder I wonder what he's saying. I wonder what he's yeah. implying there. The <laughs> conflation of this is actually also as person a member of the black community, card carrying, that is that is frustrating. In, I mean, in that yeah. we do need to talk about, you know, among ourselves, like what is acceptable in terms of how we speak about our own women, how we speak about, you know, our fellow brothers and sisters in the world. That is something that needs to be discussed, but you don't get to call that. You and know, so yeah. J- J- Jason, Jason is black, but he, he similarly works for a far right media Here's company. Here's the thing. Um, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a phrase and you could use this later. Okay. I'm pretty sure Shireen knows it too. It's all skin folk and kin folk. <laughs> so just go ahead, continue but, on. And what, what he's <laughs> talking about here saying that there's, there, there's, there's a, you, you're, you're free to, you know, talk about, you know, bad things that black people and white people have done. The, the line that you better not cross, he's, he's obviously talking about Jewish people. Um, yeah. someone, some, someone asked him, hey, what's, what is this line? And then Jason posted, you can't question black entertainers' unhealthy relationship with non-religious Jewish power brokers in Hollywood. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Uh, he, this, this was obviously yeah. called out as being extremely anti-Semitic, um, which then he replied... You think I have a problem with people who speak a Semitic language? Not true. I have a problem with the secular culture, particularly Hollywood's promotion of it and black celebrities' embrace of it. I believe those celebs have an unhealthy partnership with non-religious Jewish people. Oh, he chose them Which words. Is, that was a dance. Again, this is this is yeah. just exact. You're just doing anti-Semitism. Like you can't. Yeah. You can't. Like it's it's not about speaking a Semitic language, and you know that. Like yeah. you you know this. Like, you're Man. you're you're just doing a bit. Yeah. Like here's, and, and here's what's crazy. Like you know, in in my early days of like moving into more like activist kind of justice circles, and and for real, like even in. Some of the like church spaces I was in, because again, I, I grew up in like a very different church tradition than the rest of these foods, is that the Jewish community was in a lot of ways upheld as an example for sure. us in that like, look, they don't let nobody talk about nobody. They don't let they don't they don't let it ride. You're not allowed to talk. And they were like, we need to be like that. They were like the way that the way that like, look, they come in. They set up their community. They 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 keep their money within their community. Like their dollars circulate around that. And when you look at like statistics, they were saying among the black community, it's like a dollar. You know, a dollar only circulates once through our community. You know what I'm saying? And like I don't have the numbers right, but they were saying like within the Jewish community, that dollar goes around like 50, 60, 70, 80 times because they support each other. 
You know, and they were like, that's something that as black people, we need to start learning how to do. Like, yo, stop being crabs in a bucket, like support each other. You know what I'm saying? Man, learn from their community, you know, learn from the fact that like, you you know, they keep their narrative alive. They don't allow oppression to happen to them. They've, they've stuck together how they've accrued wealth. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how healthy this understanding is, but I'm saying that's what we was taught. Like, look at how they accrued wealth, like learn from them, you know? So, so when it, when, when you hear it coming out of, a black entertainer's mouth, something anti-Semitic, it just, it grates even more because you just like, man, what? Like, I I think one other aspect of that, which we're actually going to get to in a bit is some of that kind of admiration can be a double-edged sword though. It is. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know how healthy it is, but that's what we were taught. Yeah. Yeah. But like, like, like what you said about like there, you know how a dollar s- circulates way more. You see Kanye later starting to use some of that rhetoric in terms of promoting Jewish people as like controllers of financial engineering. Like you yeah. see that type of you see that bridge. We're gonna talk about that ju- like in in a sec. Also, quick piece of history about Jewish Jewish people in banking, which it's ill. Like they as a people got into that. They were basically forced into they it. They were forced yeah. to because they weren't allowed farmland. Yeah. Like, you wasn't allowed to farm. So they're like, well, we got to find a job somehow. Oh, well, let's do banking. You mad that they good at it? Like, you know, I mean, I, I mean, with, like, this is this part that's, like, real akin. I'm like, you know why, you know why jazz exists? Segregation. Nigga, racism. That's why blues ex- Why is there hip-hop? Because, sec- sec- like, we, we did something with the trash you gave us. Like, so I, I think that, yeah, anyway, the segregation made that happen. Yeah. I'm going to read a quote from Yair Rosenberg. Quote, Kanye's tweets exemplify why anti-Semitism is so hard to uproot. It's a self-affirming conspiracy theory. Mm. The, anti- the anti-Semite claims that Jews control everything. Then if they're uh, penalized for their bigotry, they point to that as proof. Heads they win, tails Jews lose. Kanye posted his second tweet before the first one was taken down, perfectly demonstrating how the Jews control everything is a preemptive anti-Semitic defense against consequences for expressing anti-Semitism. It's a common misconception that anti-Semitism is just a personal prejudice against Jewish people. It's not. It's also a conspiracy theory about how the entire world works, which is why it ropes in conspiracy theorists from all ideologies and all backgrounds. It Mm. creates this antagonizing catch-22 for Jews when confronted with anti-Semitism. If we say nothing, the hatred spreads unchecked. If we say something and it results in any consequences for the anti-Semite, the bigot just uses that as proof of their anti-Semitic world. Worldview. So that's a good kind of 101 explainer on how this kind of whole thing operates, you know, talking about Jewish power brokers in Hollywood and people called out on that. They're like, oh, see, this is an example of them trying to silence the, the truth and, you know, all of this type of shit. Um, the one super interesting thing that has happened since all of these tweets and the aftermath and stuff has 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 happened is that. We got some leaked video from the Tucker Carlson and Kanye video. Mm. So this is this 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 is this is fascinating. Um, so Vice uh, Vice's uh, motherboard uh, obtained footage of Kanye making bigoted statements about Jewish people and bizarre claims about fake children, as well as yeah. describing visions of kinetic <clears throat> of kinetic energy cities sent to him by God, and. I we're not sure how Vice got these yeah. uh 
un- unaired clips, but we have them and they're extremely fascinating both on for like what Kanye is doing and how he made these statements before his tweets. Um, also it's interesting on like what Tucker is doing. Like t- you're explicitly obfuscating direct anti-Semitism, but still allowing the dog whistles to be, to be present. Um, so inside their interview, uh, that, that did air, uh, Carlson and Kanye together outlined some of Fox's favorite boogeymen from the Clintons, COVID restrictions, cancel culture, and liberal elites. But what Fox left on the cutting room floor is just as revealing. The Tucker Carlson Tonight team decided to edit out a clip of Kanye saying that he's vaccinated against COVID-19, which is, you know, okay. Yeah. Uh, In a segment talking about black genocide and Planned Parenthood, they edited out Kanye's statements about the lost 12 tribes of Judah. Planned Parenthood was made by Margaret Sanger, a known eugenics with the KKK to control the Jew population. When I say Jew, I mean the 12 lost tribes of Judah, the blood of Christ, who the race the people known as the race black really are. This is who our people are, the blood of Christ. This, as a Christian, is my belief. So inside the television broadcast, it has it, it has those parts about Planned Parenthood and the KKK. But then after he mentions the KKK, it cuts 30 seconds ahead. So it skips over all that stuff around the Jews and the and the lost 12 tribes of Judah, which kind of get that that is that is some of the type of black Hebrew Israelite stuff that Robert yeah. and Prop were talking about in the previous episode, how yeah. they're they're one of like the lost tribes who who went south. Um, so that that is that. So, but it's interesting. So like he's directly talking about that way before his tweets that Tucker just completely edited out. Now on the on the uh, Planned Parenthood point, so Sanger was indeed a racist and yeah. eugenicist, um, a stance that the Planned Parenthood organization has since like obviously de- de- denounced. Um, but you know, claims about Planned Parenthood specifically operating to kill unborn black babies are just common rhetoric in the pro life like circles and yeah. conspiracy spaces. It's not that that part is not really true but it is a very common talking point yeah Um, that that margaret sanger point is is something that like yeah you know even i like in my sort of you know evolution of the way i think and feel and believe you know i'm the child of a black panther you know what i'm saying so like when you 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 hear things about eugenics and margaret sanger and her connection to planned Parenthood, and you like oh well yeah nah that stuff's evil you know what i mean um and you know Obviously, I, I'm a, I'm a cisgendered male, you know. So there, I, there's definitely holes in the story of understanding the complications of what it means, what abortion and reproductive rights mean, because I just I didn't know, you know. And sure. uh, but as you you know grow, mature, travel for me, like the 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 biggest the biggest change in my thinking has been travel. And relationships and just, you know, what I used to say, reading off the naughty list, you know, uh, and and you start understanding those complications. But, yeah, that was like that that Margaret Sanger note is a note that's hit often, you know, and it becomes very difficult until you're like. Until you until you until you in the situation, you know what I mean? And like you are like, look, this is this is this is affordable health care. And it's right down the street. 
you know, and when you're in that situation, it's like, the, again, like all the boogeymans and all the stories and all the warnings, all of it falls apart, you know, once you actually see this stuff in practice. So yeah, that but that that Margaret Sanger one, that was a that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, and the Planned Parenthood organization has spent a long time like trying to amend for yeah. their for for their like an initial inclination and some of the like eugenicist starting points that that they had and making sure yeah. that they're not they're not you know yeah continuing in that clearly that's in not that, their stance in, in that history. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, and, and like and like actually addressing like, hey, is 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 the locations of our clinics specifically geared towards like being in more targeted communities where it's like lower class and people of color as opposed to white affluent communities? And they have they have taken steps to actually like make sure that their planning of clinics and locations is not is not oversaturated in yeah. In, in places. And that being said, I'm like affluent white communities. They got healthcare. So it's Absolutely. like, Absolutely. Well, it's a different story. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you, yeah, go, yeah, yeah. you go where it's needed. I'm like, I ain't got no healthcare over here. That's why they here. You know? I mean, this isn't, obviously, this isn't a Planned Parenthood stand video or a podcast, but at the same time, I'm like, well, of course they got their problems. Like, every other organization got their problems. But, like, the idea that there's this, like, sinister plot, you know, is clearly the rantings of someone who it's, is not well you know it's, it, it, it does it's it, it is parroting just conspiracy talking points at this point yeah. the, the way the way, the way that he does it the way he's doing um it. and in one of the more blatantly anti-semitic sections that was that was edited out kanye complains about kwanzaa being taught to his kids in school and in, and says that he would prefer his kids learn hanukkah because it comes with financial engineering I was biting my tongue on my political opinion because I thought it would be better for my children. And now you look up and my kids are going to a school that teaches black kids a complicated Kwanzaa. I prefer my kids knew Hanukkah than Kwanzaa. At least it will come with some financial engineering. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Wait. Wait. I mean, this is this, right, this is this type of thing. Like, you should learn from the Jews because they're good right. at controlling money. Uh, like, it's, it almost, it's, yeah. It makes me feel yeah, like he purposely tweeted that stuff because it was cut out. Like, because like maybe that I, was furthering I, his idea of being maybe. controlled. I mean, something. I think I think he tweeted that stuff out. He tweeted he tweeted stuff on Twitter in response to him getting banned on Instagram, mm. and the stuff on Instagram was directly against a rapper who was calling him out on his shit. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Kanye watched the Tucker Carlson That's interview. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Um, and yeah. then in one of the more bizarre things that he said, Kanye West talked about a so-called fake child that had been planted in his home, including he, he, he went into explicit detail talking about the yeah. child's name and the parent's name. Yeah. And this, this video clip was not posted to protect the family's privacy. Yes. Um, yeah. But he went into great detail. We have some, we have some like transcripts saying, "I uh, actors, professional actors, placed into my house to sexualize my kids." Yep. Uh, he 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 uh, he he, uh, he referred to the so-called son of an associate, seemingly implying that the child was fake, saying that we we we, we did not believe that the person uh, was her son because he was way smarter than her. Um, what? And he, it's it, it's the this is like the most clear example yeah. of the ramblings of someone who like isn't okay right. like it's yeah. no, like, this like is someone having a mental health episode yeah like 
Yeah. Connie has spoken frequently about living with bipolar disorder and yep. experiencing manic episodes. In 2019, he discussed how he experiences these with David Letterman, saying, yeah. quote, when you're in this state, you're hyper paranoid about everything and everyone. In my experience, other people have different experiences. You know, everyone is now an actor. Everything's now a conspiracy. Unquote. Yeah. And this is what's happening. You're thinking everyone's an actor and everyone's a conspiracy. This like, is you're, really, con- I mean, you can look at gang stalking, which is, Yep. Probably an expression of, of people having schizophrenic episodes yeah. where people believe that like crowds of just random folks on the street are like part of an organized stalking thing or or just there's these uh, one kind of common thing that happens in psychotic episodes for some people is a belief that their loved ones, their spouse or whatever has been replaced by someone yep. who looks mm-hmm. exactly the same. There's also yeah. certain kinds of like we call that, damage. We to call the that brain. Nathan Fielder syndrome. Yeah, um, I was it's, just it's about to suggest wow. syndrome. Wow. I was going to say um, that, but I didn't want to drag him into this. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, he's, it does he's feel a like beautiful, a rehearsal episode. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's I mean it's one of those this is I don't know how you actually would ever study this, but I think one of the major problems our our civilization has that might actually end us is the fact that every mental illness on the planet is vastly exacerbated by the person having a lot of money, which Mm -hmm. also happens to make it virtually impossible to treat because no one around you will admit that anything's wrong. And this, again, might someday combined with the fact that we have an addiction on this planet to handing a single individual the keys to a nuclear stockpile, this might all end in really badly for everybody one I mean, day. Yeah. And when you're one of the most famous people in the world, you constantly feel like you're being gang-stalked, because you are. Yes. <laughs> like, that, yeah, everyone's, that's the everyone's point I was always watching you. Like, every, yeah. like it's, it's not... Humans weren't designed to reach that level of fame. That's not something that we, like, developed. Like, it's... That's... No, yeah. we should, that should not be possible. Our brains yeah. are not equipped for it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I feel like it's like uh, they get affirmed in that belief because a lot of people do rely on them and maybe their mania to like make make sure they get paid or make sure like their families oh, abs- get paid. Absolutely. So it's just I mean, like I'm not affirming. Yeah. They're being, yeah, you're being, you know, I, I like, I, I have a, <sighs> a small list of like actual like A list, like celebrity friends who have been you know, who are like for real celebrities and are also like, yeah, my uh, my last accountant stole $200,000 from me. Like, and mm-hmm. I didn't even know, you know, yeah. uh, this person, you know, I had this person on tour with me and, you know, they robbed, this guy robbed the opener. Yeah. Like just all yeah. these like stories to where you're like, well, yeah, the people you do have around you. So even you know, if you didn't have mental health issues, you would yeah. get paranoid. You, you would, would still get, get paranoid. Yeah, it's that's what reasonable I'm saying. to get paranoid. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, I, yeah. Uh, all of it's all of this is is very o- obvious as a problem. Um, yeah, but what's, yeah. Uns- and, what's and, and, unsettling and, to me? Sorry, I just want to say really quickly. One of the things that the fact that Kanye as you you pointed out years earlier, very astutely talked about the things that happened to him when he is having an episode mm-hmm. in a very lucid way. Yeah. Makes me wonder, and maybe this is a little conspiratorial, were there people listening who are like, well, shit, if we can just play into that stuff, we might be able to get him to, we might be able to push him in whatever direction we want. Because there's definitely a whole bunch of people. I mean, I can totally see Candace Owens yeah. doing that because that, yep. yeah. yep. she's she's been playing him like a fiddle for a long time, and that's for gonna, a long time. That's gonna um, reach a tipping point at the end at the end end, end of this episode. So and yeah. one one yeah. one could ask, how could you be so heartless? <laughs> oh my god. 
How could you See, be that so? That wasn't as good as the last one. It wasn't. How no, could you be so Doctor Evil? But also, I, didn't, I, didn't I think get it's that like one, along but... the same thread of a tortured artist thinking they have to be depressed yes. to like make art. I think there's an element of that even for Kanye. Like, I don't think. I mean, who I think, knows if he's medicated or not? You know what I mean? Like, well, I think he is. He has said that sometimes he goes off medication. Yeah, exactly. So you I'm know, like, and I and a, yeah, the tortured artist thing. I know some like. New York Times bestsellers authors who are like, yes, I know I'm bipolar and I know when I have to write this book, exactly. I'm going to get off these pills. I'm going to write it in in two days. It's I'm going to turn in. Common than yes, I, want to admit. I yeah. think exactly. that's that's made worse by people like tying like people in doing my research for this episode. A lot of people talk to West in person and and like talk about like his genius. Exactly. And I think exactly. this idea of his genius mixed in with his mental state mm-hmm. can create a really volatile reaction in someone's yep. brain when they feel like certain altered states of consciousness are what makes you have your genius. Exactly. Yes. And that's a really un- the way people have talked about this to Kanye in person. I think is really unhealthy. Yeah. yeah um, I- I, I would argue that telling a child they're a genius is abusive, and it's probably yeah. true for telling an adult. It's one of the worst yeah. things you can ever tell anybody. Don't, don't, d- no one's a genius. Stop using that word. Yeah. It's poison. Y- y- you think your illness is your genius. In the, in yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going back to this, like, to these leaked, unused Tucker Carlson videos, something like this in, like, in a better world would, like, completely tank Tucker forever like the, yeah it should but the, none of that matters yeah this, because like, in any other yeah in any other universe at that point you should be like yo we gotta stop the cameras man no like, yeah like yeah this, oh, yeah this leak reveals unequivocally how carlson uses his platform to sanitize anti-semitism and other conspiracy theories for a general audience carlson cuts out just enough to claim plausible deniability this will not impact him professionally at all, at all. um he makes his he makes a living manipulating people on fox news um <laughs> This should tank him. It won't, but it does reveal how he works with extreme clarity, having these behind-the-scenes glimpses. And then also yeah. having having the added context of these cut segments also shines a light on some of the more dog-whistly aspects that yeah. did make it into the aired interview, uh, like this bit that started, with, that, 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 that started with Kanye talking about his grievances with Jared Kushner. You know where he made these peace treaties? Where was that? Do you know the facts on this right here? So I'm like, well, I think that was between Israel and, and some of the Arab nations. I just think it was to make money. I don't know. Is that is that too heavy handed to put on this platform? No, that's that's your opinion. We're not in a censorship business. OK, thank you. And I just think that that's what they're about is making money. I don't think that they have the ability to make anything on their own. I think they were born into money. So. When Kanye said, I don't think they have the ability to make anything on their own and talking about, you know, peace treaties with the intent to make money, Carlson knew that Kanye was just talking about like the Jews. Like that's yeah. like he he knew that's what was going on and decided to keep those dog whistly aspects. It's <sighs> Yeah. I'm 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 gonna quote from Elad uh Neorai. This provides uncontrovertible proof that Carlson knew Kanye was being anti-Semitic during the interview. In other words, Tucker Carlson and his team purposely edited their footage to make Kanye's comments into a dog whistle instead of a foghorn. He purposely coded Kanye's anti-Semitism. Carlson knows how to spread anti-Semitism while avoid getting called out. He did it here. 
this itself should be a far bigger scandal than anything Kanye has said. Carlson knowingly spreaded this code of anti-Semitism and knowingly kept the anti-Semitism that he knew he wouldn't get called out on and knowingly cut the part that he knew would get him in trouble. Carlson yeah. has, spent, has spent years spreading anti-Semitic conspiracy theories from a full documentary about George Soros destroying Western civilization to multiple uses of the Great Replacement Conspiracy Theory to anti-Semitic guests talking about globalist elites ruling in D.C. This is who Tucker Carlson is, America's leading purveyor of mainstream anti-Semitism. He also uh, showed everybody the, uh, the ultra light beam to the genitals. He sure well, did. That's, which is, he did one, one of, good thing. One of yeah, his was, more based moments. That was pretty. Uh, that was a thing. I was like, "All right, man. Okay, you, 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 you genital tanning. Got it." Uh, but yeah, I, that's his. That's his particular like mutant power is saying something without saying something, and all of us know what you're saying, but you ain't say it. So when I go. What the fuck did you just say? You could say, what are you talking about? Nothing. I, you know, it, I mean, yeah, he, he's yeah. got, I mean, yeah. I mean, he is, he's the Picasso of that. Like just, and it's, and it's so infuriating. And speaking of kind of dog whistles and stuff, similar to Kanye's bit about the Jews creating cancel culture by doing the whole, I don't think they have the ability to make anything on their own statement. Kanye is employing another kind of classic anti-Semitic trope that or, that originates with Nazi propaganda. Um, that, you know, Jews are incapable of physical labor or making mm-hmm. things. This comes up a lot in the 1940 Nazi propaganda film, The Eternal Jew, one of the most vile films ever made, a quote from uh, Mike Rothschild. So, and now, I, I, I don't think Kanye... Kanye has not seen the Eternal Jew. Obviously, like, I, um, <laughs> no. The only like, people, most weird Nazi nerds who reference the Eternal Jew, haven't seen the Eternal Jew. Like, but uh, but the point is that you don't need to see it. These no, these, yeah. these these stereotypes are so ingrained to how many people see Jewish people that there's things that you can believe without the slightest consideration or like deep thought. Mm-hmm. Well, and they were, you know, the the Eternal Jew was influential in anti-semitic propaganda but a lot of what it was doing was kind of uh, codifying almost if you will the most popular stereotypes and racialist attacks of the day like it 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 didn't invent stuff so much as it was like all right we're going to we're going to boil it all down in kind of the most iconic form yeah this i was today years old i had no idea what you're talking about um but but i can see how that concept has such source material because as somebody who, you know, I, I, I've just anti-Semitism is just has never been on the menu for me. Um, some of the the tropes that come with that in my mind seem so bizarre. I'm like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? Sure. Where did that come from? What did you talk about? They did what now? You know, so like some of like so to know that like well there is source material there's there's stuff that comes from it comes from this time it was because it is it was because at one this point was like an that. intentional thing that people yeah. have been pushing towards for hundreds of years like this is it's it's yeah this, this didn't just happen this is like people are trying to make this a reality like yeah. it's it's it, yeah. it has been a propaganda project and a hate campaign that's been genocidal for hundreds of years yeah because yeah. I'm like okay you know at sometimes 
Okay, I'm trying to say what I'm... Let me try to figure out what I'm trying to say. Sometimes you can track... Yeah, like the protocols, like the protocols. I was like, until you understand those protocols, like some of the anti-Semitic thought and rhetoric is like, man, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, what? You know? Texts like that don't just like pop into existence. Someone wrote that with a specific intent. With an intent for something. But what I'm... The point I'm trying to get at is like, there are some racist sentiments and tropes that I... I'm following your logic as to why you're saying that about them. Like, clearly it's a racist trope, but black men are violent. And I'm like, well, okay. I mean, if all you know of us is gang violence, if that's all you've seen, I'm following your logic. You just never been exposed to any other stuff. Now, once you get exposed to any other stuff, you still feel like that. It's like, all right, you just, you just trash. You just, Mm -hmm. you just trash. But I'm like, I, I'm following, I'm following you. You know what I mean? You only know rap music. Okay, that's all you know of us? Okay, then you think that this is what we are. Fucking racist, because clearly most people are more, everybody's more than the the one thing you're trying to put them in, you know. But I'm following that. It's just, for me, again, like I said, since like anti-Semitism was never on the menu, like it was never just, it just wasn't a part of my world. When you hear things like, the protocols of Zion and and some of this stuff, even even learning about the Holocaust. Like, if you a black person, you like, what's your deal? Like, why? What? What you? What is so wrong with them? Like, I don't understand why you don't like them so much. Like, it, it's just, I, it's like I can't even follow your logic. You know, again, because yeah, yeah. It's, it's not even personal hatred of all people right you no. can, you can f- it's it's framed within this conspiratorial thing but like no i don't hate jewish people i'm just questioning the jewish power brokers in hollywood yeah. and, I th- and and i think that they have too much influence right that's how it's framed and, that, and that's how people that's how someone like kanye might actually th- like think might actually like, feel because right? like, he works in hollywood yeah right but yeah. but that but that is the only way you get there is because of decades of anti-semitism like, yeah that, that, that's it's 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 yeah. that's that's the kind of point i was trying no, to get true. at yeah, yeah. Like the J.K. Rowling banker goblin didn't just like exist by itself. Exactly. Like, like yeah. none, none, none of these things are made in a vacuum. They, I never made... thought of that till you said it. Oh shit! Damn. Oh yeah. That, There's a real. star of David on the floor of the bank. Yep. I didn't yep. even notice it. That well, is just, they'll the point out. It's just so. Yeah. One. I mean, one of the things people will point out that is true is that. That was not a set. They were filming in an actual building, and they that, chose to have that there. And and the building had a star of David in the floor of it. And they um, chose to film there. Yes, it seems like that would have been something people might have noticed. Yeah, uh, at least yeah, somebody rug, who had just a, put not a even rug over it. Not even yeah, yeah, just throw a rug like yo yo maybe maybe listen maybe we don't mean anything by it, but yeah. it could be seen as you know yeah, and I just like. Just like none of these things are in a vacuum and Kanye's own statements are not in a vacuum. After Kanye made these tweets, uh, you know, 4chan was quick to, to, oh, uh, yes. to was quick to eat up the Kanye pill. They, Kanye, yep. Kanye threads took up of took up most of Poll's posts for for days. There's there's just there's screenshots of of Poll, just Kanye post after Kanye post. All of all of the trending ones are all about Kanye. Uh, Nick Fuentes and his like Groper followers were celebrating the tweets, and they they see this as an opportunity to kind of mainstream, you know, their their brand of horrible anti-Semitic fascism. Um, mm-hmm. 
and I, I, uh, I hope people are prepared to take on, you know, fake Kanye Stan accounts that are going to pop up everywhere to defending his anti-Semitism, like, you know, and defending and talking about anti-Semitism from the point of quote unquote, being a Kanye fan. It's, there's right. a lot of, yeah, lot I was of, like, we've of, been, a lot of fascist trolling is going to, is going to come in the mask of Kanye West now. And that's we just have been that's the in, way this works. Yeah. We've, I mean, yeah. we've been enduring Great. among black Twitter. We have been enduring Kanye stands for a while. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That are just like, no, nah, yeah. he's just a genius. Y'all don't understand. He's playing 3D. We've been enduring this for a while. It's actually been very interesting in the sphere of the internet I exist in of seeing people being like, uh, uh, yeah, no, nah, I got nothing. <laughs> so like I'm people tap out. Yeah, there, there has been a good amount of people that have finally tapped out. Yeah. And I think, yeah. well, I think uh, the, what is, that type of vacuum opens up space for bad actors to use yes. the mask of Kanye to then just promote fascism un- yeah. under under this mask now. I like, it's like um, what they did with Trump and his support and like yeah. MAGA hat and everything. Sure. I mean like and I think th- this creates a more specific type of dog whistle. I think because yeah. MAGA is obviously way more way more broad. I meant like t- I meant like Kanye's use of the Trump Sure. Hat. Oh yeah, yes, yeah, absolutely yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I mean yeah. we have, you know, Nick Fuentes posted the tweets in his dis- in, in his uh, Telegram saying, "No way, we are so back. Do you trust the plan?" Uh, Baked Alaska. Ah, po- posted, do you trust the plan? <laughs> Baked Alaska no. posted in his Telegram, "This is real, vindicated." And one of my least favorite Telegram channels, Zoomer Waffen, which God, oh, God just, damn it, I know. God, and, it's called it. what now? Tell me that every, again. Zoomer. Every, so, okay, every time yeah. I talk about Zoomer Waffen, I like I lose five years of life. So people, I, again, because folks who are not terminally online are yeah. like, what are you guys talking about? Waffen yes. means weapon in German. Know the that reason one. that it is a thing the Nazis talk about is that the SS had like a bunch of different things the SS did. But one of the things they had was a unit that existed within kind of the traditional hierarchy called the Waffen SS, which means the weapons SS. They committed a shitload of war crimes. Ever since Waffen has been a thing that you can kind of like stick to the end of the name of a group and you're signifying that you think the SS was based. Adam Waffen is kind of the most prominent terrorist group in the United States and other countries. That's been a big thing. And, you know, it not like Zoom, like you get what they're saying when they call themselves Zoom or Waffen, right? It's a thing. Anyway, that's that's, that's what you need to know. I I just, I just, I get so pissed because I'm like, these fucking nerds. I know, I know. That's dangerous. You fucking nerds. It sucks. Yeah. I hate you. Yes. Um, I'm just like, you just, you, God, if you weren't so dangerously violent, you know, just that's fucking nerds. Yeah, yes. that's, yeah. that's that. That is the recurring statement on this show. Yes, <laughs> is that if they weren't dangerous, they would be much more funny. Yes. Um, uh, so yeah, the the, the Zoomer Waffens posted the tweet, and not 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 all heroes wear capes. Somewhere, Yeezy Gap merch. And with it's anyway, so just two days after the anti-Semitic posts on his social media accounts, uh, which got him banned, Kanye then attended the Nashville premiere of Candace Owens Daily Wire documentary project, The Greatest Lie Ever Sold, George Floyd and the Rise of BLM. And just uh, imagine being one of the most famous people on the planet and choosing to hang out with the Daily Wire. Yeah. It's like, hard. Like, like, they, like, 
the word grooming obviously means nothing now, but yeah. like they they groomed him into this shit. Like yes, they, they specifically really did. They, they really exploited did. him and groomed him into this nonsense. Look, and it's, Ka- it's gross. Kanye made a lot of choices here, and those choices were like very selfish and based in narcissism. Yeah. And while he is sick, he's not a victim fundamentally, but he also is being taken advantage of. Right, like that's that's fair to say. That doesn't exculpate him from his guilt in this. But we're, he's we're going to talk more about that. Wake up, Mr. West! Another re- another Kanye reference. Wake up, Mr. West! And well, like, is- w- like w- real quick, the 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 part that is so well, obviously, it's all infuriating. But I'm like, you're 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 going out of your way to purposefully tear down black people and they suffering yeah like, you don't have to you don't you can even say like hey you know which is true like there are some in the organization of black lives matter but as yeah, an the, organization there's some problematic stuff that needs to be discussed and worked yes. out you know what i'm saying and, and being like okay well let's get some oversight here what are we doing here let's have some accountability yeah. you don't this, have this to is, this, why are you why well, are you attacking is, george floyd man well because, because this is yeah. this is this is kenneth owens ex, like explicit grift is exactly that that's my point she, 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 her job is to conflate the Black Lives Matter nonprofit organization with the yes. Black Lives Matter movement, and As an use idea, criti- yeah. and 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 use criticisms of the nonprofit organization to basically say that any form of advocacy by people of color in you know using the Black Lives Matter movement banner is is discredited because of the issues with the formal nonprofit organization. In Portland, it's, it's, I have never, I've never seen a single thing related to the Black Lives Matter organization. Not a single thing. It's, I mean, it's, I guess it's, maybe it's, the signs like are sold yeah. by them. I don't know though. But like, it's it's not it's not a presence. Not what we're talking at actual about. Exactly. Uprisings. It's not no. a thing. Like it's it, the 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 conflation of the of the nonprofit organization with the movement is the specific thing that Candace Owens has focused on for the past five years of her career. That's that's what she makes money on is 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 exploiting this little thing, and it's the thing that Tucker has adopted, and this is the thing that she is convinced it's Kanye just, of. It's just so. It's just so like. What do you do? Like okay, so any any uh, okay. Talk about talk about globalism. You okay? That's your little thing. That's your little thing. Okay, uh, you know you don't like the you don't like the Democrats. You know you, you know Brandon, whatever. But it's like okay, a man died, and and yeah, was that's, and the cop was proven guilty, and that that's that's the most gross part because Kanye's embrace of conspiracy theories now about the fentanyl it, thing, right? Is mm-hmm. yeah, like but his embrace of conspiracy theories is not just limited to anti to, is not just limited to anti-Semitism. Yeah. He now openly denies the proven facts of the events that led to the most recent international uprising in the Black Lives Matter movement. He jumped on board his pal Candace Owens' absurd quote-unquote documentary that claims the sequence of events proven in court and witnessed by the world via cell phone footage did not actually happen. Um, Um, That's why I'm like, you're going out of your way now. It's like you're, you're on a path, and I'm like, you're purposefully going out of your way to hurt us and that's the part that i'm like like i said i don't use the word coon often but i'm like like why are you doing why are you doing this like you you're and well because we know why you're doing it and it's just like candace come on like cape cape for the republicans do what you got to do if you honestly think 
the solutions for our community comes from the conservative world. Cape for them. Do what you got to do. You don't have to go out of your way. Like this is, you're going the, like you're taking the scenic route to just I mean, attack. Like, um, okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, they, it's, because I don't, they don't actually believe that that's what the solutions that's the are. Thing. They, they're just, well, they're, but, they're I, just living a really wealthy, extravagant lifestyle. Yeah. Candace Owens gets to travel with Kanye West to Paris Fashion Week. She gets yep. to have a red yep. carpet premiere with Kanye West, Kid Rock, and Ray J. Like that's that's the life that she has been able to create by exploiting this thing. Yep. And of course, she's going to do it because yep. that's how Dude. you become a millionaire. Yeah, two um, kinds of people get successful on the right. One kind is, fuck you, got mine. I'm going to get what I can as quickly as I can. Uh, and the other is, I want to create a Christian fascist ethnostate. Um, like, th- those are the two yeah. kinds. And one feeds into the other. And Candace Owens has decided, I'm fine with helping the other kind of prominent conservative accomplish their goals because it won't get too bad, you know, during my yeah. lifetime. I can make enough money to be I'm one of the good ones. They're good. like, yeah. this is, this, this is yeah. the same thing with someone like Blair White for, you know, for, um, uh, for trans issues. Yeah. There's, there's, there's these specific tokenized figures. Yeah. Dave Rubin with, you know, with, uh, gay people, like if they, they align as one of the good ones and yeah. they think that things won't get bad enough in their lifetime and they'll, they'll, yeah. they'll just, they'll just be able to profit. Yeah. Um, it's so, this, I, yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a, 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 hey, a wait, is Dave Rubin, wait, just to make sure I'm paying attention, is Dave Rubin the dude that was like, well, scientifically speaking, a mermaid couldn't be that dark? No, God. that's, uh, that feels like a Ben Shapiro or Crowder bit. I, 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 I don't remember specifically. Okay, I thought that it, was it, him. Either way, that was, was hilarious. It was one of those clowns. They, yeah. The, the, well, scientifically the, speaking. They're all paid by the same dude. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's yeah. All, they're all like... Please, um, I still need to get this joke off. <laughs> so it's frustrating that Kanye not only just attended the premiere, but is now actually parroting the disinformation and the, yeah. and the talking points that Kenneth Owens used in her faux documentary. So j- just a few days after he went to the red carpet, he started spreading the, the, the disinformation on the police's murder of George Floyd on a podcast. I watched the George Floyd documentary that Candace Owens put up. One of the things that his two roommates said was they want a tall guy like me. They want a tall guy like me. And the day when he died, he said a prayer for, you know, eight minutes. Mm -hmm. He said a prayer for eight minutes. They hit him with the fentanyl. If you look, the, the guy's knee wasn't even on his neck like that. When he said, mama, mama his, is his girlfriend. They said he screamed for his mama. Mama was his girlfriend. It's in the documentary. So that's pretty bad. Um, and yes. a- after, after that, he starts talking about other kind of random conspiracy theory stuff that inevitably leads him to making more comments about the Jews. Um, so here's that clip. They blocked me out. The Jewish media blocked me out. This shit lit, right? I'm lit, right? I'm lit. I'm lit. You know what I'm saying? JP Morgan, I put $140 million into JP Morgan and they treated me like shit. So if JP Morgan Chase is treating me like that, how they treating the rest no, of y'all? That's outrageous, yeah. And this, this murder and, was with Chase accounts. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I am outraged. Mm-hmm. By the time people always, they want to calm it down. Because no matter what, you didn't yeah. break no law. 
I didn't break a law. No matter I didn't what, break the, a law. The bank shouldn't be a judge or jury on right. anything that's but going on. But this is it's, right. it's like a social contract. Candace Owens has a word for it. I'm forgetting it. But it's basically like they told Candace Owens she couldn't hang out with me for the Jewish people. What I'm doing is I'm me too in the Jewish culture. I'm saying y'all got to stand up and admit to what y'all been doing. And y'all just got away with it for so long that y'all don't even realize what y'all doing. And it's like, y'all can't fuck with me either because y'all behind that gated fence. Y'all soft. Y'all hands got soft. You ain't out here getting beat up every day like me. You ain't out here getting called crazy every day like me. I'm not going to play any more of that podcast because honestly, this is where it starts getting into the territory where it's just kind of exploiting someone's mental health issues for entertainment. And it gets like, this is where it gets very disjointed. Connie starts talking about how the Louis Vuitton company killed one of his friends. Oh boy. Oh, talking about Virgil. Yeah. Yeah. Who actually died of cancer. Um, it's a, it's a conspiracy that Connie's developed the past year. And he also talked about this for seven minutes, um, in the, uh, unused, Tucker Carlson segments, which I'm also not going to include because it's I don't also think we for should. context. Like Virgil is like royalty among our community. Like what he did, being the first black like head designer at Louis Vuitton, um, and I think a lot of us think uh, a lot of us. I sound like Trump. A lot of people are saying no, but there is an understanding that um, he, like in a lot of ways Kanye was jealous of him um in the in the way that he was able to succeed in Louis Vuitton and then now that he's gone and and clearly Kanye doesn't grieve well as we know yeah, yeah. and and yeah and, uh, that would be fair yeah another segment of the Tucker leak includes a clip where Kanye is discussing visions from God on how to build free energy and fully kinetic energy communities and kinetic energy cities so this combi- like this is where I I'm not going to actually include any more clips of Kanye because it's just it's it's just the laughing at the person who's not doing okay bit and that's not cool. Now obviously like mental illness is not cannot be used as an excuse for bigotry or anti-semitism. No. No. Um but exploiting someone's suffering uh through like a, a manic episode to score political points is also like immoral. Um, yeah. And we're seeing a lot of like false choices being presented towards c- mental illness and, an- and anti Semitism. And the answer can actually be both. Um, you know, mm-hmm. those struggling with mental illness do not kind of, they don't originate these types of bigotry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in, but when you're manic, you can latch on to things and reflect them. Um, and that's not saying it's okay, but that it, it also, it's, we should not deny that like, I have seen a lot of people saying like mentally ill people don't say racist things, which are like, that's not true. Like if, like if you, yeah. if you, if you've been around a lot of mentally ill people, they can act, they, they can, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's the same thing with pe- people when people's brains are deteriorating people, on look. dementia. One of the last things they can say are curse words. Yeah. It's, 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 it's one of those yeah. weird, like, like vector points inside our brain. So, yeah, you, you actually can be be racist when you're not usually racist if you're experiencing a severe mental health episode. And that's not that's not excusing you for your behavior. But also no. we shouldn't create this false division and we shouldn't like in some ways it's like. You're like gatekeeping mental illness by saying, no, no real mentally ill person could say these bad things, which yeah, you're not actually I mean, in support of people experiencing mental distress. 
Yeah, it's on that same lane as like the, uh, you know, the mass shooters and stuff like that. Exactly. Like if you're exactly. just going to call it mental illness, then like you can obfuscate any responsibility. But, 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 but also refusing to acknowledge that mental health can play a factor inside some mass shootings also misses the point. Exactly. Um, it's yeah. Because it's it just can play a very large factor, especially in the wave of like schizo wave inspired shootings. Exactly. Um, that's, that's what I was going to say that, that, that conflation of something that really is real and really is important. You know, uh, you see that, I see that with like, I I've known people who've worked in like, um, you know, like legit human trafficking, like not like the dog whistle version, but like actual rescuing, you know, trafficked girls from the sex industry who were like pulled from a village, you know what I'm saying? And, and put into a brothel, like people that are like really out here, like actually doing the work, you know, where trafficking is a thing, you know, and then you conflate it with, these you know QAnon conspiracies and then like and of course a person who really works in this thing you're like you finally feel like you get some traction with people that actually care about the stuff you care about you know what i'm saying and now now it's like if you mention trafficking it's like yeah you i can't it's like how do i you it's like no serious it's really a thing guys really it is you know but trying to disentangle it from yeah it's what you're saying is like to 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 do a one or the other thing is missing the point of both situations. Yeah. Yeah, because because obviously like Kanye isn't someone who's dealing with like a temporary mental health episode where he's yelling slurs on the side of a sidewalk. Mm. Kanye is like an affluent man who's making calculated and financially driven yeah. choices, but that still doesn't mean that stuff like bipolar does not play a factor in the types of impulsive decision making he's making and the types of people that he surrounds himself with, which influences this pattern of behavior combined with like social media and combined with his celebrity status creates yeah. this cycle of really unhealthy choices. Yeah. Um, like when, when you're talking about like fake children being planted in your home, I mean, um, red like, flag that's, guys. Like, yeah, like, yeah, that's not like it's that's that's not you dismissing that as being no way related to mental illness, I think is kind of a misstep. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it, it, it's kind of, one of the things that's tough about this is that it hits all of the areas that like the primary places where conversation takes part socially are worst at dealing with. Yeah. Because like, it, as we've said, mental illness is a major factor in this. It also does not exculpate him from bad behavior. It doesn't make what he's saying, not racist. Um, but it's also tied into like, this deep manipulation campaign that the right is because they've been looking for a guy like this forever. And you can see yeah. like that. That's why Tucker and all these pe folks were so quickly to spin up when he wound up being like amenable to that. Like, yeah. and it's, yeah. Cause it's all, he's, he's yeah. very clearly being encouraged to keep doing these sort of things for like entertainment and clout. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the responses to this, kind of show how stigmatized that more severe personality disorders are compared to stuff like anxiety or depression or ADHD. For sure. Um, and, Cause you also don't want to like villainize bipolar disorder and, stig and, st and stigmatize it further. Cause a lot of people can live with bipolar disorder. I've known, I've known people that live with, with bipolar disorder who are not 
going on anti-Semitic rants. Like it's like exactly. it, 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 it manifests different in lots of other people. So it's you should not use this as an example to stigmatize other people with this or say it's just this. Um, it create you have to talk about you have to kind of think about this in a multi in a multifaceted fashion where someone's not just good or not just bad. Yeah. It's actually you have to get you know less into like puritanical you know perfectly unblemished victims when you know yeah. evilly like like evil intention depressors like it, it's yeah. it's more complicated than that and the inter- the internet's bad with uh bad bad with nuance one of yeah turns <laughs> of out most, turns um, out the internet sucks at nuance to close this off we're going to talk about how kanye really has kind of been played by pe- pe- by people like candace owens because yeah. A little over a week after his banishment from the two big mainstream social media platforms, this past Monday, Kanye announced that he has entered a deal to buy the failed far-right social media platform Parler. Parler CEO George Farmer said that his wife, conservative influencer Candace Owens, approached Kanye about a Parler deal while attending his uh, Paris Fashion Week show, where the, where the pair of them wore the, black, wore the White Lives Matter shirts. Yeah. So... Candace Owens has been playing Kanye this entire time and is and has convinced Kanye to buy her husband's failing business. Like she's just playing him. Like like Parler has currently only 50,000 daily active users. Even Gab, Getter and Trump's uh, and Trump's Truth Social have way more daily users yeah. than Parler. And Candace Owens has has convinced Kanye has convinced Kanye to buy this Wait, failing fascist platform. I'm sorry. Did you say her husband owns Parlor? Yes, her husband is the CEO of Parlor. Yeah. Okay. And for an idea of how failed it is, the people I know who spend a lot of their time hanging out in far right spaces don't even get on Parlor anymore. No, like it's it's, so dead. it's 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 not. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, and it's yes. It's the CEO is Candace Owens's husband. I am verklempt. I did not. I mean, it's an obvious grift, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm like, see. Which is not this to say is, it's a bad one. She's no. a very smart yes. grifter. She's, this a, is, she's a successful grifter. She, that is, I, I can't believe it. Like, she finally broke character. What I've been asking for these last two, this, these, these two hours is give me a moment of clarity. You just gave it to me, right? Like she, oh, there it is. This is what I've been waiting for. Got it. I have got I have, it. I have, I have, I have one more page before we before we close out. So okay, oh, okay, all right. Z- I feel. Rapper, I don't know. Rapper, I can't explain this. The sense of relief I feel. Like it's yeah. so weird to say that, but I feel so relieved that I'm like. No, it's 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 extremely telling, and it confirms a lot of the things that we've been yes. thinking about what's been going on between her and Kanye for the past like five years. Yes. Um. So Kanye has been hit with a with a two hundred and fifty million dollar lawsuit by the family of George Floyd. Yes, the lawsuit was filed by Roxy Washington on behalf of uh, her and George Floyd's daughter uh, Gina. As they should. Um, in, a st- in a statement, Washington's lawyers confirmed that she's suing Kanye West and his business partners for defamation, harassment, misappropriation, and infliction of emotional distress. Um, and the legal team is allegedly considering a number of other possible defendants in the case, including Candace Owens. So it sucks that that's happening, but I like that, like that, that's just like re-traumatizing to the entire family, um, that they're having to dredge up all this stuff to sue fucking Kanye West and Candace Owens. That sucks, but I hope that they get all of their money. Like, yeah, I, I, I hope that 
they get to live forever on the money of Kanye West. Um, it's like, look, dude, like, again, it's just that, like, that old saying, it's like, you ain't gotta like me, but just, you, you don't, you also don't have to be in my way, you know? So even when I look at somebody like a Candace or, or whatever, this, like, this fear of, of specifically persons of color in this right wing grift that I'm like, you don't like, you don't have to help me, but you also don't have to hurt me. You know, and that's and that's the part to me, again, I keep coming back to that. It's like, you're going out of your way to hurt us. Like, that's, that's, I'm like, I don't get it, man. Like, you don't, you don't have to I mean, do, there is so much money. Here's the thing. And this is going to sound terrible, but I mean it to be terrible. There is so much money to be made off white people. Like, oh, yeah. you can absolutely. make so much money from them. <laughs> Yeah, we, we have a lot of it. We took it from everywhere else. Yes. <laughs> you can make so much from them without destroying it, without tearing us down. You know, just, it's like, I mean, get I, your money. I, okay. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm I'm now going to read like my thesis on this because okay. I, again, I, I, I did, I did, I did not, I initially did not want to cover this. I thought we probably shouldn't. Yeah. I thought that it's, it's kind of exploiting the same media cycles that encourages this, this type of unhealthy yeah. behavior in the first place. But I, 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 I have a thesis on this that I, I want to kind of go through and then Drop we can, then we can end, 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 end this discussion. So in an online economy based on shock, uh, ad-driven, heated discourse, and data-collecting online engagement, Kanye's outbursts are useful to be deployed as ready-made ammunition for culture wars, even though what he said is so obviously beyond the pale. Uh, quoting New Republic, West's celebrity, still existent despite years of controversy and alienation, is simply too valuable for the right. After decades of yep. being denied the endorsement of of predominant celebrities, with the exception of like Clint Eastwood um, and, Con- and, and someone like Donald Trump and the rights gritting their teeth through how celebrities don't really matter to them. The right cherishes the affection it receives from controversial crossover figures such as Elon Musk and Kanye West and doesn't want to lose them to disrepute or at least wants to continue using them in spite of it. West's willingness to lend his imprimatur to the pet causes of people like Carlson and Kenneth Owens makes him invaluable and unjettisonable. To pick up a quote from the uh, from uh, uh, the Washington Post, polling has repeatedly shown that white Republicans view themselves as targets of discrimination equivalent to non-majority groups. Carlson and Trump sharing in that sense highlight anecdotes that reinforce that sense and push back against the group that's most forcefully calling for the playing field to be leveled. The left, the new elite. So Carlson sees Kanye wearing a shirt that explicitly casts whites as victims and understands the opportunity. Here's a member of the inner circle of the elite, a black man who's willing to elevate the idea that white lives are disadvantaged in an equivalent way to black lives to validate the victimization and discomfort. Let's set up an interview, unquote. So for Carlson's purposes, West did not have to be wholly coherent. He can easily edit out the parts where he's ranting about the Jews, visions of kinetic energy cities, and fake children. Carlson was able to present to his viewers a famous black man who was being punished for holding views abhorred by the gatekeeping cultural elites. In the podcast, West combined his anti-Semitism and anti-black infantilization into slander that Jewish people have owned the black voice. 
but it's Kanye whose voice and platform is being used by far-right grifters for profit by stoking white populist racism against both Jews and black people, and now to buy their failed social media apps. The conservative Christian right that has grown to use Kanye as a token won't be so quick to disown him for overtly conspiratorial or bigoted statements. One of the lessons that the right has learned from Donald Trump is that there's no advantages to be gained from criticizing one's own, as long as they're remaining loyal to the fundamental causes of the movement, yep. especially when it comes to exploiting white grievance. West is then permitted to be as blatantly anti-Semitic as he wants without fear of sanction. He is clearly bigoted and clearly suffering, but the right clearly considers him to be the most useful idiot, or perhaps one of the brave few people who's willing to say the things that others may think but don't yet dare utter. Some have argued that there's no point in searching for meaning in Kanye's almost decades-long descent, that mm. there's no deeper insight here, just the truth that, that anti-Semitism is noxious and we're a tragically long way from defeating it. But I think that misses the relatively clear trajectory that Kanye has been on since Ultra Light Beam to this now Christian identity but black shit. And the very real danger and influence that a relatively small and unknown weirdos like Candace Owens can have on like countrywide politics. And finally, to paraphrase from the Columbia Journalism Review, Kanye West's statements are not of no consequence, but anyone who spends time thinking about them and talking about them needs to not be complicit in exacerbating those consequences, whether that be platforming bigotry or stigmatizing mental health issues. If the media and the press must cover Kanye, they should do so with context and with an eye towards accuracy, reality, history, and motivation. At minimum, coverage should isolate what's important to Kanye's and the story and describe it clearly for what it is, rather than mining him for controversy and then performing ignorance or agnosticism about the substance of what he's saying. Mm. Sadly, too much top-line coverage of Kanye's recent outbursts did the latter, with several mainstream outlets referring to the tweets and headlines as alleged anti-Semitic posts, or wrote that the posts had been widely deemed to be anti-Semitic, wow. language that clearly uh, reveals more about the authors than its subject. So that, that's kind of my thesis on why this is worth talking about, <sighs> and yep. all of the moving aspects about what's going on here between Candace Owens, T Tucker Carlson and uh, Kanye West. So yeah. Good work. That was all really right, good work. Let's all go be sad. <laughs> yeah. There's not really a solution here, except I mean, besides, I, yeah. but besides, in, in but besides the, the concept stuff I just said. of celebrity, like, I, yeah, I mean, like, you know, all of this has at its root, the same problems, which is that when you allow money to equivocate, like social and political power or yeah. equal social and political power. And when you then hand certain individuals huge amounts of money, um, a lot of them will either be outright evil or out of their minds or a combination of the two, and they can cause tremendous damage to society as a result of it. Um, so it's good. Yeah, I think that there's two, you know, from from my perspective, there's the the metaphorical question of like, okay, is he disinvited to the barbecue? Like, which is a, you know, again, a metaphorical question. I, I don't know if you guys know what I mean when we say that. It's like, can he no, come yeah, to the barbecue? I, I, yeah. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, so the question we need to ask as a community, as the culture, like he so lovingly decides to mock. Um, but is that, okay, so as a community, what does it take for us to finally disavow 
somebody's statements and just be like, all right, brother, you gone, you know, because right now it's up for debate. You know, there are people that like, yo, we checked out long time ago. You know, there are other people that are like still like, you know, we love the old Kanye and that genius is still in there. Yeah, but this album slaps. Okay, I know he problematic. I know he put the red hat on, but, you know, the Sunday services was so dope. You know what I'm saying? Like, so you have that discussion continually happening but I think that that's something as for for our community, we need to learn how to we need to really discuss, you know, what does it take for us to like finally let somebody go? Like again, I I, I keep going back to R. Kelly because I'm like, dog, we knew we knew since Aaliyah that like this brother had problems, you know. I mean, uh, I I think if if there's a way to not alienate him fully so that his only friend is Candace Owens. That would be great. Exactly. That's, that's but why it's I, up for debate. It's like, you but I don't know how that process works. That's um, what I'm trying to say. That's part of the part. That's part of the problem. It's like you, but you know why we, why it hasn't, ha- why it doesn't happen so fast. Like I said, like our defense is normally our collective identity is the community. That's how we defend each yeah. other and protect each other from falling off the edge, either from the police or from yourself. It's like you bring them in and just be like, oh, baby, we need to have a talk, you know. Um, but at some point you're like, all right, fam, we done. You know, and that's what happened with R. Kelly. It was like, all right, dog, we tried. You know, uh, you, we, we tried. You, we can't do this no more. You know, um, I think there's that. And I think there's also another question. Obviously, the, the American evangelical, which, you know, statistically speaking, still only represents 9 to 11% of Christian as a whole across the world. So you really like, it's a, this is a specific to us in America problem. And I just wonder, that's another question to me. Like y'all are like, they always looking for whether it was Tim Tebow or you always looking for champions, you know, and, and this keeps happening to you, keeps happening to you. And y'all end up looking like assholes. You know what I'm saying? And just, not like the faith you say you profess. Like, when are y'all going to stop looking for champions? Like, when you going to stop looking for yo and just be like, let's just do the shit our book says. You know, like, for better or for worse. Like, you know, I just think that these are, again, these are interesting cultural questions. See, you don't need no celebrity. Like, why y'all always think you need a celebrity? Because you just, because again, you just trying to be cool while at the same time saying that you stand against the culture. It's like, well, well, fuck, well, if you stand against the culture, why are you always trying to have somebody from the culture to be your hero? You know, like, well, shit. Like, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, I think I do think that, I, again, I don't have no answers either, but I think that these are like, questions that everybody that this fool affected y'all really need to ask yourself like you need to ask yourself you know like you said like the mental health stuff the problem of celebrity which is a bigger problem but to me these are he 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 made he's making us inadvertently ask ourselves these big systemic questions that we still are afraid to reckon with i i, I feel like Who's yeah, I to think say? that's a good note to end on. Okay. Well, everybody, that's going to do it for all of us here. Man, at, thanks at for having the various, me, y'all. The several podcasts that this is. Uh, <laughs> you can listen to Hood Politics by typing Hood Politics into whatever it is you use to look for things. And you can listen to It Could Happen Here by typing It Could Happen Here into whatever thing you type stuff into. Go type stuff now. Bye.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later... The co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. God is dead. 
Uh, I'm Robert Evans. Welcome to the podcast where... The first episode of Spooky Week podcast. We try to figure mm-hmm. out who murdered God and yep. come to the conclusion that it was almost certainly Will Wheaton. I'm pointing my finger at someone else, actually, Robert. I- I'm fingering Bigfoot. In the wow. Death, in the death. Okay, now, now, Daniel, Daniel, I'm going to need you to just cut that audio line out of the episode so that everyone on the team can play it as a drop whenever we need to. James admitting to fingering Bigfoot. Um, all right, uh, that's going to be an episode. Everybody have a good week. Uh, God bless you. No, this is it could happen here. We're, yeah. This is Spooky Week, right? We're recording our first Spooky this Week is, episode. This is the first right. Spooky Week episode. Yeah. yeah. Praise yeah. be to God. Um, yeah. All right. What do, what do we What do we have for the the ladies and not not the gentlemen? This one's just for the ladies. I'm going to say mm-hmm. that right now. The uh, says hers and slurs. It's that's uh, Jesus. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. It is. Uh, uh, what we got, what we got today? What we got today, Robert Garrison, is some stories about cryptids. Um. So I want to start in the autumn of 1993. Garrison was not alive, and Robert and I were much younger. And I want to start in Northern California, where one night, three men set out to execute a pretty routine weed trade, right? They're going to drop some mm-hmm. cannabis off, get some money, come home. Uh, and it's not exactly a secret that at that time and in that place, there was a lot of illegal grow operations. And it's not exactly oh. a secret. Yeah, Wild. Robert, you, you, yeah, have you heard about this? I don't know. Maybe yeah, saying- yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it's just, number one, it, once you hit about anywhere in, like, the coastal northern California from, like, Santa Cruz on up, uh, Bigfoot is, like, a topic, not even not yeah. even really of discussion, but there's just Bigfoot shit all over the goddamn place. Um, from Arcata to, like, Grant's Pass is probably the biggest density of Bigfoot shit, but it's all throughout Oregon, all throughout Washington. You get a decent amount in Idaho, I think, too. Um, but, yeah. yeah. People make a lot of money off Bigfoot. There's even a Bigfoot highway up there. But Yeah. Uh, I was <laughs> listening to a dog shit podcast recently. It's not very good. Uh, mm-hmm. It's called Wild Thing, and it's by some former NPR reporter. I've heard it's the... The Squatches podcast, right? Yeah, she's doing yeah. like a Bigfoot thing. It's just not very good. Like there's bits in there where she'll like quote one guy who's like, there's a lot, there's so much evidence for Bigfoot. If you type Bigfoot into Google, there's like 11 million results. So and true. Then, and, then, <laughs> so and true. then an actual scientist will be like, there's no evidence for Bigfoot. Uh, and she just is like, what are we to think? <laughs> How are we to, what can we yeah, conclude? Yeah. Both <laughs> sides, both sides, yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah, did not was... find it very edifying. I was listening to it while I was alone on the mountain this weekend. Uh, um, there are two sides to the Bigfoot story, Robert. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if one of them is wrong. No, um, it's very fun. But yeah, up yep, in, because yep. I also, the, the parts of the West Coast that are Bigfoot country are also the parts of the West Coast that grow like more pot than anywhere else on planet Earth. And yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting, isn't it? Because th- these two things may or may not overlap. Um, yeah, I think they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But and please continue. Yes. So uh, Hulu made a... Uh, I will use the loosely use the word documentary here. Yeah, loose is is good for this. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I'm going to use a few words loosely here. Uh, so according to David Holthouse, uh, journalist, which is again a word I'm using uh, maybe loosely, but he does a pretty good job in in what I've no, seen. No, he's, he's he's fine. Holthouse. Yeah. So the interesting thing about him and what I do kind of mm-hmm. like about him is he's like the, he 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 worked as a trimmer. Like yeah. so, the pot industry. The there's 
the people who move the marijuana around the country, including smuggle it into places where it's still fully illegal. There's the people who sell it either illegally or at dispensaries. Um, there's the people who grow it. And then the largest by number chunk of the weed trade are the trimmers. And those are the people every season, usually in the fall, come down for three or four months, Northern California, Southern Oregon mostly. And they they take raw marijuana that's been like bucked and cut off of the plant and they trim it into the kind of buds that you buy. Um, and this guy was doing that back in the 90s and he ran into these stories about a Bigfoot murdering two or three Mexican guys. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, so... I I think he actually does a really good job in in this documentary. Yeah, uh, I I actually didn't think it was was bad. Yeah. No, no, I was ready for it to be bad, but yeah. uh, it, it, I was quite impressed with. So what happened is, yeah, like Robert says, that there are these probably migrant, probably undocumented workers, right, who come. Well, um, a lot of them. There's a, a good chunk of them, probably. I don't know. By my estimates, maybe twenty to thirty percent are like mm. mostly white kids from various parts of the country. A lot of them are folks who are either kind of seasonally unhoused. Many of them like live and camp basically in places like Arcata a big chunk of the mm -hmm. year, and then will live on farms while they trim. Um, there are a decent chunk who are undocumented. A lot are Hmong. Um, oh, a, yeah. Like a lot of uh, are like first, like particularly older Hmong people who like came here after Vietnam and started businesses. And then like their kids and grandkids got into the pot trade and we're like, well, my, you know, grandma or my aunt's retired and they like they living in the woods and are good at trimming. Like we can make a bunch of extra money this way. Um, it's all sorts up there. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating. So these three guys set out to do this deal, right? That they're three of the people who fall into the uh, undocumented labor category mm -hmm. and they never come back. Um, and Holt House is sitting in one of these farmhouses or in a trailer or something where a couple of guys come in and say, hey, those, those dudes never came back. Mm -hmm. And they've been killed right they seem to have been sort of uh pretty brutally murdered but the weed that they were carrying was still there so it wasn't like somebody shook him down and stole the weed right and yeah you by the way if yeah. it was a weed industry thing you, you yeah. probably wouldn't because okay. everyone's got a lot of fucking weed i mean people do steal weed but if you're yeah. out there doing a murder it's probably because somebody's fucking with your business in a bigger way than whatever they happen to have on the fucking farm like, I wouldn't be surprised if a pot murder would not result in whatever shit they had in their trailer actually getting jacked. Okay, rather than, yeah, because the weed's a thing that everyone has. So, uh, at the time, their deaths are largely, if not entirely factually, uh, attributed to Bigfoot, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's put out there that these people were murdered by Bigfoot. Now... They are not the only people whose deaths have been blamed on Bigfoot. Uh, earlier this year, July 10th, 2022, the Seminole County Sheriff's Office uh, reported the murder of Mr. Jimmy Knighton. In a press release, they said, Larry Sanders has reported killing Mr. Jimmy Knighton by the South Canadian River. Sanders and Knighton had been noodling in the river on July now, 9th. Okay. Now, yeah, so give it to me, Robert. You're, you're, you're from this part of the world. It's just yeah. when you stroke a catfish... You don't stroke. Well, yes, basically, it's when you use kind of your fingers as bait and you catch a catfish by the mouth. Right. Great. Yes, we call it noodling. <laughs> what a country! Yes, I mean James. See, see Robert, to the kids country. these days, catch yeah. a catch a catch a catfish by the mouth means something very different. Yeah. Now. So does yeah. noodling. Yeah. <laughs> or as yeah. the Mormons call it, soaking. Sure. <laughs> oh God. There's oh, yeah. a great story. This is. 
off topic, but there was just an outbreak in uh, South Lake City of uh, armpit crabs because so many Mormon kids are having having armpit sex and oh, also no. not using protection. Oh, dear. Really? It's really? awesome. It's so funny. Really? No, it's not. That's mm-hmm. just... Wow. Really? Yeah, kids. Are we, we're still doing this? We're still doing mm-hmm. this, Gare. We're going to be doing this the rest of your natural life. <laughs> yep. We're never getting past this shit. <laughs> <laughs> this is what the future holds for you. Just decades of, of arm fucking... So, uh, Sanders and Knighton, they were old school noodling. They, were, they weren't online noodling. Sure, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's they, the they, best kind of noodling, in my mm-hmm. opinion. That's what I've heard. So, they're at, they're at the river. Um, at some point, Mr. Uh, Sanders becomes convinced that Knighton has summoned Bigfoot to kill him. Now, uh, that's interesting. You don't hear yeah, that a lot. You don't, because I didn't think Bigfoot was summonable. That wasn't on the table of, of things that I thought one could do to a Bigfoot. I mean, I've always thought Bigfoot was summonable, but not for murder. For sex, sure. Okay. Yeah, that's why his armpits are so crabby. Well, that's what everyone says about Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. So you can identify him in a crowd. So yeah. uh, at some point, uh, Sanders becomes convinced that Bigfoot is on his way and he's going to kill him. And so he uh, unfortunately strangles his noodling partner to death. Well, that's tragic. Mm-hmm. And then noodling part. Well, strangles yeah. a noodling really partner tragic. to death. We're just going to leave it. We're just going to leave it. We're just going to uh-huh. move yeah. straight on. <laughs> just gonna, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it does sound rather tragic. It does sound rather sad. But um, it he seems to have reported pretty openly that he believed that Bigfoot was on its way, and if he didn't stop this ritual, that Bigfoot will kill him. And a lot of, as it turns out, things that people can't really explain uh often the times when people are inhuman to other humans tend to be explained as the actions of monsters right and yeah i want want to quote from the documentarian uh the director uh joshua rofe who made that film uh he says the thing that people should be afraid of is not the boogeyman in the woods it's our next door neighbors who will usually commit acts of violence that will then terrify you know everybody on the block or in the neighborhood Rofe said that working in Northern California was very scary. We did enter a sort of underworld, you know, for lack of a better term. And, you know, we were really mindful to try and not overstay our welcome there. And so I want to get into cryptids a little bit. Uh, and I want to get into some, some of the more famous ones, uh, as well as a curse. I've got a curse here. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. Uh, the curse is great because it's invented by the California Park Service. Uh, but... I want to explain kind of the social functions that they sometimes serve, as well as just uh, having some fun talking about cryptids. So the one that I thought might serve a social function and probably the most famous cryptid aside from Bigfoot is our friend the Chupacabra, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in English, that translates to goat sucker, which is... Uh, okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. We're st- we're staying we're staying on this bit. I see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. We're on theme. It's not a bit garrison. It's culture. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not a costume. I, I'll say this. I'm reading a great book right now about the the it's Habsburg. Called Goatsucker. No, it's it's called The Last Emperor of Mexico, and it's about that Habsburg who tried to become the emperor oh, yeah, of Mexico, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they hung his ass in like three yeah, weeks. Yeah. It's very funny. Um, Love to see but, it. But yeah, good stuff. Huge respect to the people of Mexico. Um, so actually, the, the Chupacabra doesn't come from Mexico. Uh, it comes from Puerto Rico. But Oh, I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, so we got a little bit about the Chupacabra. Um, the, perhaps the best source for this, as far as I can find, is this guy, Benjamin Redford. 
who has written a book about the chupacabra. Um, and he shows that nearly all of the eyewitness accounts can be traced back to this one, uh, the first account, which was this woman called Madeline Tolentino in the 1990s, in uh, 1995 in Puerto Rico, right? So it's also much more recent than I thought. Like the chupacabra is 27 years old. It is uh, it's, it's younger than me, uh, which is quite remarkable given how much cultural impact it's had. Yeah, yeah, I thought I thought it was much older. Yeah, me too. I thought it was this uh, and like an old timey border legend. And um, you're what forty nine, James? That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just making yeah. sure. No, yeah. I'm just uh, I'm just kicking here for a couple more years before I can claim that sweet iHeart Media yeah, pension. Get, get that I A A R P. Mm-hmm. Go, go to the go, be able to go to the fucking the Sizzler and get five percent off. That that's it, man. I got to be issued my 1911, which you get <laughs> when you're 60 yeah. years old. You, you get a you get a 1911 and you get a Luby's gift card. <laughs> yep, and you get to evoke the Second World War mm-hmm. whenever anyone is rude to you, even if and, you weren't in it. And you're you're allowed to drive your car into a farmer's market in the state of California up to twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, up to twice. After that, you have to move to Oregon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. So yeah, I'm uh, until my retirement. Though, I want to talk a little bit about this this chupacabra. So uh, they're fascinating because, like with Bigfoot, right? There are, as you have mentioned, 11 million Google results, but no actual Bigfoots, right? No, no one's ever found a Bigfoot. No one can present to B- you Big's feet. Big Big's feet is that? Yeah, yeah. Big, I believe it takes an I, right? So it's it's from the Italian Big Feety. That's righty. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so there are no big feety, but there are chupacabras. Um, and the reason there are chupacabras is that what people, a chupacabra, right? The name goat sucker. And this, this will shock you, uh, Garrison, especially that the way that they are sucking goats is perhaps not the way you would expect. Interesting. They, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're very innovative in this regard. What is happening is people are finding their goats, their chickens, their livestock with their throat ripped out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So it is the way you would expect And most them. animals need throats, right? It's one yes. of the parts that, yeah, it, they're not interchangeable. They're not, yeah, they're really... That's good to know. This is all really important information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So throat-free goats, cattle, sheep, chickens tend not to survive very long. So a lot of, a lot of times people come out in the morning, find their animals throatless and dead. Deep-throated, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you could you could call it a, a deep-throating. Uh, that's that's oh, where they get it, yeah. right deep in the throat. Um, so they uh, these animals are dead, and the people claim that they're drained of blood, which isn't quite true. Of, co- but- of course, no. There's there's only there's only two possible explanations. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go through ob- one? Obviously, being vampires. Um, the other mm-hmm. being this being this um crippled creature. That's well, of the course, only, only the- possible things it could be. The chupacabra is a vampire. It's uh, okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Sweet. So, so, so yeah, that's where the Venn diagram overlaps. Is this kind of it's it's got goat like legs actually, but then it's bipedal. It has kind of a human torso and a sort of lizard meets wolf face. Is how okay. So we're get, we're we're verging in like Jersey Devil vampire territory yeah, here. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 But it, it it prefers warmer climates. It doesn't like Jersey. And frankly. I mean, uh, me neither. So yeah, who does? Something, yeah, I, yeah. Look, I don't go east to New Mexico, and I don't think anyone else should either. No, it, it, does, it doesn't care for Bruce Springsteen, and it doesn't want to live in New Jersey. So it uh, it it stays out west, uh, but it's been reported all over the world, actually. Now, the there are a couple of interesting things about these chupacabras. One is that people have found them, uh, especially in Texas. Right? Are you familiar, Robert, with Texas blue dogs? No. 
Okay. Uh, I've got to tell Robert something about Texas. Yeah. So this lady, I, feel, I don't have her name written down here. She was a Texas nutritionist. and but she, we do, uh, By the way, I will say, when it comes to like cryptids people taught me about in Texas, it was the chupacabra. Oh, wow. Like, okay, I mean, yeah. yeah. We, we, yeah. We, I yeah. mean, we're basically Mexico. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, not Ted Cruz, who is the other famous yeah. Texas cryptid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but unlike Ted Cruz, this, uh, this chupacabra had actually been to a farm and it had been ripping out the throats of these animals, right? Mm-hmm. And this lady had a problem with, with the animal's throats being ripped out. And then one day she finds a corpse of what she presumes to be a chupacabra. It is hairless. It looks kind of like a dog, but it has pronounced glands on, on its bumps on its back, I guess. Uh, uh-huh. And it, it has thick blue skin. So what, what would you do, Robert, if you, uh, if you were living in Texas, you come across a dead chupacabra? Uh, I mean, fry it up. A little bit of adobo okay, yep, sauce, yep, you know. Um, yep. I hadn't toss, even, maybe even some green chili, throw that shit on there and just kind of <laughs> <Wow>. fry her. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't even... Yeah, that, that yeah, makes sense. That one didn't even hit me, but yeah, having... Yeah, I know there was a couple of taco spots we went to in Texas, which that, that might have been what was going on. Yeah, um, you just get whatever kind of meat. doesn't matter. Meat's meat. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, that's not what this lady did. She was a nutritionist, perhaps. So she was a little little worried about the nutritional content of Chupacabra. She had it stuffed and, and it's in her living room today. Okay. Okay. That so, sounds sciencey. So, Science. Is it just like a coyote? Like what? Like what? What is it? Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it, Garrison? That is an interesting question, Garrison. Yes. What <laughs> the what the blue dog seems to be is some kind of hybrid of a, of a Mexican wolf and a coyote that has some kind of mange, which has made all its yeah. hair fall off. Nearly all of the chupacabras are are some sort of canine with mange because mange makes it look like a fucking monster. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what? Yeah. People- I mean, like. If you saw a giant sphinx cat, you would also think that's a cryptid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And especially if they've been ripping the throats out of your animals, right? Because these poor coyotes and feral dogs and such is uh, so weakened by the mange that they can't prey on wild animals. And so they tend to come. Okay. Right. Like, it's pretty easy to catch chickens if you can get them to the coop, right? Because they got nowhere yeah. to go or to catch goats. And so unfortunately... Poor little what's, guys. What's happening is that these dogs, these various canids are getting mange and they are unfortunately too weak to hunt. And so they're killing things like captive goats and chickens. And that is where the chupacabra myth comes from. Uh, going back to the bipedal chupacabra, though, it's very That's, interesting. See, that sounds a little bit more fun. Yeah. So in uh, the year before the chupacabra was seen, there was a film made in Puerto Rico and it was called Species. And, uh, God! Very... Oh man! Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. So, unfortunately, the uh, the original eyewitness report, which began the year after that film was released, uh huh. Yeah, this all, I've heard. They all perfectly describe the creature. Uh, it's got the spines on its back. Uh, Radford. Radford is the person doing writing the book. Radford said the uh, the resemblance between the creature, which is called Sill in the film, and the chupacabra is really impressive. So yeah, the uh, the old quadrupedal chupacabra, it's a dog with mange. The bipedal chupacabra seems to be exclusively explained by this this movie and people's feelings about United States colonialism in Puerto Rico, specifically the number of defense facilities and labs in the Yunque rainforest and their feelings that maybe something like this shit could come out of one of these US labs because... If the U.S. was developing a terrible creature that sucked the blood of people, it would absolutely do it in one of its colonial properties, right? Yes. That entirely makes sense. So this, this, in a sense, the chupacabra, according to Radford's theory, gives 
a physical manifestation of this feeling of disgust with the uh, with the United States. Um, I got a couple of other cryptids. Uh, I was going to talk very briefly about the Beast of Proctor Valley, and then I want to talk about the Curse of Bodhi, which is a curse, not a cryptid. Uh, but first, Robert, do you know which will, what will not ambush your livestock and rip its throat out? Um, I mean, like a, like a good sheepdog wouldn't do that. That's right, and that's why this episode is presented by Border Collies. Wow. Mm-hmm. Let's hear from we finally, Border Collies. We finally got the big deal with the Border Collie. Yeah, that's industrial right. Industrial complex. That's mm-hmm. good. Yep, just use uh, promo code uh, Robert Evans when you're buying your Border Collie for 10% off. Mm-hmm. Just walk up to a Border Collie and shout my name in its mm-hmm. face. Uh, try to grab its food away from it rapidly, too. That's a good way to get their attention. Mm-hmm. And uh, see what happens. Yep. Refuse to be herded. Yeah. See, see if it likes that. All right, we're back. I hope you've all got your Border Collies, because uh, this, this, next, this next cryptid is it's a little local one. Okay, so... They're encrypted a bit like the Chupacabra all across the country, but the one that we have closest to San Diego is called the Proctor Valley Beast. Um, now, to understand the Proctor Valley Beast, I think you've got to understand Proctor Valley. Proctor Valley is exactly the sort of dirt road that you go down when you're 16 years old, when you want to go somewhere with your date, pound a few beers, and get away from your parents, right? These kind of exist all over the country, all over the world, probably. And they're a little closer... They're close enough to know about, but far enough away to seem weird and distant, right? And Proctor Valley is a gravel road, and you, you can drive down it in a regular car, but it's pretty washboarded. There's no lights, there's no street lights, nothing like that, right? These days, your greatest danger when you're driving, uh, riding a bike or walking or driving down Proctor Valley Road is the Border Patrol absolutely hauling ass in, in one of their um, Ford Raptors, which they seem to have obtained. And, but, I, I will never understand their love for the Ford Raptor. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I don't know how much those cost, but it is an obscene amount of money to spend on a pickup it, truck. Well, it's also like, look, if I'm going to be out in the in the middle of nowhere and trusting an off-roading vehicle, my first pick is not going to be the Ford goddamn you, Raptor. Well, you've got to buy American, Robert. Yeah, but they're Border Patrol. Of course they're driving Fords. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Well, they always have a Predator drone hanging out. It can come rescue them. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Border Patrol and steroid abusers in my old neighborhood in West LA shaking hands over the Ford Raptor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ford Raptors with illegal tints. Yeah, Ford Raptors, the car you can only drive if you have adult onset acne caused as a result of injecting <laughs> hormones into your fucking thigh every night. Yeah, they sell a lot of them in LA, coincidentally. Yeah. I mean, well, you really need one for, you know, getting down Beverly Hills Boulevard. Not the good hormones, like the ones you, you steal from yeah. a horse's blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the... Uh... The hormones you take when you're uh, wanting to be more macho, but maybe yeah. not quite not quite achieving your gender insecurities. Okay, yeah. so legend has it that a young couple headed off down Proctor Valley Road one night, and uh, their car broke down. So the uh, young man gets out. This is a, a male female couple, and he's going to fix the car, right? And he says to the lady in a very chivalrous way that she should lock the door so she's safe, right? And that's the last she hears of him. So. She assumes he's gone off to get some help, and she nods off, right? She's got the doors locked, she's very safe, she nods off, and she's awoken by a kind of scratching sound, and the wind's howling. Every time the wind blows, there's a little scratch on the roof. Scratch, 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 right? And wind noise, I'm not going to do the wind noise. Uh, and she starts shitting herself, right? She's very scared now. Scratch, 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 wind, 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 scratch, scratch, scratch. And she stays there till sunshine when she's sun 
up when she's woken up by the good people of the San Diego Sheriff's Department. San Diego Sheriff's Department are shouting, they're pointing guns, they're doing their thing. Why are they doing that? Because her boyfriend is hanging upside down, dismembered from the tree above her, and his nails are catching the top of the car every time the wind blows him, right? He's been killed by the Proctor Valley Beast. Now, the Proctor Valley Beast is, is an animal of kind of nondescript shape and size. Uh, the, <laughs> in the 1970s, the local radio DJ organized a search for the Proctor Valley Beast, right? People went out at night. Previously, the Proctor Valley Beast, most of the stories, it kind of looked uh, like a kind of winged, bipedal, half-human goblin creature. <laughs> it changed in form in the 1970s when <laughs> people... Uh, conducting, like, it's this kind of a teen radio thing in the 1970s, right? People conducting this search reported finding a deranged cow. Uh, okay. Now, the, the cow was probably not deranged. You, the cow was just is, sleeping. Yeah, I, I've, I've known more cows than most people. I grew up on a cow farm. I've seen them behave in a variety of ways. I've never seen one appear deranged. Yeah, Sometimes they're moving very quickly. Sometimes they're scared. Sometimes they're sick. Deranged yeah. is an interesting, because mm -hmm. cows... Don't really have enough going on up there to be deranged. <laughs> That's because like, you, you didn't grow up in the United Kingdom in a certain period of time, Robert, when our cows became mad. Well, but that's still, I've I've seen cows that have uh, mad cow disease and they're yeah. like, they're ill, but they're, I don't know. Yeah, it's, they're, it's, they're it's not like, uh, <laughs> like yeah. Yeah, that's the noise. They're crazy not like cow, forgetting the name of their eldest daughter as <laughs> yeah, they yeah, like as yeah, they yeah. as they lose their way home, <laughs> going on violent rampages. They're uh, not asking where their husband, who died twenty three years ago, is when they wake <laughs> yeah, up yeah, in yeah. the middle of the night. Yeah. Anyway, a, a senile cow. They have to go and yeah. live on. They, they go and live on a farm when they get all the cows. That's why you haven't seen him, Robert. I sure do like that young Ronald Reagan. <laughs> That's a, that's, a, that's my yeah, cowboys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They uh, they they get they get old. They forget things. They vote for Donald Trump. They do a yep. fascism. That's what happens to cows. It's the only ways cows can die. Uh, mm -hmm. Otherwise, they live very happy and fulfilled lives in the countryside. So why do why do we have this Proctor Valley beast? Right? Why is there a mad cow that murdered a young man who was uh, was out late nights with a young woman? No one no one knows who this young man is. Right? I did. To try my best to find reports of any murders in Proctor Valley. Uh, and of course, it won't surprise you to learn that we have, in fact, discovered dead bodies in Proctor Valley because, unfortunately, Proctor Valley is just a few miles from the border. Um, ah, right? yes, well. And uh, I've spent quite a lot of time out in that area. And the, the, unfortunately, the people that we are finding dead in Proctor Valley haven't been killed by a deranged cow or a bipedal beast, but in fact, by the elements, right? It's people trying to cross the border and find a better life for themselves and not making it as far as the dirt road, which leads to a small town, which leads to a big road, which leads to a big town that is um, close to there. And so what the Proctor Valley Beast is a myth that serves to tell kids to not drive down dirt roads late at night on their own, right? It's Do it's it, a, kids. Fuck your parents. Yeah, absolutely. Fucking send it. Uh, <laughs> your Miata uh, can handle it. Get off road. <laughs> yeah. Do some drifting. What's the worst that could happen? Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe if you're out there, take a gallon of water. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, maybe, maybe I'm not going to say that because that might be a crime. Uh, yeah, we can cut that. But I was going to say a handgun with a single bullet in case you get stuck off road. Mm -hmm. A silver bullet. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and a nail to hit it with. So the last, uh, the last curse I want to get to is the curse of Bodie State Historic Park. Uh, mm. do, you know, do you know where that is, Robert? No, when you said Bodie, I thought immediately about the movie Point Break. Okay, haven't seen it. Oh, well, that's 
Okay. Yeah, Garrison, you seen it? No, oh, you haven't seen Point Break. Oh, sorry, Garrison. I forgot. This is this you've is, seen this, Point Break. This is an audio medium. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's um, right. Yeah. I can't shake yeah. my head. No, no, I have not seen Point Break. You haven't seen Point Break? No. Oh my god. No. Oh my god. I, okay. I only watched the filmmaker's yep. previous far superior <laughs> film that will not be named. Uh huh. <laughs> this is okay. a joke that like one person will get who's yeah. listening. Well, we're gonna yeah. have to watch Point Break, but there's a guy named Bodie on it, and he is kind of a cryptid. Ah, oh, interesting. So there. Bodhi has a bit of a problem, right? Bodhi is an abandoned... He did. He was robbing all those those banks. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, this story does involve some robbing. Oh, good. Yeah. But I have a bit of theft on the podcast. So what happened to Bodhi is... Bodhi's got a problem, right? Bodhi has a problem specifically with mail. Because almost every week when the rangers from Bodhi travel uh, into town to get the mail, they have to collect half a dozen or so little packages containing little things like rocks... Pieces of wood, fragments of pottery, or coins. And all of those little packages have letters attached to them. And I'm going to read from some of those letters. Please find enclosed one weather-beaten old shoe. The shoe was removed from Bodhi during the months of August 1978. My trail of misfortune is so long and depressing it can't be listed here. Another one. You can have these godforsaken rocks back. I've never had so much rotten luck in my life. Please forgive me for ever testing the curse of Bodhi. Okay. So what we got here, what we got here is a curse, right? Just yes. a good old fashioned, if you steal something from the town, the town will come back and hurt you, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Bodhi popped up in the late 19th century gold rush, right? It's in between uh, Mono Lake and Lake Tahoe. They did, it's, it's named after a gold prospector. Uh, there was some gold found there. In fact, at its height, Bodhi hosted around 10,000 people, right? And for those 10,000 people, there were 60 saloons, which is a pretty good ratio. There's multiple documented gunfights on the main street, but it seems like your stereotypical Wild West town. But after the gold rush was over, it wasn't such a great place to live. So people abandoned it. And it's now managed by the California Park Service, right? And the California Park Service curates this ghost town in arrested decay so that people can come and see this little slice of history. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot we can learn from these like these places that have been abandoned, right? We can learn a lot about the history of everyday life. Like, oh, well, what things did people have in their kitchen? Why with this next to that? Why is there a knife here? Why is why are the beer bottles kept here? There's a lot that historians could learn over time that they might not find initially. So it's important to keep these things in uh, in really pristine condition, right? The problem that they had was once they opened the park. You could just walk around town, right? It's not like a museum. There aren't little little ropes. There aren't plexiglass dividers keeping you away from stuff. And people took that as an invitation to steal shit. And steal shit they did. So uh, the a park ranger, who I cannot find the name of anywhere, uh, but at some point, a park ranger giving the walking tours around Bodhi started telling people about this legendary curse. And this curse... He said, made it so that anyone who took anything from Bodhi would be pursued by bad luck for the rest of their life. Didn't really think anything about it, just didn't want people to steal shit, right? And as a result, hundreds of people who had stolen things from Bodhi started returning them in the mail, right? They're blaming everything from cellulitis, cancer, failed relationships on on the thing that they stole from Bodhi. Uh, Now, this would just be funny if it wasn't for the fact that every single one of these items has been stolen from a protected site, 
right? So yes. The park service has now set itself up with this huge administrative burden, which is reporting a theft for every single shoe or piece of glass or button that's stolen from Bodhi. So it's taking up a huge inordinate amount of their time, and they no longer will speak. Uh, I've, I've tried to reach out. I didn't get a response. I did, I did drop them a, a Facebook message on their page uh, trying, to, trying to talk to someone about this, but they no longer talk about the curse because it's created such a burden for them. Uh, filing police reports on all these broken buttons. See, which... this is the actual curse that they did themselves. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, this is yeah. this is how most curses actually work. Is that you just actually like the effect is what you turn the thing into, and now you're forced to do all these police reports, and that's the actual effect of the curse. Yeah, I, I think it's wonderful. I think it's great that they made this this rod for their own back. Uh, you know, you know what won't curse you with cancer or cellulitis, Garrison. I cannot. I we, yeah. Oh. There's there's a lot of weird stuff that I've heard. Ex, Exxon yeah, Mobil yeah. will give you cancer. So. Yeah. Well, the gold that we're about to plug. Uh, That's totally totally safe. You can huff that gold. Mm-hmm. You can melt it down. Dip your hand in. Get a gold plated hand. Totally fine. So mm-hmm. yeah. Lick it. Lick it. Bop it. You missed that too, Garrison. Sure. It's a shame. No. Bop it. Bop yeah, it was incredibly popular when I was a kid. Okay. okay. It was okay. like everywhere. All right, we're back, and having all received our little bags of gold for that plug. We I did. Wanted, yep. I have mine right here. I like to uh, keep it with me in case the shit hits the fan. I've wow. buried I've buried mine in the middle of the Oregon desert. Smart. I've buried yep. a couple of things in the middle of the Oregon desert. Mm-hmm. None of them gold. Well, that was that really Bigfoot. depends on your definition of gold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bigfoot's armpit is what you buried out and there. You're, definition of that guy i started a barbershop anyway whatever continue yep. okay yeah yeah we don't need to talk about that on the podcast thanks for editing that out daniel we don't want any more yeah. Rob, robert's felonies on on maine uh, so, it's only a felony if the police find the body mm-hmm, that's true but maybe you could uh put, put some shit out there about a curse related to the body yeah curses mm-hmm. for yep. sure uh-huh. oh, give it some mange yeah and then stuff it so why why do we have curses encrypted? Uh, obviously, partly because it's just fucking fun, uh, and partly be- because uh, some of our beliefs, right? Like if we if we look at Durkheim and what Durkheim thought religion was, like religion is kind of an an outgrowth of society that unites people based on a moral code, right? And uh, functionalists, more broadly in, in sociology, believe that these beliefs serve a function in society, and I think a lot of these things help us explain things that we can't otherwise explain or give a more palatable explanation for things that we don't care to explain, right? Or things. Um, And like in, in nearly all of these cases, there are things that rip children away from their mothers, right? There's another Mexican uh, like shape-shifting witch uh, that rips children away from their mothers, right? Uh, Unfortunately, there are things that rip children away from their mothers uh, and your taxpayer dollars pay for them, right? But it, it, it works a little better to explain things that, that, we don't, that don't fit with our other systems of belief through... Like, if, if we fundamentally believe, right, that, that, I know that, that the world is good and capitalism is wonderful and that gradually things will trickle down so that everyone gets richer if the rich get richer first, it, it can become very hard to explain the state of the world unless you are a member of the Conservative and Unionist Party of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, of course. And so instead, we create these external things, right? 
um, these things that go bump in the night. So sometimes they can be a proxy for external forces, right? Uh, the chupacabra, in a way, kind of explains as we get closer to nature and nature pushes back on us a little bit that why that happens, right? Rather than just saying, oh, fuck, we've given all these coyotes mange. How, how on earth are we in a, in a state where there's a blue dog walking around? The, uh, the chupacabra also serves as a way to kind of personify for people in Puerto Rico, either consciously or unconsciously, that the terrible impact of United States colonialism there, right? Which it's not very hard to see. Um, even the, the Proctor Valley Beast, right? That says, stay away from this dark road near the border late at night. Uh, there are reasons to stay away from there, but unfortunately there are, there are also reasons to go there and, and, and try and help people who are genuinely suffering. And lots of people I know go and, go and leave water out there. So uh, these curses, uh, they're kind of like credit scores, right? They're not real, but they can sometimes ruin your life. Um, and so sometimes it's just easier to pretend that that it, it's magic doing that rather than this overarching global system, which is not very nice. And that's kind of where I want to finish up, I guess, is this, these are ways to explain things that we can't always explain. And that, that's sometimes okay, because sometimes it, it, it can be hard to f confront these things. You got anything yep. else you want to say about cryptids, Robert? I don't know. Um, I think if you're in an industry that's adjacent to illegal drugs and you murder someone in the woods, it's mm -hmm. probably a good idea to blame it on Bigfoot. So that would be my advice for our listeners is to blame your crimes on Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you guys believe in Bigfoot? Let's let's end by talking about that. Like, like actually like Actual believe Bigfoot? in the sure. a, a physical ape-like yes. thing that's been well, thusly undiscovered that roams in Some forests. people say ape-like garrison. Primate, I think, doesn't necessarily mean ape-like. Yeah. Sure, I, I sure, primate. Uh, probably maybe no, Australopithecus. Not, and I, 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 do, I do, do, not, do not think that there's a physical one exists. Now, I think, like we've mentioned before, like the words, you know, you can say like a curse isn't real, but it can still have effects based on how we talk about it and how like we can kind of make it real by our own actions and same thing. Like mm -hmm. I, I don't think Bigfoot, the primate exists, but as a cultural symbol that has impact, it base it is real in some way. Um, but it's not like, it's not like yeah, a physically I would agree with you, except for, I would say it is real in a physical way. Um, and, uh, have you seen I a Bigfoot, Robert? Are you gonna? Is this is this where you drop in your Bigfoot? Yeah, I, I actually, I actually have. Um, okay. I've seen a couple. I've seen a couple of, of large animals out in the woods. Uh, I have seen weird stuff in the is. woods. Mm -hmm. I don't think I, I'm not comfortable calling it Bigfoot. But well, I, I am. We, weird, weird things in the woods. Certainly, certainly. Yeah, I've seen a lot of weird things in the woods, and all of them were Bigfoot, as far as anyone <laughs> okay. has ever talked. Okay. As anyone has ever been able to convince me. Um, <laughs> And you know, when you get right down to it, isn't that what Christmas is all about? Yes, ha happy Halloween and maybe Happy Christmas. Halloween, everybody. <laughs> yeah.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, oh no, there's that monster coming to kill me. 
with his fentanyl knife. Ah, ah, it got me. Ah, what a bummer. Welcome to this is, welcome to Spooky Week, where we talk about all of the scariest things. A podcast with foreshadowing. That is foreshadowing. That's yeah. right. Where Deputy Garrison Davis just overdosed on fentanyl by being near it, and will now yeah. consume seventeen Narcans. Yep. It was very scary. Thank you. Very, for your very, sense. very spooky. Yeah. Uh it's good. It's good to. It's good to be. It's good to be back with Spooky Week. All right. So. This episode, uh, I believe Chris has something yeah, very yeah, special is... prepared for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this, this today we, we are talking about one of the, the, the most immediately recognizable and enduring symbols of Halloween, and one of the things that I've had to spend the most time cropping out of party invitations when I was sending them Trans to like, kids girls in high school. Pumpkins. Oh, what? no, we're talking about other iconic Halloween imagery. Okay. No, no. Yeah, well, this is the one, like, like specifically, I had to spend a lot of time cropping this out of... Uh, I fucking like party invitations to people because if like you're you're in you're in your like fucking shitty christian suburb and if you send a kid home with an invitation that has a that has a black cat on it uh black their cat. parents will pull them out of public school because of the, like the rising threat of satanism <laughs> better to stick to the uh the tried and true you know like put the unabomber on it or something yeah you got you got a <laughs> Lots of nice stars. You can put some crosses on it instead. Yeah. <laughs> I, but like oh. a cornucopia, make sure it's like called like a harvest festival or some bullshit. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, harvest festival. Yeah, no, come to my <laughs> fucking pentagram party or your party suck. So yeah, we're we're talking about the black cat. Um, and ironically, the black cat's association with witchcraft is actually this is the Catholic Church's fault, as are many as things. So, most <laughs> the, things. Yes. The only bad thing they've ever done. They even created Protestantism. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real issue. So yeah. true. Yeah. So, okay, so Pope, Pope Gregory the Ninth, uh, may, may cats eternally feast on his soul, uh, took took office of the Pope in 1227. And six years later, in, in, it's in, in 1233, he issued his first papal bull. Just, this, is, this bull is called Vox in Rama, and Vox in Rama is essentially, like, it's a giant anti-witchcraft bull that is designed to, like... Okay, okay. What do you mean by bowl? Like people, people bowls are these like orders basically that are like declared by the Pope and they turn into sort of like they 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 have this sort of legal status that they're they're they 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 determine okay. what sort of church doctrine and church positions good. It's it's basically okay. like it's it's like an, it's like the it's, 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 it's like an executive order for the Pope. Okay, all right, yeah. and they can just do this, and so they they do this a lot, and yeah, this this is the sort of anti witchcraft one because he's trying to rally support for like stamping out a bunch of heretics in. Uh, Germany for the crime of like not believing in Catholic doctrine and giving all of their money to the Pope. So this bull like directly links cats to satanic rituals. There's this whole thing about like half cat, like half people. Oh, things I wish. That are supposed to be there. Oh, I, I the wish. Yeah, this is, bull. This we is, are. This is what, <laughs> we are back to iconic trans girl Halloween imagery. We full, yeah. full circled. There are no new moral panics. This is a fucking furry <laughs> panic in like twelve thirty three. It's it's amazing. It's great. Uh, Cat girls kill God. Yeah, unfortunately, the product of this is that you know, like this, 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 this. From here, it's, it's off to the races, right? Black cats have become associated with witchcraft, and then sort of in general with bad luck, and you get this whole sort of like you know, crossing a black cat, like bringing bad luck, and, and this has really sort of devastating real world effect on cats. Like there are sort of there are like it is, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, like I mean, like it, like throughout Europe, like from this point on, like periodically there were just mass killings of cats in Europe. 
Yep. Because, like, oh. these people are fucking barbarians and savages who, like, should never have been allowed to, like, leave their stone huts. Um, when, when I was getting, a, few, a while ago, when I was getting some childhood cats, we were talking to the cat agency, and we learned that they don't allow people to adopt black cats during October because people either buy them as props and then, like, get rid of them or just, like, abuse them. Um, it's it sucks. It's like an yeah. actual problem. Yeah, Absolute and, and filth. Are we gonna get to the Great Cat Massacre? No. What is the uh, Great okay. Cat Massacre? Uh, the Great that sounds cat- like that yeah. sounds like a sequel to that to that mouse Sherlock Holmes movie that Disney made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the extremely dark version. Yeah. Uh, no, the Great Cat Massacre is a book by Robert Danton. It's like a uh, it, it it's a very like if you're doing a history graduate degree. And you're reading like these sort of histories of everyday life or like uh, histories of popular laughter. You will read the Great Cat Massacre, and uh, he details how like basically in France, I can't, can't remember when, but uh, these printers' apprentices were like the, the apprentices lived with the printer, right? And the printer's wife also had a bunch of cats, which she cared for much better than the apprentices. Uh, so they, they got mad and started doing cat murders. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> They put the cats on trial and convicted them of witchcraft. Wait, wait. So this was like <laughs> this was like judicial murder. Yes. Yeah. yeah they sentenced the cats to uh, like death by. Ha- I think they hung them or something. Holy oh my god! Shit. Did yeah, the cats they- have like a defense attorney? Like what is? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a, a witchcraft. Well, no, you're supposed you're supposed to have an advocate at a witchcraft trial. So one would hope, but unfortunately, the but my guess though is that if you're probably going to get another cat. Which is like not a great defense yeah. attorney. No, they don't give yeah. a single fuck. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. They could they could really fuck up your face or something if they just you know went uh, claws out. I don't know if the cats had a defense attorney. That's an excellent question. Uh, if someone's read it more recently than me, <laughs> this, this this is reminding me of that that great poster someone took from a vet's office that was like fighting cats. It's like don't fight fair, use drugs. <laughs> great yeah. one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, but you know, okay. My piece of advice to you is don't fight fair. Yeah, use drugs. Use drugs. Yeah, it's great. It's, 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 good, it's, it's, good, it's good general advice. Mm-hmm. And put them in your Halloween uh, sweets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, foreshadowing. Yeah. So uh, according to a study from the journal Animals, uh, black cats have the highest rate of euthanasia in shelters and have lower rates of adoption, like have the lowest rate of adoption among all fur colors, which is like extremely fucked up. And it's also like... The number of cats that we euthanize every year is just so bleak. It's very sad. Yeah, so yeah. fuck the Catholic Church. This is their fault somehow. However, comma, for millions of people across space and time, the black cat has meant something else entirely. This black cat, with its fur raised and back arched, is the bringer of the class war, the herald of the new world, and its name is Sabotage. And okay, so it's be- a Beastie Boys song about it. Yeah, and be- before 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 we get into how the Sabo Tabby or the Sabo Kitty became associated with sabotage, we have to talk about what sabotage actually is. And the reason we have to do this is because sabotage, like, does not mean the same thing now as it did when the term was coined. So if if you look at sort of the modern definition of sabotage, it's it's almost entirely focused around sort of the physical destruction of property. Like here's here's Merriam Webster's definition, for example. Destruction of employers' property, such as tools or materials, or the hindering of manufacturing by discontented workers. Two, destruction or obstructive action carried on by a civilian or enemy agent to hinder a nation's war efforts. 
and okay, so part part of the reason why sabot why everyone thinks about sabotage as sort of like a physical act of destruction it has to do with the sort of folk etymology of you know where the word sabotage came from, which is supposedly dates back to these like early eighteen hundred French workers throwing these wooden shoes called sabots into like machines to break them. And the problem is that this sort of just isn't true. Um, like the, 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 there, there's no direct evidence that anyone sabotaged machines by throwing your shoes into them, which seems like a kind of in a, a kind of inefficient way. Just grab a stick, right? Like you, you need your shoes to walk on. Yeah. And and the other thing is that sabotage. These are the only... people who put cats on trial. They weren't always thinking in straight lines. Uh, that's true. Well, this this is the 1800s, so hopefully, hopefully, we're slightly past the cat trials, but. What's interesting about this is the, the other thing about this. Okay, like sabotage, like is a French word, right? The, the French shoot the word for the shoe is sabot. Like it doesn't start up until like the late eighteen hundreds. It literally just means someone who like it means to make a wooden shoe. <laughs> okay, but it turns out it's actually its actual origin is is more interesting. Than this um the term sabotage as you know like the, the sort of like worker action was invented by the French anarchist Emile Pigot. Fugot, Fugay, I don't, it's P-O-U-G-E-T, it I don't know how to pronounce not, that. It does I, not matter, no one cares. Pouché, I think. Pouché, I, I, sure, I don't know, he's sure. French. Sure, okay, yeah. I, okay, it's, I, I, I feel slightly, language, it's fine. I, I feel slightly bad because he's one of the few good Frenchmen. Him, <laughs> some, some, him, uh, him and, controversial him, statement. Him and Foucault, the only flawless yeah, Frenchman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Emile Pigot is like, he's a, Okay, uh, I've just looked this guy's I, I'm just face gonna, up. This guy's extremely French. Yeah, really? but he's also he 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 is he is in the he's in the period of French cool, which is to say he is, um, he he is, he is an he is an anarchist, he is a syndicalist, he is okay, doing yeah, all, all right. of the shit, um, and he, like he invents the term sabotage as part of this report to the CGT's, uh, eighteen seventy nine conference in some city whose name I can't remember. So the CGTs are is a really weird union. It means CGT means like the, the General Confederation of Labor. Of workers basically um actually it's really funny because 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 of how similar like french spanish and portuguese are there were like sixteen thousand unions across like 12 countries <laughs> that are named the cgt it's it's, it's 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 they're all either the cgt or the ugc because they're all just like confederacion general trabajadores or something yeah so the, the French CGT is like a very very weird union. They're, they're they're like they're the only union I've ever seen that has at various points been an anarchist union, a communist union, a liberal union, and a social democratic union. And it also like the the, the thing they're famous for sort of now is the fact that they sat out like every revolution that's ever happened in France. Like they're 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 probably most famous for like telling people to like ba- basically signing a pact with the government and trying to get people like to go back to work when May sixty eight was happening. <laughs> And you know, and the, the, the interesting about like the, the CGT, the CGT is still around today. They have like seven hundred thousand members or something. Like they're they're they're, they're 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 the second largest union in France. And I don't know. The, the, it's interesting. Though so they'll go on strike for like pension stuff, but they won't go on strike to like abolish the class system. Is sort of how I put it. But in in the late eighteen hundreds and early nineteen hundreds, they are a very very radical syndicalist union. And Emile Pigot, who again like. Like, anarchist par excellence is, like, their vice secretary. So, Pigot, like, invents, he invents the word sabotage as a way of translating basically the Scottish term that I, okay, I apologize for my Scottish pronunciation. I don't, I genuinely don't really have any problems with Scottish people. Uh, I I think the term is go connie. 
basically, which means go slow. Um, here's Pago from his pamphlet Sabotage. That's um, like his explanation of like what's going on here. The, the first part of it's him quoting a, a British pamphlet. That's about what uh, Gokani is. If you want to buy a hat worth $2, you must pay $2. If you want to spend only $1.50, you must be satisfied with an inferior quality. A hat is a commodity. If you want to buy a dozen of... Sh- a, why is it a dozen of shirts? Okay, I don't know. The, the, pe- people wrote weird in the early 1900s. If you want to buy half a dozen shirts at 50 cents each, you must pay $3. If you only spend $2.50, you can only have five shirts. Now, the boss declares that... Labor and skill are nothing but commodities, like hats and shirts. Very well, we answer, we'll take you at your word. If labor and skill are commodities, their owners have the right to sell them like the hat seller sells hats and the haberdasher sells shirts. These merchants must give a certain value in exchange for an equivalent value. For a lower price, you will have an article of either lower quality or smaller quantity. Give the worker a fair wage and he will furnish you with his best labor at its highest skill. On the other hand, give the worker an insufficient wage and you forfeit the right to demand the best and most of his labor, any more than you can demand a $2 hat for $1. The Gokani consists, then, in systematically applying the formula bad wages, bad labor. <laughs> so, yeah, basically what this is, is like, it, 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 it's, it's, uh, Gokani is like, it's, it's, it's a kind of strike where... It's it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a slowdown or there's another kind of striker's name I'm forgetting right now where it's like you 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 like exactly follow the rules work to rule yeah yeah this, it's it's kind of like a work to rule strike but it's basically like okay so you're not being paid enough so you just intentionally work really shittily <laughs> and yeah. you just and just keep working slowly and badly until bosses pay you more and so th- th- this had been a big thing in in Britain and Pigot like sees this and he writes basically like a, a paper like recommending that the CGT starts using this as a tactic. But he's, tr- he's tr- trying to find a French word for it and he's like, I don't know how to translate this. And so what he thinks of is there, there's this sort of like, well, OK, so here's where it gets messy because it's like there's like a couple versions of the story. One version of it is like work as if you're being like hit with a wooden shoe. <laughs> So true. I wake up every yeah. morning and turn on my <laughs> right. podcasting mic, and yeah. a clog just f- flies yeah. in through my window and smacks that's me in the it. face. That's why Sophie. Uh, that's why Sophie had to move. Yeah, to get there's, in with the shoe. There's there's these there's these slingshots set up outside my windows that launch these clogs right at my face every morning. Hilariously, yeah. hilariously, we are going to come back to slingshots in uh, oh maybe best. twenty minutes. Oh. <laughs> So there's this thing in France, like, so people, people with wooden shoes basically generally are like peasants, right? They're people from rural areas. And there's this whole sort of stereotype in France that like in this period and like through the, through the 1800s, that's like, there's like these people with their wooden shoes and they're like peasants and they're like ignorant and they're bad at working. And like, and so ba- basically what Bago is the other thing, the other theory of what's happening here is he's, he's doing, he's like reversing this thing, right? He's like, well, okay, here's this, here's this like stereotype of like workers working badly and he's like, okay, no, what what if we did this on purpose? Like, what what if we were intentionally <laughs> just lazy? And it, it, it's important to note that, like, and Pagot does this in, in his writing, that, like, so he invents the word sabotage, but, like, he sure as hell didn't invent the content of sabotage. Uh, here, here, here's from the pamphlet Sabotage again. Sabotage is a form of revolt, is as old as human exploitation. Since the day man had the criminal ability to profit by another man's labor, since that very same day, the exploited to- the exploited toiler has instinctively tried to give his master less than what was demanded from him. 
In this way, the worker was unconsciously doing sabotage, demonstrating in an indirect way the irrepressible antagonism that arrays capital and labor against one another. Okay, I'm, I'm, I, have to, I have to do a call-out post on poor, poor Get, poor Guy, whatever. Um, that was very sexist. He said every man. Uh, that's true. That's not. Mm. Women should also be forced to work. Um, non-binary people should be forced to work um, eight hours a day, hopefully more. So mm -hmm. the fact that he's just making men work is a little sexist. Garrison doing a Hillary Clinton there. <laughs> <laughs> doing a Glenn Greenwald there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Love to see it. No. Ah, weirdly, weirdly, I in terms of in terms of canceling a Frenchman, a French dude for sexism, like. <laughs> Pretty mild, not gonna lie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Least problematic Frenchman. <laughs> don't, don't, he, he probably did do something horrible. I just didn't see it when I was reading about it. But you know, such is su such is the, the 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 guy who invents sabotage. Um. So okay, so we have sabotage as like you know, and, and this is an interesting thing about this, right? When 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 Pigot is first like defining the word, right? Like he literally is just talking about like labor slowdowns, right? And. But, you know, very quickly, sabotage comes to mean other things. Yeah, and like throwing he bombs. Here's, yeah, so, so here, mm -hmm. here's again from this same pamphlet. He's quoting the this, this secretary of a, of a railway union who's, like, on strike for the right to unionize. And this, this is what the fucking railway union secretary guys says. With two cents worth of a certain ingredient utilized in a peculiar way, he declared, it will be easy for the railway men to put the locomotive in such conditions as to make it <laughs> impossible to run them. Yes. Which uh, fucking absolute, absolutely based 1870s uh, yep. French railroad union secretary. Ah, uh, it's great stuff. It's actually funny because like, so he's she's just like out there just like saying this, and like every modern union has like a giant disclaimer in their thing saying like we do not we endorse are, the destruction of machines. So, like we do not do crimes. We yeah, are not crime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah, the fucking based French guys like no 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 no. Like we we are actively threatening you to destroy like every locomotive in France if you do not let us form this union. This is why <laughs> as, this is why my organizing with the iHeart Union is solely based on us planning future terrorist attacks. Yeah. If, we don't, if, if we don't get our way, the Hollywood sign will never, never be the same again. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I've well, already poured sugar into the uh, gas tank of my podcast recorder. Great. That's going to work out perfect. Unfortunately, the gas tank of the podcast is like my stomach. So we're kind of... It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's just that's, as effective as actually yep. pouring sugar into things. Yeah, yeah. That's, right. that's why I'm hiding under your bed with a funnel right now. Some sugar. On the other hand, Garrison, do you know what else will put locomotives in such a condition that will make it impossible for them to run? Uh, the... Is this an ad break? Is this yes. This okay. is an ad break. <laughs> uh, uh, dynamite. Uh, the the products and services that support this podcast. There. Yeah. Are the, the fucking the the rail, the rail companies are making the trains not be able to work. The trains are too long. They are too long. Okay. <laughs> dynamite. The answer is dynamite. And we're back. Okay. So and, and from from here, the definition of sabotage starts to sort of expand. Um. Very rapidly. Uh, here, here's from the IWW in 1913 about what sabotage is. Oh, God. Sab is, oh, boy. I'm, I'm, I'm so curious. Sabotage is, a, is, sabotage is a destruction of profits to gain a definite revolutionary economic end 
It has many forms. It may mean damaging the raw materials is de- uh, destined for a scab factory or shop. It may mean spoiling. It may mean the spoiling of a finished product. It may mean the displacement of parts of machinery or the disarrangement of a whole machine, where that machine is the one upon which other machines are dependent for material. It may mean working slow. It may mean poor work. It may mean missending packages, giving overweight to consumers, pointing out defects in goods, using the best material <laughs> where the employer uh, desires an alteration, and also the telling of trade secrets. In fact, it has as many variations as there are lines of work. This is this is so fascinating because sabotage definitely now is way more associated with like Earth First, like ELF tactics. And this is like very labor focused. Like sabotage is done yeah. by the people who are working at the factory or place of production on the products that they're working on. It's it, it's that that is ex- extremely fascinating. Yeah, and 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 I think there's another thing too, right? Because like there there is the sort of physical aspect of it, but again, like th- this was created as like like a, a, as a term of sort of like like anarchy like specifically like syndicalist political struggle right yeah and, and as that term like it's a lot of what they're talking about when people talk about sabotage is just like strikes and like labor slowdowns yeah. and that that part of the connotation of sabotage has just like completely faded and yeah no. we're gonna get into yeah, right. sort of like how that happens and, like, it's, and bit, it's so based but, on addressing actual material changes as opposed yeah. to like a lot of sabotage now is almost like performative like even like even like elf type stuff it does it it does get a thing done like yes this thing did burn down but they're gonna build another one it's it's all it's obviously it's it's for kind of like spectacles built into what the actual goal is and for this kind of stuff it's actually it's about like it's more like improving labor conditions and like there's a lot of this that is this that is specifically designed not to be no, like very noticeable like i mean there's, there's a very common thing you get yeah. trucker strikes like in the U.S., even even like sort of like conservative trucker strikes will do this thing where like, okay, so the truckers will go on strike and then they'll hang like they basically like hang like fragments of metal and shit from like the top of overpasses so that if you drive another truck under it, it'll like fuck up the top of the truck. And that's like that's kind of stuff isn't like it's not designed it's specifically not designed to be public, right? It's designed to be something that like okay, like it's 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 about like directly materially hurting the bosses. Yeah, yeah, over like right. a long period of time, not just like yeah. one like single action. You do it and I'm, you run away and hope to ne- and hope to never be caught. It's like no, yeah. I'm just gonna work slowly for two years yeah. and cost <laughs> my boss like thousands of dollars in profit. I mean, there, there, there's some, there's something like the, okay. So I, I I guess I'll talk about it here. So I, I've been I've been doing the, some episodes next week are going to be about Lula, who's like the sort of like great uh like originally labor leader and uh turned sort of like why am i blanking yeah. on the name of friend the of the people of haiti yeah we're gonna get to that <laughs> <laughs> that's what he turned into there's nothing else yeah yeah no but yeah he, he, so he's a former president of brazil may be the next president of brazil also maybe but, you know he he he, ha- <laughs> he has this interesting sort of like he does a bunch of labor organizing under the military dictatorship, and he has this really interesting line because during the military dictatorship in Brazil, there's a bunch of these sort of like, like underground leftist paramilitary groups, and like like his brother gets like arrested by the military and tortured horribly, and he has this really interesting line about that talking about these clandestine groups, which is like, okay, like if, if like if you guys had like talked to like the two thousand people who work in this factory. Instead of doing this completely clandestinely and not even telling your own family that you're a communist, like maybe if you talk to people, like they couldn't have grabbed you off the street, 
and just like arrest like and just like disappeared you overnight because there would have been people there. Yeah. And and that and that's that's the thing like the, the, all of this stuff like this kind of sabotage relies on like you and like everyone else around you also doing the thing and that makes it like harder to crack down on because you just you you know you sort of, you have critical mass. And yeah, and, and that's something that I think is is very different from sort of modern sabotage which is yeah, based on these sort of like either either like okay we're doing this and we're gonna get arrested or it's like here is like a secret cell in like the woods in oregon and (laughs) and no no, none of the people none of the people in this group will ever see each other again after they like spike this tree (laughs) i wonder if it has its roots in like um i don't know when these like sabo people in france existed but like in britain we have the luddites at around a similar time who are sometimes seen as one of the original like trade unions right who would um sure break break boilers in the industrial revolution yeah basically like, yeah britain still incidentally uh makes it a capital crime to destroy a boiler or like to break a <laughs> really? boiler. yeah holy shit well it's a way of break because what the like the ned ludd is just like fictional leader of the luddites right like this giant general who's supposed to come and they were like oh it was ned ludd mate i don't think about it what you're talking about Uh, like they made it a capital triumph to try but to try and break up specifically that right to what what, like chris is talking about like like it's obviously like personifying the forces of labor as as a giant general is not something that, that continued throughout space and time but that solidarity where where like someone in the factory fucked up the boiler Everyone in the factory has something to gain from fucking up the boiler. So as long as we don't tell anyone, the boiler stays fucked up. Yeah, and I was just saying, like, Pigot actually like specifically writes about. Well, he's writing about the, the stuff, the the stuff in the nineteen thirty, like the late eighteen uh, thirties. But like, he specifically writes about like the, the, the that that kind of labor struggle in Britain as like one of the th- yeah. as one of the sort of like forebearers. Yeah, like the Chartists and the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Chartists um, are great. We should do a thing on them. Yeah, but so this stuff is sort of like yeah, the, 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 a lot a lot of this stuff is people is people in the eighteen like the eighteen nineties and like early nineteen hundreds like looking back on those groups. Yeah, and okay, so I I, I want to sort of pivot a little bit, which is okay. So we've mentioned the IWW, um, and the IWW are the people who are basically like responsible for associating sabotage with the black cat, and it, it's sort of unclear how this happens, um. Here's how the modern IWW talks about in 2011. It, which is like the sort of like sabotage cat picture. It was probably conceived by IWW member Ralph Chaplin, most famous for penning the IWW labor anthem Solidarity Forever, who produced many of the IWW's early silent agitator graphics, which themselves had close association with hobo signs described elsewhere in this gallery of IWW culture. I'll cut that part. Although today the cat has a general association with the IWW, sometimes even as its mascot, its original purpose was as a code or symbol for direct action at the point of production, specifically sabotage. Indeed, the cat may have been, may even have been chosen due to the convenient wordplay sabotabby, possibly even a direct inspiration from Mel Blanc's characterization of Bugs Bunny often, uh, Bugs Bunny's often mispronounced sabotage. Sabotage. Oh, Bugs Bunny really should be as like. An anarchist, an anarchist sabotage <laughs> icon. Though, <laughs> yeah. so, as described in the section on sabotage, it must be emphasized that the latter did not mean destruction of machinery or equipment. Although, I, I, I really think that's partially like the, the modern IWW being like, "Hey, don't sue us." Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, the, this, this is the thing with the, the old IWW. It's like you'll, you'll get, you'll get like statements from IWW leaders who are like. 
uh we i uh, we're, we're not the guy we don't like our, our strikers aren't the people who break machines there's another group of people <laughs> yeah. who are like here also but who are not yeah. us who are not us who are doing who are destroying all yeah. these things <laughs> i i never do crimes it's great no. stuff o- o- only my identical twin harrison does crime <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a bad uh, it's a- twin it's amazing how many symbols of industrial labor come from the Wobblies. Like, the raised fist also comes from the IWW, right? Like, it's incredible, this global impact. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I think there's a, there's a reason for this, which is that, like, okay, if, 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 you're, if you are a capitalist in the early 1900s, like, this cat is the spookiest shit you've ever seen. Like, <laughs> it, it, like, it is terrifying. Like, they are, like, groups of Wobblies will, like, try to step off a boat and people will, and like the like sheriffs will just immediately start shooting them. Oh, yeah. Like it is I, th- to this day. I think I think the IWW is the only leftist group in the history of the U.S. outside of Puerto Rico that has ever taken an American city, which they did <laughs> in the. Uh, I it was, it was a very small town on the border, but they 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 actually successfully took American cities like during, during the Mexican Revolution. Um, and Blair Mountain maybe the uh, United Mine. Well, they they didn't actually like that's the thing though they they didn't actually like fully like drive drive out like. Okay. Yeah, true. Yeah, like like they like the the, the, the IWW like actually fully like took over these towns and was like who are the fucking running this now. But you know, but what the, this thing that starts happening here is you, you get like like people are really desperate. Like there's still there's a bunch of houses like there's a bunch of like old mansions from this period like late 1800s early 1900s like in Chicago that are are all built in a line in one street and the reason they were all built that way was because uh they they wanted to be on on the road to on the road to the fucking nearest military base so that when the revolution come they <laughs> came they could run and hide like th- th- this is how scared peace people are and the, the like bosses start offering workers things as a compromise that like most people today like think are socialism like they have like you start getting companies that have like inter that have their own workers councils in them like like here here is here is the workers council. We'll give the workers council a bunch of control for how the shop floor works. Like please don't overthrow us. Like Rockefeller like develops the idea of putting workers on corporate boards, like specifically as a way of trying to buy off workers and stopping them from like sabotaging their way to a revolution and just like stealing all of Rockefeller's property for the working class. And you know we, we've been talking a, bit, a lot about this in sort of like the American context and like sort of the French and English context, but. You know, partially because of the etymology, partially because of, like, who's involved with, like, the Pacific Black Cat thing. But, like, syndicalism, which is the sort of, like, this ideology of using democratic unions, doing a general strike to, like, seize control of the means of production, ending the class system. This is fucking everywhere. This is, th- these, these people spread, like, wildfire. Like, I think, I think probably the most famous syndicalists other than the IWW are the CNT in Spain. But, like, you know, the, the Ita- Italian in, 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 19, in 1917 and 1919, the, like, Syndicalists in Italy like very nearly pull off a revolution during a period that becomes known as the Benio Rosso or like the two red years. They 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 wind up being betrayed by the Italian socialists, and that's how we get Mussolini. But shocked. Yeah, who 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 could have guessed? But you know, th- there there are enormous syndicalist unions like everywhere. There's there's these huge syndicalist unions in both Brazil and Argentina, and sort of bizarrely. Both Brazil and Argentina both have these sort of like general strike anarchist revolutions in both 1917 and 1919. Yeah, it, it's wild. Like the, the, the syndicalists are everywhere. There's there's like there's syndicalists like uh, tin workers in Brazil. They're in Venezuela. There's an IWW section in South Africa. There's like syndicalists in Egypt. They're in Japan. Like it fr- from this period, from like the late 1800s through 
really even the early so the early 1920s like the these people are a pretty significant section of like the entire international labor and socialist movement and everywhere syndicalism goes this black cat goes with them now un- unfortunately as the, as the 1900s wear on the, the the influence of syndicalism begins to wane as a combination of both intense post world war 1 repression and you know as as reactions sort of like red scare reactions to uh the russian revolution and also the sort of rise of like leninist communist parties who have their own doctrines that don't like rely on sabotage in the sort of theoretical sense that uh syndicalism does and th- this this has like th- this 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 has a bunch of sort of malign effects on what people think sabotage is unfortunately but do you know what else degraded the use of sabotage as a political and ideological weapon Ad- it's it's ads it's, it's the advertising industrial complex yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. was it not the beastie boys and we are back but wait there's still more sabotage because unfortunately you know as as the sort of like the, the syndicalist movement is declining and like every single one of these people is getting shot uh there was waiting in the wings another type of sabotage that we've talked about mm-hmm. a lot on this show yeah th- this is ecological sabotage which i i okay i also see people calling it ecotage and like i'm sorry i, I love <laughs> yeah. you i love you all forest defenders that is a dog shit word yeah. Like <laughs> not a word. Ecotage. Like, hey, come on. Like, hey, this is this is not this is not actually a good word. We could do better. Um, it, it's also called monkey wrenching after the yep. uh, the 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 work of of ecological activist and inveterate racist Edward Abbey. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Say, and sexist. Don't don't let him off the hook. Oh yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Uh, old uh, white <laughs> dude Edward Abbey. Yeah, he, he's a, he's a very like. He, this is a very like Pacific Northwest kind of guy, who's like and, and a really Southwest into, kind of guy. That's true. Yeah, Southwest, like yeah. Yeah, 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 it's like it, guy, guy who's white, really likes forests, does not like brown people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he loves the fucking <laughs> desert. Like the uh, yeah, yeah. Desert boomers love some Edward Abbey. They pay a. I was in Moab recently, and like the amount of people selling like first editions of Edward Abbey books. Oh my god. Like, like, <laughs> Uh, without like entire, I like first first editions of like Earth First Gathering posters and stuff Jeez. for like thousands hey, of dollars to someone who's on an off road safari. Oh, oh nice! I, yeah, that, this, that's a copy of the monkey. This may wrench. be a first edition, actually. Damn! Mm-hmm. Do 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 this you want to tell the crowd old. what this book is about? Since the monkey wrench open? gang. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a group of people who have some fun times. Uh, mm-hmm. It's Doom. people who tra- travel yeah. around. They play with some trains. Um, <laughs> And some diggers. They play with diggers, bulldozers. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. They were. They they were diggers. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know. He was just having fun times. Also, this is something that I I did not know for a while. But Edward Abbey also wrote one of the uh, adaptions of Lolita to play on stage. Oh, oh shit! I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, just an unproblematic guy doing problematic stuff. He just loves trees. Yeah. Well, okay, uh, so here's uh, the, the 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 one genuinely unproblematic thing that he did is he he wrote this. Uh, he wrote another book called Eco. Well, he okay, so he's involved in the writing of this. There's a lot of there's a lot of people who've contributed to this, but he's involved in the writing of a book called Eco Defense: A Field Guide to Monkey Wrenching, which is this like unbelievably intricate and detailed guide to doing everything from like tree spiking to disrupting power lines to breaking ranching (laughs) equipment to sabotaging vehicles and aircraft to freeing animals from traps to defeating surveillance to sinking ships to a section that is called only quote fun with slingshots uh great in the book it it sure is fun (laughs) even in monkey wrench gang like he goes into great detail about how to start a caterpillar like bulldozer (laughs) like no like a lot of it was like 
how to do terrorism, but like in a novel. I, yeah. I feel like it's fantastic. And, yeah. Well, it's like the, 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 there's a whole genre of like of post World War II French films that are this with prison breaks. Where it's like, <laughs> it's a bunch of people, bunch of people who'd like been in concentration camps and like had broken out of them and are making these movies that are like just really intricate. Thing. Okay, okay, this is how you make a lock pick. Like this is this is how you figure out guards, like shift changes. Like this is how you like take out these boards. <laughs> it's, it's great stuff. It's, it's one, one, one of the better kinds of things. And, and Eco Defense, like it's not the most banned book I've ever seen. And a word that goes to, yeah, it, it's, it's not, okay. So uh, on the one hand, like, the FBI is in a weird position because they can't like technically ban it because the U.S. has this thing called the First Amendment that like you well, can sometimes well, win in Chris, court. Does, sort does of. It does it? Well, but really here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's so, the thing. Um, the Eco Defense Handbook was not written by Edward Abbey. It was written by David Foreman. Or, yeah, or but he, well, person. okay. Uh, there was a foreword in the book written by Edward Abbey. Okay, that that's the part that's written by. He, he was in. I think. I think he was involved with the publication with it, like he, somewhat. He, he, like uh, David Foreman yeah. and Edward Abbey were friends. They were. Yeah. And they, more they, and they were buddies. They, they were and, doing and Abbey, Abbey, I get, Abbey, Abbey, Abbey is less involved with this insofar as he, like Foreman, like the FBI tries to like entrap him for writing this book. Like, all, like all most of the people who like actually wrote why. sections to this. I, yeah, like all, all these people, like people start. Yeah, the FBI tries to arrest him on other stuff because unfortunately this book doesn't violate traffic law, so they can't arrest you for it. And I okay, I, you I, can I, still I do buy it on Amazon. Which oh is yeah, really it's still funny. there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's on the anarchist library for free. Yeah, you don't, yeah. You don't buy it. Don't yeah. give Jeffrey Bezos your money. Yeah. Well, it, Tur- it, so it, turn on a VPN, use Tor, and go to the anarchist library. <laughs> I know. I, it, it's it's in this category of books that are like, I, like okay, when when you have your normal banned books list, they 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 don't include. There's two kinds of books they don't include. One is they don't include books where it's like. Well, they didn't technically ban the book, but they tried to arrest everyone who wrote it. And then two, they don't include Alfredo Bonanno's Arm Joy, a book for which he was arrested, thrown in prison, and kept there while the Italian government, on orders from the Supreme Court, like, took every copy they could find and lit it on fire in giant bonfires. <laughs> the, the other thing with the Eco Defense Handbook, even if they did not arrest the owners, I've talked with a lot of green anarchists from who, who were active during the Green Scare, and... They definitely arrested people. Oh yeah, just for having, for having the book. It, yeah, like yeah. like if like if you had it, that was evidence that you were a terrorist. Like, yeah, it was something that like you don't talk about. You don't put your fingerprints on it, um, because having this book could get you in trouble. Like you don't like it's it it it's there's there is multiple ways to ban a book. One of them being if you have it, they're gonna try to charge you with like terrorism enhancement stuff um yeah they, or might, they might also it, try to carve it as a pretext <laughs> so yeah fun book yeah and yeah. so and, and like I, I think yeah calling it like i think with the, so i i think a lot of the stuff that people were doing that got called monkey wrenching or sort of like eco, ecological sabotage just just called eco-terrorism today because people have just well th- there's like a whole loop of this right because there's 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 the fbi to the green scare going like all of this is terrorism we're going to use the fucking entire like giant like military apparatus we've built up to like go after a bunch of people setting free animals but then but then like like at, at some point and this, this is a, i think thing that's very interesting in the last sort of like five ten years like people who weren't really involved with the original stuff decided that eco-terrorism was cool and now everyone on twitter just talks about eco-terrorism all the time which is like they talk an, about an it interesting yeah. term well they don't and this is the thing those people don't do it and it's like hey, come on <laughs> like <laughs> Uh, but on the other hand, th- there are a lot of people 
like we should maybe caveat for our British listeners that you absolutely can be prosecuted for having that book, and multiple people have been prosecuted in the last two years for in, having in, the in, anarchist <laughs> cookbook. I mean, you could still be. <laughs> oh yeah. You, well, it's, so, it's like they, 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 they can't solely ban you from for selling it. Even, yeah, even yeah. If you're, it's like, even if you're an American, you can still get they they've yeah. still gotten people for having the book. Like it's yeah, well, it's, it's, it's yeah. The, yeah it, that's 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 the interesting thing about how the censorship works, right? Is it like like you you are allowed to be a capitalist and sell it, but yeah. you're but you're not allowed to buy yes. it because yeah, having yeah, yeah. it means you're a terrorist. <laughs> Yep, wonderful stuff. Yeah, in Britain, you can't even things like the anarchist cookbook. Like people have been prosecuted for oh, having yeah. that. Oh yeah, on people have. And, and anyone should too. be prosecuted for the anarchist cookbook because because it's dog shit. Anyone it's who pretty bad. Any- yeah, <laughs> I've always wanted to do like a deep dive into like the history of all the shit that's been blamed on that book. And uh, yeah, all the people who have referenced. And it's it. funny too because it, it's not like the army literally doesn't publish fucking field manuals yes. that you could just buy at a store that like has all the same shit like. Yeah, yeah, but you know, terrorism is when we do it, and not when mm-hmm. they do it. Yeah, that's right. So I, I want to talk about. So like th- this whole thing is is a product of like this. Like you know, this is what sabotage sort of turns into, right? And there's you know, and so, so some of the people stuff that like is being done here isn't really that destructive. Like a lot of people, like you know, like like people people like sitting in trees, right? There's a lot of stuff that's sort of like civil disobedience that is like. You know, included in this stuff, but then there's also like, but you know, but the, but the like stuff like spiking trees is where you, I think you, and specifically like destroying construction equipment is where stuff you start you start to get the sort of like modern understanding of sabotage is like a thing that like an activist does to like a piece of machinery. But you know, like there, there's a lot of things people do, like people sabotage like whaling ships. But then also, I, I, I want to sort of close the episode with this: is that like there's a lot of people in a lot of other places in the world who do. Like, who do a lot of stuff for ecological defense that doesn't get put under this framework, where, for example, there are groups like the Niger Delta Avengers who are like, okay, fuck it, if the the Nigerian government is just going to execute ecological activists, we're going to pick up guns, we're going to blow up pipelines, and we're going to start shooting. And, you know, there's ground in between, like, the sort of, like, we're going to do sabotage and we're going to, like, do armed struggle. Like, in Ecuador, for example, one of the responses you see to sort of, like, attacks on indigenous land by capitalist developers is indigenous groups being just like, fuck it, we're doing an uprising. And then tens of thousands of people, like, spend three weeks fighting fighting cops in the street until they stop. And you also see stuff that's, like, it's kind of like, okay, so one of the other, specifically in France, they do this all the fucking time. Uh, Like, one, one of the older sort of, like, workers, like... Sabotage tactics is just like you kidnap your manager, and like people do this like now in France. Like it's just like okay, you're the manager, you can't leave until you agree to our demands. And like, but like when people people will do this in ecological settings, well, like a gov- they'll send in a government minister to like negotiate something. It'll be there'll be like a my manager around, and people will just be like, okay, like we're kidnapping you, like and we'll let you go when you stop doing this. Oh no, it's good good stuff. Yeah, and and I think and I think like and, and these tactics also sort of spread. Like for example, in Chile, if you look at like if you look at their sort of like like militant ecological struggles, especially like indigenous Mapuche resistance, like that is a place that like uh, more than anywhere else I've ever seen love setting construction equipment on fire. Like they they really they really like <laughs> lighting backhoes on fire. It's 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 good stuff. Um, but you know, have, having sort of said all of this, like the, the fact that sabotage is synonymous with sort of like. Property destruction is I like I, I genuinely think like a triumph of, cor- of corporate propaganda because the the original meaning of it right the and the, the original politics behind it uh, which which is this like very explicit class politics of like fuck it like if we are not going to get the actual like products of our own labor 
we are either not going to work or we are going to take it from you or we're going to make sure that you also don't get the products of our labor like that stuff's all just could have gone and that's 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 very sad to me because it's 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 a good politics and we need more of it and yeah, all of this sort of is to say that workers have no reason to fear the black cat, but bosses, owners, and capitalists uh, live in fear. Your time will come. Happy Halloween. <laughs> yeah. Happy Hallow's Eve. Cut fences. Somehow I didn't, somehow I never mentioned bolt cutters in here, which is sort of wild. That's oh, fine. Yeah. That's Buy fine. a bolt cutter. Hopefully one yeah, of the it's ads actually, will be for bolt cutters. So, uh, so, so, so something I learned on a job once is that like, okay, so, so ra- like bar- razor wire is really scary stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it has like it has like anti clotting agents in it that like I've like I've, on the uh, wire, but I've gotten past a lot of razor wire. Yeah, well, but I mean the thing the thing about this right is that like you can just cut like it's actually really easy to just cut like the chains on the chain link. So so like, yeah. many people, many like, people, I can many do people it. Like, I'm not very this. strong. <laughs> like you can just sort of do this <laughs> and like and this and this this is useful for a lot of things. Like for example, if you have to break down sections of fences and like, fences in your lawn. Like yeah, you can you can do lots of fun things with bolt cutters. Keep the kids or tin snips. Keep the kids off your lawn. Yeah. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later... 
The co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. It's spooky week. It can happen here. Uh, Those were ghost noises, if you hadn't realized. And that must mean that today we are doing a podcast about mass graves. What's going on? What the fuck's happening in the background? There's some noise. The sound. There's running water. We've summoned a fucking spirit. Where's that coming from? Yeah, what the fuck? I don't hear it. I don't don't hear anything, guys. You're just... You don't hear it? No. It's gone now, right? It's gone now. It's the podcast where we convince Garrison that, <laughs> that there's a ghost in the uh, Zoom machine. It's okay. I could, I could like do a, I could do a lesser vanishing of the pentagram if we really want to. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm no, not worried. I like the pentagram. It's, uh, it's what I'm tattooing on my children. Oh, oh nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Yeah, uh, you haven't done the forehead though. Like a coward, you've done the, the arm. Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, elbow, elbow's the way to go. So, Garrison, what do you know about mass graves? Um, never been to one, to my knowledge. Uh, mm-hmm. I they they seem like they're not great. Usually, they're a signifier that something something not great happened. A little bit of an oopsie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can can be a way to hide one's mistakes. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, where would you have yet to guess where the biggest mass grave in the world is? Where Where would you go for? Well, I know there's a lot of big ones in Canada. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I, if I'm gonna guess, yeah, I'm they gonna call s- those schools in Canada, don't they? They should, right, they right. should, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say like Russia maybe has like a biggest mass grave. I don't know. That's just like off the top of my head. No, it's not. It's uh, you got to guess, Shireen. Oh no, I I know where the biggest cemetery is, but I guess that's very different. Than okay, a where mass is grave. where is the biggest cemetery? Iraq. Oh really? Okay. Iraq has the world, and it's supposed to be haunted. Mm. So, ooh. <laughs> oh, ooh. <laughs> okay. Well. This one is not haunted, but as far as I can tell, it's the biggest mass grave in the world. Uh, about 34,000 people. Um, and this wow. is in Spain. Spain does not get enough credit for its mass graves, in fact. Uh, second only to Cambodia in the number of mass graves that it has. Spain has about 115,000 people who were forcibly disappeared and are still buried in unidentified graves. But 
About 35,000, 34,000 of them are buried in the place we're going to talk about today, which is the Valle de los Caídos or the Valley of the Fallen. So the Valle de los Caídos is not only a mass grave, but it's also a Catholic basilica. Uh, it's also the largest basilica in the world. Uh, and it was built by one Francisco Franco, who was the dictator of Spain from, the 19, from 1939 until 1975. Uh, and it was also his own grave until 2019, when Spain dug him up, put him in a helicopter, flew him across the country so that no one could uh, like car bomb or protest or otherwise uh, desecrate his corpse, and buried him in another grave. Uh, so that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, the Valle de los Caídos, it, it means Valley of the Fallen, right? Uh, incidentally, there's a film called Valley of the Dead, which has anyone else seen this? Or is it just me who decided to curse himself? Okay. Just it, you. Just me. <laughs> more the shame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Many more people should be enjoying Spanish Civil War zombie fiction movies uh, in, in which both sides come together to fight against the greater foe of the undead. Um, not actually a thing that happened. So sadly. it's the Valley of the Undead. Yeah, it could be called the Valley of the Undead, but they didn't, they didn't quite get that far. Uh, some of the least spectacular dubbing I've ever seen in a film. <laughs> like, like, I'm used to watching like English stuff dubbed in Spanish, but I don't think I've before seen something Spanish dubbed in like really cringe American English. It's not. It's 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 not great. No, it's not. But in a sense, it is also great. But okay, uh, okay. Uh, in you know, in in a sort of uh, enjoyably bad sense. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it is. It is very funny. It's on Netflix. It's free. Uh, Mal Naziros, I think it was called in Spanish, but uh, Valley of the Dead in in English. Uh, so yeah, people should check it out if they want a different spooky film to watch this Halloween. Uh, so let's talk about uh, the Valley of the Fallen. It was built under Franco's direction as kind of this national act of atonement for the Civil War. Um, at first, he said it was like, going to be a memorial to both sides, so thus like Valley of the Fallen. Uh, but it's, well, at first, it was supposed to be a memorial to the martyrs of his glorious crusade against the Reds, against Stalinism, against Satanism, uh, against all the things that are bad, according to Franco's. But it wasn't really, it was just a giant monument to Franco's national Catholic ideology, which kind of fuses the nation and the church in this one massive ball of terrible shit. It's designed in the neoclassical style, which fascists love. Fascists love the neoclassical style because they can like draw these direct lines between themselves and the empires of antiquity, right? And Except without the fucking paint because they're cowards and fools and they need everything <laughs> yes. to look white because they're tiny babies. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, yeah. They uh, they never did the thing where they like bedazzled their statues like <laughs> the the Greeks and the Romans did. More is a shame. Someone should bust in there with some glitter spray paint and uh, tart it up a bit. They haven't done that, unfortunately. Look, return to tradition. Make your statues look cringe. <laughs> yeah, that's how they're supposed to look. <laughs> Don't worry. That the statues do look cringe, uh, <laughs> but unfortunately, they they're not shiny. Uh, which is disappointing. It is built of granite, though, which I guess is kind of a return to tradition. Uh, it was built very near uh, the Escorial, which is like the resting place and, and palace of the kings of Spain. Uh, and that's because Franco wants to draw a link between himself and uh, Philip II, right? Philip II was the king of Spain. 
who at the time that he ruled, ruled every continent that was known to European people, uh, or ruled territory, which is great, which is not a problem, of course. Uh, it's in fact good. <laughs> An inbred old Spanish dude uh, was ruling over places that he couldn't really conceive of and had never visited, and there are no problems with that. Okay, so uh, work begins on Valle de los Cairos in 1940, right? It's a year after the end of the Spanish Civil War. Uh, and Franco decrees that he's going to make this memorial to the glorious national crusade against the Reds. And unbelievably, he wanted work to be finished in a year, which uh, obviously he's not operating in like reality because he's a piece of shit. But uh, it, 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 it took 20 years to build, right? So it, it was off by... <laughs> wow. Yeah, big construction understander, Francisco Franco. Uh, Unlike King Philip, he couldn't plunder the entire uh, labor and capital of the Americas to build his folly. Uh, And instead, he relied on the forced labor of about 20,000 prisoners of war. Uh, These were former Republicans, right? Uh, And they were forced to build a church. Obviously, uh, many of them did not like the church and were not really very fond of building what is now the biggest Catholic cathedral in the world, actually. And it has the biggest cross in the world, which it shocked me that the biggest cross in the world wasn't in the United States. Uh, (laughs) But I'm sure Ted Cruz is actively working on it as we speak. Uh, Or Joe Arpaio. Yeah, I I feel like if you like walked around my hometown and told people that the biggest cross in the world was a Catholic one, they would immediately spend twenty trillion dollars building a bigger one. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, the only thing that could convince them to defund the police would be <laughs> we need a bigger cross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, owning the Catholic cross. Maybe we should put that. Maybe we should enter that into the discourse on uh, True Social or something. <laughs> but uh, Franco, of course is not the only person buried there, right? Uh, Right next to Franco in the center of the Basilica is his friend, Jose Antonio Primo de Rivera. Um, Primo died exactly 39 years before Franco on the 20th of November, 1936. Uh, And he died because he was killed by the Republicans, which is based and good. Um, (laughs) And he has this little gravestone there uh, next to Franco, which of course has not created any problems after Spain sort of began to transition to democracy when Franco died. It's, of course, not a bad thing to build a giant monument to fascism and Francoism, and nobody is going to turn up there and do a fascism in the years afterwards. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's a little bit unfortunate. Uh, So (laughs) every day at 11 o'clock, a priest says a mass, um, and at that mass, you can generally find old people who will sort of mill around for a while and then quietly start doing fascist salutes, um, which is not, which is not great. Yeah, yeah. They have to be comfortable first. Yeah, well, you got, yeah, you got to get the, like, you got to sample the vibes mm-hmm. and then do a fascism. And the vibes here are probably not great. Um, they also have a choir, incidentally, a choir of small children who what? S- sing. The- Why? Because fucking what? Yeah, because everything about this is cursed. Uh, there's a film. There's a film about these little children who go to a quote-unquote traditional school at the Basilica, uh, which I can imagine is great, and they learn all kinds of wonderful things about critical race theory. Yeah. So the the priest also says a prayer for the fate of Spain and the blessed oh, no. mar- blessed martyrs, which uh, 
really, really is wonderful and perhaps uh, points in the direction of the complicity of the Catholic Church in lots of the war crimes that we're going to talk about today. Second um, consecutive episode where the Catholic Church is responsible for the whole thing. Wow, I can't <laughs> believe the Catholics did anything bad. Well, no, it's surprise. shocking, isn't it? Given their history of being kind and good and generally respectful towards people they disagree with. So true, James. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no problems with the Catholic Church. So this particular church is hewn. It's just a giant hole in a granite ridge, right? Uh, it's a, again, a giant hole cut by the forced labor of prisoners of war. Uh, it's called the Valley of the Fallen because today it houses the remains of about 33,000 people. And this is what makes it the biggest mass grave in the world, right? The monument's register includes many of their names. Uh, and it has the motto, Caídos por Dios y España. So, um, fallen for God in Spain. Which conveniently overlooks the fact that most of the people there didn't like God very much and really didn't like the version of Spain that's being presented here either, right? Because the vast majority of them were Republicans, people who had fought against Franco's idea of Spain in the Civil War. Um, and the bodies that came there really kind of came there in two distinct waves. Um, so like I said, Spain has about 114,000 odd people who are buried in unidentified graves, right? The vast majority of these people are Republicans who were killed by Francoist forces, but some of them are not. Some of them are Francoists, Catholics, Carlists, other uh, like right-wing fascist type people uh, who were killed by the Republicans, right? Now, the bulk of those people were dug up and identified by the Francoist regime in the time that he was in power, and many of them were moved to the Valley of the Fallen, and they're identified there. Um, but the majority of the people in the Valley of the Fallen were Republican people whose remains were taken without their consent from mass graves uh, where they were victims of Franco's terror, right? And they were moved to the Valley of the Fallen to be some kind of like weird pyramid sacrifice ritual. Uh, I, I, I don't have a, a complete grasp of Catholicism, but I, I, I certainly don't understand this shit. Uh, to sort of, I don't know, make, make Franco's temple more like spectacular. And it's very strange. It's, it's, it's very cruel, right? Uh, I want to quote uh, from the a BBC article in 2011 that was written about one of these people, Jorge Valrico. So um, Jorge Valrico Canales was taken from his home in August 1936 in the middle of the night and shot by a fascist execution squad. His town had fallen to the uprising, and he had been singled out as a socialist. In 1959, his remains were dug from a well and moved to the Valley of the Fallen. More than 30,000 war dead from both sides were transferred there on Franco's orders. For me, it's excruciatingly painful that my father's remains are in a place built to the glory of the victors in a military coup, says Fausto Canales. It feels like a double crime. First, when he was executed, then when they moved his body without our permission to a place which is totally inappropriate. So that experience, sadly, is far from uncommon, right? Between 1959 and 1983, like I said, about 30,000 of these graves were dug up. Um, lots of these were like shallow roadside graves. They were wells. Um, some people were buried in graveyards um, and they were transferred to the valley. 
sometimes they weren't transferred in their entirety. Incidentally, uh, like they, they, these mass graves are not well organized. Um, so like to to perhaps give some uh, context here, like these they began Spain began exhuming these mass graves in 2007. Right, there was oh, a historical wow. memory law passed, uh, and and. They're often just just jumbles of corpses and bones, right? Some of these mass graves contain like a thousand people, right? Uh, well, I don't so, imagine them being like, "Hey, we're going to do a mass grave now." You know what I mean? Like they're just kind of digging a hole and putting bodies in it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's fair to say, yeah, no one made a good plan, uh, which is unfortunate, isn't it? But uh, yeah, they like they would well, they would get all the people who they identified as socialist or, or feminist or otherwise objectionable to their vision of Spanishness and then kill them all. Yeah. And then put them in a hole uh, because they considered them to be less than human. And they seemingly seem to have like dived into the hole and grabbed some bits and pieces and moved them to the Valley of the Fallen at some point. And wait, so wait, wait, like how are, did, the, okay. Like, like what, what actually like, how, how are like the bodies in the Valley of the Fallen like held? Like what are, are they just like, are they in like caskets? Did they just dump them in another hole? Like, how, no, how there are like there are like various. It seems like there are various different. Like some of them are in these little stone. There are like these little stone tomb-looking things, but I don't think that those actually contain the remains. I think they're in these various pits. Uh, so they just it's it's another ma- they, they they moved him from one mass grave yeah, to it's another a, it, mass grave that they build a sacrifice temple over. Yeah, so they're now beginning to exhume the already exhumed bodies from that. So they're now digging up the, the Valley of the Fallen, right? Uh, to, to identify these remains. Um, Catalonia has a DNA registry. So if you believe that you're, it would be like um, people of our generation's grandparents. If you believe that your grandparents are in a mass grave, that they were disappeared, then uh, you can register your DNA and they test it against the mass graves that they're exhuming. Um, wow. So that's how they that's how they identify people. And Chris, do, do you know what won't dig a mass grave and throw your grandparents in it? I I cannot in good Exxon Mobil. Answer that's that right, everybody. Yeah, yeah, Black Rifle Coffee Company. <laughs> well, I was just gonna go with Coca Cola, but okay. that works well, too. That's three options. Three Please. for three. Here's yep. the ads. <laughs> And we're back. Hopefully there was no reference to mass graves in those uh, adverts, but we can't promise you that, sadly. Uh, we also can't promise you that there's mass graves they didn't talk about. Yeah, that's probably more likely, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Anyway, enjoy that advert for Nestle. Moving on. Uh, some of these mass graves have been identified by a Spanish nonprofit group called Innovation and Human Rights. Uh, and they actually have this incredible data set, specifically on the Valley of the Fallen where you can look up the location of, of the corpses that are there, right? So like, where did these, where the, of the remains that have been identified from where, where did they come? Um, 3,902 corpses. That's about 70 busloads of dead people, if, if you want to imagine that. Um, they came from this t- small town of Tarragona, which is where I used to live. Uh, that's that's not a big town. I was trying to think of like a California town to contextualize it by, but I think most people wouldn't have heard of of towns that small. Uh, this, despite being a pretty rural uh, area, the the Camp de Tarragona contain, contributed about twenty percent of the corpses that remain in the valley, 
And that's probably because it's part of Catalonia, right? Catalonia was, it, Spain is a, is a multinational state. So there are lots of nations within Spain, right? Catalonia, the Basque country being the ones that people are most familiar with. Franco particularly hated Catalan separatists. And so as part of this ongoing punishment of Catalonia for like trying to leave Spain during the civil war, uh, the Francoists dug up the remains of the people they'd already murdered and moved them to a long way from Catalonia, right? Uh, the Valle de los Gailos is near Madrid. Conditions for people who built the valley were pretty appalling too. Uh, the workers and their families lived in these shacks, according to archaeologists who exhumed them last year. Families lived in nine meter square shacks with no water or electricity. They made shoes out of old tires and they had no windows or no heating. Their beds were made of stone, and they and their children suffered from malnutrition. Uh, it's, it's not particularly rare for people to have suffered from malnutrition in Spain after the Civil War. Uh, this period was called the Years of Hunger. Uh, but even so, it seems like there was particular cruelty uh, applied to these people, many of whom were serving sentences for things like forming unions or forming student political movements, right? Like they, they weren't like they hadn't done anything wrong. Uh, that right. They were the victims of a totalitarian state. Uh, so one of those people is uh, Nicolas Sanchez Albornoz. Um, he was interviewed in a Catalan newspaper, El Nacional, uh, and he talks a lot about his memories there. Um, incidentally, uh, he escaped after a few months with the help of Norman Mailer's sister. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah, base Norman Mailer's yeah. sister. She's incredibly based, actually. Uh, like, yeah, she she like helped him escape and then ferried him across the Pyrenees to France, uh, where he uh, escaped into exile in Argentina and lived for decades. Um, the only good. Well, okay. I was gonna I was gonna make an only good Argentinian exile joke, but uh, it, 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 prob- it probably is actually genuinely worth mentioning that a lot like a lot of people who were Jews fled to Argentina too, like right before World War II. Yeah, and that's a huge thing, and you get people like calling them Nazis because they're fucking dumb as shit, and it's like, guys, come fucking on! Like, you if you can't tell the difference between a Nazi and the people they were killing, like, please stop. Okay, this has been my yeah. interlude about people doing this shit because oh my god. Yeah, maybe maybe don't cast dispersions. Maybe uh, do a little bit of reading first. Uh, so yeah, a lot of people, a lot of them end up in in Argentine exile. Actually, ironically, Argentina also claims universal jurisdiction. Uh, so what we've seen in the last few years is like uh, Spanish historical memory groups trying to uh, trying to get people who perpetrated crimes against humanity under Franco extradited to Argentina to be questioned. <laughs> Which, which is also very funny, given that Argentina has its own legacy of crimes against humanity, right? Uh, and Spain does this shit too, actually. Spain claims universal jurisdiction and will try and like extradite people who have done crimes against humanity in formerly colonized countries without... Spain has not faced up to its own crimes against its own population. You know, I, I will say I am entirely down for like intentionally starting some sort of like Spain-Argentina like shit fest where both of them like get pissed off at each other and start trying each other's war criminals. That seems really <laughs> funny. I would be, be I would be even more impressed to see um are you familiar with who Balthazar Garzón is? Is he that weird 
prosecutor guy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Who, who tried to uh, who tried to try U.S. officials for crimes against humanity for the things they did at Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, it would be outstanding. I would love to see like Spain and the United States come to blows over like their respective crimes <laughs> against humanity. It would be wonderful, uh, sadly. And like in Iraq too, I think he like, um, what was it called? The, the, uh, did they call it enhanced interrogation techniques that they were using when they were like electrocuting people and yeah. such? Yeah, so like he tried to prosecute people for that. Sadly, like everything else in Spain, he strayed a little bit too close to looking at the corruption of the Spanish state and lost his position, uh, which is a shame. Uh, he, he did some pretty chuddly shit himself. Like he very clearly presided over trials where people had very clearly been tortured and was just like, oh, that's interesting to see you in the witness box giving this testimony. I'm not going to note the fact that you've like very clearly been beaten to shit with a nightstick. Uh, yeah, Spain, a country with no problems, famously. Um, so yeah, uh, Albornoz escapes. Actually, there's a film called uh, Los Años Barbaros, the barbarous years, I guess, uh, the barbarian years, uh, which which um, looks at his escape. And he was one of only two people to have escaped. But people died building the Valley of the Fallen, right? And then were buried there in this weird monument to uh, to Francoism. Uh, so like I said, Spain really hasn't dealt with its legacy of, um, of mass murder, right? Um, and it never really had a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. It never really dealt with the amount of people murdered after the war. Um, and it's really only in the last like 10 or 15 years that Spain has begun digging up these mass graves. So. Um, under Pedro Sanchez and the socialist government, um, they've they've begun doing more to deal with this. In 2007 and earlier, Spanish socialist government passed this thing called the Law for Historical Memory. And the Law for Historical Memory funded um, the recovery of the memory of the Civil War, right? Um, and you can draw very obvious parallels between how Spain has dealt with its civil war and its transition to democracy and, and how the United States has dealt with its civil war. Right. Um, you will see like there, there is. Um, do you guys, do you know what Vox is? Yeah, they're, they're like the insane far right party in Spain. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so fucking cringe. Holy shit. Even, even by the standards of far right parties, like, oh, my fucking God. Oh, God. Yeah, <sighs> I fucking uh, do they I wear silly outfits? Well, oh, yeah, I would imagine so. I, I don't I don't think I don't think there's ever been a picture of them like where they haven't been in like. The weirdest looking shit. Because occasionally yeah. some of the like Spanish fascists wear some pretty gay outfits, and it's <laughs> really funny. Are you talking about the 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 foreign legion, the ones who wear yes, like yes, the, the, yes. The, if Tom of Finland created a military unit? Yes, yes. that is exactly who I'm referring to. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. They they are not so much like outright fascists as a as a fashy military unit. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But yes, uh, yeah, it's. I know, yeah, absolute thirst trap. Um, just like people should Google photos if they haven't seen them. It'll occasionally pop up on like uh, Twitter or something where people will find these incredibly butch dudes who like, like it's not that they've unbuttoned their shirts, just so you it's understand. It's just that their pecs are ripping out of their shirts. <laughs> yes. No, it's their shirts are not equipped with buttons. Yeah, be yeah, be yeah. Because, it, it, yeah, like to be in that unit, you have to be so incredibly buff that you uh, you start buttoning your shirt from the navel down. 
and which to be fair it is more appropriate in Spain. I remember like uh, I used to teach in Spain and then I taught in the United States and like coming back and being like, oh, I really have to change the way I dress uh, to be appropriate for an American audience. And, uh, yeah, the to get back to mass graves and away from tactical thirst traps, uh, the what Spain didn't have right was like. Franco didn't get hung upside down from a gas station and beaten with sticks in the face, right? Uh, more's the shame. Uh, there's still time, right? His body, his body is still available for beating. Uh, and, you know, maybe, maybe that wouldn't be the worst thing. But uh, it, Spain never really faced its past, right? So in 1977, an amnesty law was passed, which prevented any criminal investigation into the crimes committed in the Franco years. Um, statues of Franco, some of them were not moved until like the last five or 10 years. And when they were removed, um, it was like the government just went in in the night and scooped them up and no, no one really said anything and then they were gone. And so like Spain has only really, really recently entered into this period like that we call its second transition. Uh, and that's like its transition from... Uh, Spain began transitioning to democracy in 1978, right? But what we call the period after that is more of a post-dictatorship than like a, a complete democratic transition. And Spain was still processing, as you can see, right, many of its crimes under Franco. And it's it's really only begun to process those in the last few years. So um, that gets us up to the 2017, oh, I think it's 20, 2018 election of Pedro Sanchez, right, in the socialist government, and um, their decision to exhume Franco. Right, so Franco's, Franco's lying in this monument, right? It's the biggest mass grave in the world. Uh, and on the day of his death, on the 20th of February every year, uh, it's, it's a gathering place for fascists, right? So Franco and Primo de Rivera both died on the same day. And... Uh, like, uh, fascists and Catholics both love this this kind of weird spiritual magic shit. And oh, oh really? About, oh, really? Yeah, you don't say. Yeah, I've I've heard. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there are some books about it apparently. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it it's said that both of them have a fondness for this stuff. So them both dying on the same day is an extremely fucking cursed thing uh, that yep. has led to that uh, sucks. Mm-hmm. It sucks if you if you ever have to go near this place on the twentieth of November, which I don't recommend. Oh uh, God, I can only imagine that must be the that must be the yeah. worst time. Yeah, because it's it, all because it's all of the nerdiest Nazis. Like it's <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, it, uh, but I, yeah, it's like if if like nerdy like Nazi internet people had a real life place to gather and just Jeez. openly do fucking fascist salutes. Um, yeah. God, that sounds like it sounds horrible. It's a fascist with a calendar, like no. Yeah, ugh. But a <laughs> yeah, calendar it, who's like into praying. It's like <laughs> ugh. Yeah, like, yeah. It's real, got fucking like, really, like, really into praying. Yeah. Look, I'm, 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 yeah. Just, I'm just, I'm just gonna say this. If the if the anarchists were in charge, we wouldn't be having fucking stupid cringe pray fascist meetings. Uh -huh. can, yep, this can be yep. prevented. 
Uh-huh. The CNT can rise a third time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure, uh-huh. sure. But it, but it is the nerdiest <laughs> thing ever to think about a fascist like updating their Google Calendar, being like, <sighs> yeah, for here. all their spiritual yeah. holidays yeah. where their leaders <laughs> yeah. died. Why do they always celebrate the day that their leaders died? It's always the weirdest. That should be thing. a celebration for us. Well, right? it's, like, it's, a, it's yeah. a death cult, right? Uh, yeah, like, you're, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Like, yeah. Their, like their leader dying is. It, th- this is the moment when they finally express the pure core of fascism. That's true. That that's actually a really good observation. That actually is yeah. is, uh, is more more on the point than what it should be. Right. Yeah. They're like it's... immortalizing them on that day, forever. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, "Viva la muerte" was the slogan of uh, the uh, fuck. Did the African the African army? Um. Like, uh, yeah. I think it was Spain's foreign legion. Actually, like, long live death, and they called themselves like yes, the uh, yes. That is their slogan. They called oh. themselves the um, what's it called? The the fiancés of death. Yeah, like they're, the, they're, yeah, they're they're all gay because they're all married to death. Um, oh, sexy! Which yeah. is pretty metal. They're also kind of fashy, but yeah, that 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 does really showcase mm-hmm. the whole uh, death cult aspect mm-hmm. of f- fascism. Yeah, you know, you know what isn't a gay necromancer? Again, we can't promise that. Oh, now okay. we think James, about it. I wish. I wish we could advertise some more gay, recommend- <laughs> gay necromancers. Yeah, yeah, I, would, yeah. I would be in my element. Ah. Yeah, I've just done an ad read for a couple of them, actually. I should have let you know. I am so jealous. That's, mm-hmm. all, that's all I want out of life. Yeah, please enjoy these gay necromancy products and services. Okay, we're back. I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. So... The incredibly cringe and just boomery fascist celebration on Franco's death uh, and Primo de Rivera's death on the 20th of November always happened at the Vida Los Caídos, right? They would turn up in 2010, Spain banned uh, like fascist symbolism, but this hasn't really stopped fascists doing fascist symbolism, right? Including bringing their phalange flags, giving it the fascist salute, um, marching, uh, and just generally doing like cringe like where where like uh rotc cosplay meet, meets the catholic church stuff um on the 20th of november of a year at franco's grave uh and it, like there, there are always flowers on franco's grave like you can't go there on a given day and not find uh someone like lamenting the fact that franco is dead and they can no longer just disappear people they disagree with right it, it, it's shit uh and so uh, incidentally, an amusing uh, sort of side effect of this was that. Do you remember the Storm Area Fifty One like Facebook thing? Oh, I sure do. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the Raid Area Fifty One. Uh, yep. Challenge mm-hmm. from like last year or right. two years ago. Yeah, in twenty nineteen, three years ago. Wow, uh, I didn't really like a lot longer crazy. ago when you said yeah. it that way. It does. It also feels. It also feels like a very twenty twenty thing. It does, uh, it does. Yeah, so the Spanish version of this was Invade Via de los Caídos. <laughs> <laughs> with the slogan that, like, if the state, the state can't get him if we get him first. <laughs> so, tr- so true. So true. <laughs> 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 like, like, I don't think this was an anarchist attempt to steal his body, but, like, massive respect if it was. I think it was just some extremely online people doing something that they thought was and actually is funny. Uh, which it w- is, yeah. It, like, unfortunately, it, it didn't really come to much uh, because they planned to do this on the twentieth of November, twenty nineteen, and in October, twenty nineteen, Franco's body was removed from the Valley of the Fallen. 
Oh, okay, wow. see, this this is this is the thing with all of these things. It's the same thing with the fucking stop Coney thing. Like the the problem that all of these groups have if they want to do it is they always set their date too far out. Like <laughs> you gotta give it you like at max it has to be like two weeks out because if if, if it's any longer than that, you, you the lose momentum, your momentum the yeah, you can get fucking yeah, yeah you get yeah, scooped. Yep, yep, so yep. look, if if you if you if you if you want to seize the body of a dead dictator and throw him into a canal you have to move fast. And that's why I'm announcing that in, for, 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 for November 19th, we're all... No, we probably should not yeah. go to Russia no, to, fuck it. To, to have fun with Trotsky's body, should we? Yeah. No, we're going after... Is Trotsky's body in Russia? Yeah. I thought so. I, I know I've seen... Did they take I've, it back from Mexico? I, I have had, I've, I've had friends that have gone places to make fun of Trotsky's body. Um... Lenin's Where, body, is body? Is, Lenin's body's up for grabs. Like, okay, right? it's just sitting there. Yeah, well, we maybe we could go get. To, mm-hmm. Maybe we could go do. do I think we body. should start small. Let's encourage the fans of the podcast between now and what we got right. But now, on eleventh of November, right? Go after Papa Doc Duvalier. Get get him. Start. You know. Uh, that, and then move on from there. Uh, okay, it is. It's in Mexico. I yeah, you're right. There we go. Closer to the sort of geographical heartland yeah, of our listener and, base. And, and we don't need to go into a war zone. So yeah, no, yep, in the, the middle of November, we're all going to be going mm-hmm. going to Mexico. Road trip. Yep, field trip. Yep, let's go. You know, I, I will say there is something genuinely interesting here about the way that like... Okay, so you, you, you look at sort of fascism... Fasc- sorry, you look at fascism's death drive in the way that it sort of like creates these monuments to death. And then like you look at the way that every single sort of like like all of the state socialist regimes like it, it's not so much that they have a death drive but it's like they're like all of them like i learned this recently like i, I so i i knew that they didn't tune that they'd like embalmed stalin right and like well they embalmed yeah. lenin they embalmed mm-hmm. mao I've i learned they also lenin. yeah they they, 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 they but they, i also learned they did it to ho chi minh too no yeah it's just like they did it to like all of these people and it's like there, there's there's this sort of weird like <sighs> almost inversion of it where it's like like on, fa- fascism is based sort of on like you know like on on the sort of totalizing worship of death, whereas mm-hmm. Stalinism is like it has this kind of inversion of it where it's like it's based on like a, a, a kind of like eternal life mm. for their leaders in this yeah. also incredibly bizarre way. I don't want to be like all of Europe is determined by its previous like totalitarian religions, but there's there's something but it is. Orthodox, yeah. <laughs> there's something orthodox about the way they've done the dead Russian dudes. So. I want to talk about Franco's corpse a little bit, and then I want to end with something else because I, I I don't want to just focus on Spanish fascists because they suck and I hate them, and uh, I am sad that they are not all dead. But Franco is. Uh, so Franco's family weren't allowed to use the Spanish flag on his coffin. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so instead they fucking got the Francoist flag, right? The the oh old nationalist oh flag, which because they are filth, uh, they did that instead. Um, they carried his his coffin onto a helicopter. They flew him by helicopter to Madrid, uh, where the service was presided over by a priest who is the son of Lieutenant Colonel Antonio Tejero Molina, uh, the man who led the failed 1981 coup that attempted to topple Spain's young democracy. So um, d- great to see this continuation of these elites, right? Like this is a uh, this is a country which has, of course, moved on completely from its civil war and dictatorship. Um, on the positive side, Franco is now uh, buried with his wife, uh, and he is very near to Luis Carrero Blanco, who people will remember as a podcast alumni and Spain's first astronaut. Um, so uh, I was going to quote Vox, uh, but I won't because they fucking suck. 
uh, <laughs> and no one should quote Vox. Uh, you should just like throw fruit at them. Um, and I think that's like that's not an actionable threat, right? It's just fruit. Uh, Sure, sure. Don't throw like any fruits that are potentially lethal, right? Like a, like a large watermelon or something potentially fatal, like just a banana. Or if you know the 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 Vox representative is like allergic to a fruit, you throw it at them, mm-hmm. gets off mm-hmm. their face, then they die, then it gets blamed on James. We all get taken into a years long lawsuit, and then we all lose our jobs. Don't mm-hmm. do that. Don't do that. No, uh, blame someone else for that. Uh, you can if if you are directing the police uh, to me in Spain, they can contact me via Twitter DM. My Twitter is at at at, at chop at Chapo Trap House. Yep, that's where you can find me. Uh, yep. I, uh, yeah, sell traps. Uh, okay, so, um, uh, of course, Vox make exactly the same bullshit-destroying history argument that neo-Confederates make in the United States. It doesn't make them any more right, uh, because they're, in fact, wrong. But, incidentally, someone else died um, on November the 20th, uh, and that is one Buenaventura Durruti, right? Um, Unlike Franco, he is not buried in a monument made by fucking slaves. Uh, he is buried uh, alongside other anarchists uh, in Montjuic in Barcelona. You can visit his grave there. Uh, it's very cool. You can always meet interesting people hanging around uh, his grave. Uh, and if you're in Barcelona, you should do it. Uh, Duruti died uh, in the middle of the Battle of Madrid. Uh, like so many other Spanish anarchists, uh, he died. Uh, it, it's a little unclear, actually, if he died because someone negligently discharged their own weapon into his back, um, which seems to be the most likely case, or leading a frontal charge on a machine gun, which which is how so many Spanish anarchists died, uh, because they were so <laughs> utterly convinced of their incredible, like... And they, they're not wrong. They, they were right about most things. Uh, but, like... Yeah, their willingness to die for anarchism was perhaps a little bit problematic. Well, I mean, this is this is like a thing across the whole history of anarchism. Like, like part one of the reasons the Russian Revolution went the way that it did was that, like, it like the the, the sort of like first crop of Russian anarchists, like the moment the White Army formed, immediately just went to the yeah, front yes. lines and all got killed. <laughs> yeah, and like yeah. Lenin, and meanwhile Lenin and Trotsky are like fucking chilling, and Lenin and like fucking uh, uh, Petrograd being like, ah, yeah, which is exactly what happened in Spain, right? Like. Ruti, Ascaso, Ferrer, all these people like get to the front lines and immediately start killing fascists. Meanwhile, tanky uh, people, uh, uh, I was going to say something else, um, are like spending their time plotting and scheming to, from becoming a completely fucking irrelevant political force in Spain to taking over in a year and a half because the, they are the only people willing to provide weapons and, and many of the anarchists are dead. What were you gonna call tankies yeah, instead of people? I can't think about that. I what are like... you? What were you gonna call tankies instead of people, James? <laughs> I, 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 I just it makes me angry, and I was just gonna just uh, that's that is that is an evasive answer. Everything's dogs the bourgeoisie, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I was just gonna say scum or filth or a British swear that's, word that I can't fine. use on the podcast because it offends American people, which is fine. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's disappointing. I don't want to be cancelled by a work mob. Okay. Yeah. We're not going to have yeah. a heated Australian moment. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I nearly went full Australian, um, which, like, I, I've done it before on television and it just doesn't end well. Um, All right. Uh, in Spanish, not English, uh, which is also a Spanish word. 20th of November in Spain this year. It'll be like, what, three weeks when people are listening to this. Some fascist shithead if you live in a town in spain will be walking around 
doing shitty fascist things. Um, and people who live in Spain are, of course, very aware of this. But I wanted to finish it said with another thing that anti-fascists in Spain do in November. Uh, so on the 15th of November this year, uh, anti-fascists all over Spain will be gathering to remember 15 years without Carlos Palomino. Uh, people might not know who Carlos Palomino is, but I want to very briefly recap his story uh, to finish up. So on the 11th of November 2007, uh, Carlos Palomino and about 100 other anti-fascists got on the subway in Madrid to counter-protest a right-wing rally in Lucera, an immigrant neighborhood uh, that's home to Madrid's Chinatown today. On the train on the way there, he ran into a 24-year-old Spanish soldier, Jose, Josue Estebanes. Uh, Estebanes was dressed in clothes. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to talk about the brand, actually, because you shouldn't hype market Nazis. But um, the, the, the clothes showed that he was a far-right skinhead, right? Um, Carlos Palomino notes this. Estebanes takes offense at Carlos Palomino noting his uh, Nazi clothes and stabs him with a machete. Uh, Jesus. Yeah, uh, he stabbed someone else as well, but unfortunately, Carlos uh, dies pretty quickly. He was 16 years old at the time yeah. of his death. Uh, uh, he was the only child of his mother, and he lived with his mum, who was separated from his dad and his grandmother. Um, it affected his mother, as one can imagine, pretty terribly. Right, the loss of loss of her young son, um, and as a result, his mother has become a prominent anti-fascist activist in Spain. Uh, she founded the Association of the Victims of Fascist, Racist, and Homophobic Violence. Uh, and 10 years after his death, a thousand people turned out and a memorial to him. Um, and ever, like, ever since he died, every year, uh, you'll see these massive rallies in Spain of anti-fascists. Um, if you've ever seen... Do you remember like a year or so ago, there was this video going around Twitter and there was a group of people uh, chanting like, aquí están los antifascistas, like, here are the antifascists. I, I see such videos on Twitter all the time, okay. so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, okay. I don't know. Okay. It, like, it gained relevance among people who I've never seen engaging with Spain in, in any degree okay. before. Uh, it, it was a huge rally. So in 2021, thousands of people came out to remember him. Uh, and I'm sure thousands of people will this year too. Like it, it, with Spain's, like Spain's right for a long time tried to couch itself in terms of like the neoliberal center right. Yeah, so like the Partido Popular would see itself in terms of like maybe the Tories in Britain, although the Tories are, are pretty uh, <laughs> pretty mental. Uh, but like the, this kind of neoliberal European right, yeah, and it it, it broadly uh, sort of wanted to see itself as part of this like post-fascist European right. Uh, but in recent years, it's just taken this this swing towards the hard right. Like Vox has emerged and even the Partido Popular, which would have seen itself as like neoliberal right, have tried to like out-Vox Vox. And they're now like just openly standing Francoism again. And in this climate, anti-fascism has also uh, seen itself resurgent, I guess, where an anti-fascist identities in Spain are more relevant or more, more common than they would have been uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago, something like that. And as a result, these memorials for Carlos have become bigger and bigger every year. Um, so I wanted to end with a letter his mum wrote to global anti-fascist collectives in 2011. In our memories, all the anti-fascist victims will always exist, who, fighting for a world of equality, dignity, freedom and social rights, were killed by the ideas of intolerance and fascism. 
the memory will exist for all those victims who, due to their different cultures, religions, or sexual orientations, were murdered by the same murdering hands who hate those who are different. Now it's time to continue working against hate. That is the best tribute we can offer. Their struggles were not in vain. We will continue the path, although they are no longer with us. In every action of anti-fascist struggle, they're inside and in each and every one of our hearts. Which I thought was really poignant. His mother is amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah this whole thing fucking breaks me. Like I, I was, like this was a time when like I too was being a teenage anti-fascist in Spain. Uh, and this is someone who's like almost exactly my age uh, and uh, obviously isn't alive anymore. And uh, yeah, I'd encourage people to read more about him. Uh, I I'd normally share these events on uh, on social media when they happen. And yeah, this is extremely sad and continues to be extremely sad because uh, Spain refuses to face up to its past of dictatorship. Uh, you can look up where Franco's grave is, uh, organize a protest and execute it within two weeks and toss him in the, uh, in the river if you want. I'd be very proud of you. That is absolutely a legal thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I would be prosecuted in Spain, but yeah. Uh, incidentally, Spain has prosecuted everyone from fucking clowns to puppeteers. Uh, for okay, now, uh, now, it's, now it's serious. When you start coming out for the clowns is when I, I start okay. getting personally okay. insulted. We need to do our episode on clown block soon, don't we? We do. I, we, I can put on, I have clown block right behind me. Okay, hey, so let's go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the British police will send someone undercover in your clown movement for five years. No! <laughs> Who will marry one of you. And, let, and, me, let me be a silly jester. Leave me alone. Nope, not in Britain. It's a, it's a crime. All right. Uh, okay, that's been our podcast. Do crimes. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to fifteen hundred dollars again sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and game sense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? 
I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the final Spooky Week episode. Uh, hi, well, this is this is it could happen here. This is our last Spooky Week episode for this year, and we're going to be talking about something extremely spooky and Halloween themed: Rainbow Fentanyl, the newest deadly threat hiding in your kid's trick or treat basket, or so you would think if you are a frequent viewer of Fox News or really any local cable news channel. And that rainbow fentanyl in particular is troublesome because of its appearance. This is treacherous deception to market rainbow fentanyl like candy. This is every parent's worst nightmare, especially in the month of October as Halloween fast approaches. That was Fox 5 News New York and DEA Special Agent Frank Tarantino giving a press conference on the rainbow fentanyl scourge sweeping the nation. It's not hard to see how this narrative became the new protect-the-children pearl-clutching panic. It's a natural extension of the police officer touches fentanyl and spontaneously overdoses lie that local news across the country have been pushing for over a year now, uh, more on this later, uh, coupled with the old classic poisoned, drug-laced, tampered Halloween candy myth that's captivated American parents for decades. 
whether it be razor blades and apples, needles and Tootsie Rolls, meth in gummy bears, cocaine candy corn, or THC Sour Patch Kids. If you've ever watched any local news during the month of October, clips like these should sound really familiar. Police in at least two Wisconsin towns are investigating reports of possible Halloween candy tampering. Breaking right now at 10, concerns about possible tainted candy in Oconomowoc tonight. Police tell us they've received reports of a suspicious person handing out Tootsie Rolls on Oakwood Avenue. Right now, police have no evidence that any candy has definitely been tampered with. The world's leading researcher on Halloween candy tampering, Joel Best, a professor of sociology and criminal justice at the University of Delaware, has found little evidence to substantiate Halloween candy fears. Joel Best has published multiple studies analyzing the legitimacy of Halloween candy tampering, including his research paper, The Razor Blade in the Apple, The Social Construction of Urban Legends, and his sociology book, Threatened Children, Rhetoric and Concern Around Child Victims. I have uh, followed press coverage of Halloween back to 1958, so more than 60 years, and I cannot find any evidence that any child has ever been killed or seriously injured by a contaminated treat picked up in the course of trick-or-treating. So let's go back to kind of where all this started. The first report of Halloween treats being tampered with in North America was in 1959. That Halloween, a California dentist named William Sheen distributed 450 laxative-laced candies to children, 30 of whom fell ill. He was later charged with uh, outrage of public decency and unlawful dispensing of drugs. This is kind of like the only incident that, says, that this has ever actually happened with. It was back in the late 50s. This is the o only true one of someone like handing out actually laced candy to tons of kids. Now, to determine whether the current tampered Halloween candy myths hold any weight, Joel Best examined 25 years of Halloween coverage from the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, and Chicago Tribune. In his research, he found that there's only been one confirmed death from a poisoned Halloween candy, and it wasn't from a nefarious stranger who wanted to harm trick-or-treaters. The fatal incident occurred in 1974 after a Texas man named Ronald Clark O'Brien poisoned his eight-year-old son with a cyanide-laced pixie stick shortly after he took insurance claims out on his children. O'Brien had reportedly given poisoned pixie sticks to his daughter and three other neighborhood children, but the candy had not been consumed. Since then, Joel Best said that in some instances, kids tamper with their own candy to get attention, or a friend or a family member played a prank that went awry, or even a foreign object ended up inside candy during the manufacturing process, and that's the majority of these types of claims that you'll see on the local news. Now, Halloween can be a particularly dangerous holiday, but not due to tampered candy. The real notable danger comes from pedestrian deaths. A study published last year in JAMA Pediatrics analyzed data over a 42-year period in the United States and found a 43% higher risk of pedestrian deaths on Halloween night when compared to the week before and after. John Staples, a lead author and clinical assistant professor of medicine and a scientist at University of British Columbia, said that, quote, We found that particularly among kids age 4 to 8, the risk was tenfold higher on Halloween. So yeah, Halloween actually is pretty dangerous, but it's from a car, not from someone sneaking drugs into your kid's candy.
last year before the current rainbow fentanyl scare, the drug-laced trick in your kid's treat was weed-laced candy and snacks, causing quote-unquote THC overdose among children. But shady marijuana pushers package them just for kids, and if stony patch kids are mixed in, it's hard to tell. And unfortunately, the black market is making it, it easy for children to get these products. Ben Salem police confiscated what looks like normal candy during a traffic stop earlier this month. But these sweet tarts, they're medicated. These Sour Patch candies have a twist, and these Cheetos are anything but. All of these items are laced with THC. By laced with THC, they mean the $40 stoner patch dummies are a manufactured weed candy sold in legal weed shops across the country. The fact that these novelty THC products are incredibly expensive and in packaging covered in weed leaves doesn't seem to matter. Um, but yes, I'm sure the black market is super eager to give away tiny $50 bags of weed Doritos to children dressed as the Avengers. All right, now the details on a big warning for parents tonight. Police officers in Ben Salem confiscated these items during a traffic stop. It's candy laced with marijuana. And now police don't want these friendly looking snacks to get into the wrong hands with Halloween coming up. I'm going to quote from Filter Mag, quote, Attorneys general across the country are participating in the annual tradition of urging parents to stand vigilant against free drugs disguised as candy. On October 26th, four state AGs issued such claims, all using the same data and language, which appears to have been generously pre-written for them by the Department of Homeland Security. Ohio, Illinois, Connecticut, and New York, and Arkansas earlier that month, decried the dangers of youth THC overdose, but without hinting at what those dangers might be, except for New York Attorney General Letitia James, who alone of the AGs swung big, saying, New York parents should be on the alert for deceptive cannabis products that look like standard snacks and candy, but contain dangerously high concentrations of THC. These products are especially dangerous for our children. We've seen an increase in accidental overdoses among children nationwide, and it's vital that we do everything we can to protect our children and curb this crisis and prevent any future harm, or even worse, death. Now, that's a stunning claim, uh, even by weed disinformation standards. To date, there's been no confirmed evidence that THC overdose has ever killed anybody, adult or child. So with all of that drug-laced Halloween history, onto the latest rainbow-colored menace in your child's trick-or-treat basket. As Halloween approaches, federal authorities are warning parents about the deadly consequences of fentanyl pills, particularly about the rainbow variety that look like candy. The Drug Enforcement Agency first put out a statement on multicolored, quote-unquote, rainbow fentanyl, near the end of August 2022, claiming during that month that the DEA and law enforcement partners seized brightly colored fentanyl and fentanyl pills in 26 states. And this is how the presence of colored fentanyl was framed in the DEA's initial statement. Quote, This trend appears to be a new method used by Mexican drug cartels to sell highly addictive and potentially deadly fentanyl made to look like candy to children." Unquote. Now, obviously, 
children aren't the biggest consumer base for these drugs since they have no money, have very low tolerance, and are unlikely to be a repeat customer. But that hasn't stopped the DEA from continuously referring to these colored pills as quote-unquote marketing to attract kids, as if there's rainbow fentanyl ads on Nickelodeon or something. It seems the only one marketing rainbow fentanyl is the DEA itself, and now news channels across the country. This is from Good Morning America. A warning, certainly one here that parents need to hear with Halloween coming up. It's about potentially deadly fentanyl pills that look like candy. Obviously, the DEA is an enforcement agency, not a harm reduction agency. And the way they've been talking about fentanyl the past few months has focused more on old war on drugs style propaganda with anti-immigrant drug warriors pushing the fentanyl for kids narrative. The DEA's messaging seems largely targeted to parents and more intended to cause panic than actually work to prevent overdoses. And it distracts from experts that say drug criminalization is what actually increases overdoses, not these quote-unquote candy-colored pills. Mariah Francis, a resource associate with the National Harm Reduction Coalition, says such rhetoric is, quote, an active byproduct of drug policies that prioritize criminalization and political agendas over active harm reduction, unquote. As colored fentanyl can actually serve as an indicator that these pills are not prescription drugs. The other war on drugs style scare tactic being used a lot recently has been promoting heavily publicized drug seizures and making highly exaggerated claims about what the busts mean to the illicit drug supply and public health. Michigan and Ohio, we've seized approximately 4 million deadly doses. Special agent in charge Orville Green says nationwide that number jumps to 36 million deadly doses seized in just four months, and they're in pill and powder form. The source materials coming from China produced by drug cartels in Mexico. Calling them quote-unquote deadly doses? Like, yeah, dude, if you quantify your seizure by an amount that could be potentially deadly, I suppose you could only measure in deadly quantities. <laughs> I, I could do the same thing with, with caffeine. I can go to the store and pick up like 10 bang energy drinks and be, I just got a deadly dose of caffeine. Like, yeah, that's if, if you're measuring it in that way, sure, you can measure it as deadly doses. Plus, in that clip from Fox to Detroit, you can see the anti-China, anti-Mexico angle that they're running with. Now, obviously, places like Fox News has been eating this stuff up. Just during the first half of September, the network mentioned rainbow fentanyl at least 66 times on the air over the previous month, weaponizing the narrative to blame migrants at the border and China for the supposed threat that the drug poses to poor, innocent children. And many of people's most trusted news sources, which are local news outlets, have contributed to the DEA's panic by parroting the agency's statements as pure fact, pushing the claim that rainbow fentanyl is meant to attract kids just at face value, presented without any skepticism, without any fact-checking, or information from independent drug policy experts. Here is a headline from ABC24 in Tennessee, quote, Rainbow fentanyl, the colorful marketing tactic, already in Memphis streets. And this is from a TV channel in Raleigh, North Carolina. DEA warns of so-called rainbow fentanyl putting children at risk. 
and headlines like that have been a dime a dozen the past month, never once bringing up that there's not a single piece of evidence that these pills are being peddled on the playground. This is exactly the kind of behavior from news organizations that leads to misinformation and panics, which distract from actual public health dangers and relatively simple things we can do to combat them. Fox News, many local news stations, and the DEA itself has now joined in the long-standing annual tradition of Halloween candy-based fear-mongering by baselessly claiming that parents should be concerned about fentanyl appearing in their child's Halloween candy. Federal agents with an urgent warning to parents about potentially deadly fentanyl pills that look just like candy. Dubbed Rainbow Fentanyl, authorities are calling it a newly packaged poison as Halloween is around the corner. The idea that people are going to give away free drugs for Halloween, which it just get wild concept. Um, I wish I would I would go out trick or treating more if there was free drugs. But this idea has been boosted by elected leaders and non-DEA government officials. Uh, Florida's Attorney General Ashley Moody did a whole press conference saying, "Quote: Halloween can be very scary." but nowhere near as scary as rainbow-colored fentanyl that looks like candy and can be lethal in minute doses. Whether these drugs are being transported in candy boxes or mixed in with other common drugs and sold to unsuspecting users, the threat posed to the safety of kids and young adults is very real. Just one pill laced with fentanyl can kill, so parents, please talk to your children about the dangers posed by this extremely lethal drug. Halloween could be scary, but not as a Anyway, Senator Rob Portman wrote, quote, We must have all the boots on the ground to interdict deadly rainbow fentanyl as Halloween approaches, which he posted alongside a Fox News story about fentanyl disguised in candy packaging, which is simply a common tactic to smuggle drugs through borders, which is why such packaging is found so often in drug seizures. Now, Nobody is planning to give away free Skittle fentanyl to little Timmy when he comes knocking on doors. And more quote-unquote boots on the ground is exactly what law enforcement wanted when they started this lie. The DEA budget has gone up every year, and so have fentanyl overdoses. But it's the won't-somebody-think-of-the-children angle that's so irresistible to news media. It provides a huge rush to our culture's actual favorite drug— fear for our children. It's the same undercurrent that fuels attacks on drag queens and trans people. Fear for the kids. While a long piece in CNN explicitly said, parents of young children should not overly panic, a WRAL piece cautioned that, quote, we all know how easy it is for children to pass candy around to each other. As if, like, rainbow fentanyl is gonna be shared around like M&Ms at a lunch break or something. Like, <sighs> In one of the more silly things that I found, people running the account for ABC7 Eyewitness News hid over 100 replies pointing out the disinformation in their so-called Eyewitness News story in their tweet that read, quote, Hashtag breaking 12,000 fentanyl pills seized in wrappers of Skittles, Whoppers, Sweet Tarts at LAX sparking renewed Halloween warnings to parents. 
<laughs> so yeah, they, they, they hid over 100 replies to that tweet, basically saying, this is, this is bullshit. You have no idea what you're talking about. This, this story, again, it, it conflates methods of drug trafficking with a longstanding myth of expensive drugs being hidden in cheap Halloween candy. And then, by far the most ridiculous thing that I found, is just because it's kind of absurd and slightly funny, uh, Laura Trump on Fox News did the most ridiculous Rainbow Fentanyl segment that I could find, including spreading the blatant lie that police officers have indeed died by simply touching fentanyl. Yeah, you look at the police officers who, when they just pat people down and they find it, if it touches their fingers, they, they literally go into shock and almost die mm -hmm. from it. Some, I think, have died from it. The, the, the idea that you could have a kid anywhere in America, if, if one child dies from this on Halloween, I got to tell you, we have to take action to stop this right now because parents are terrified and we have no answers. What are we supposed to do? They're going to go trick-or-treating. So, so Democrats ruin Halloween, too. That's right. Man, they really do. They ruin everything. So what you wouldn't know by watching these types of news programs, whether they be Fox News or just regular cable news, is that the colors in these drugs have been added to pills for years. The, the real danger isn't that kids are being given fentanyl-like candy. It's that fentanyl is being pressed into the shapes of other prescription drugs like oxycodone, and people will take a fentanyl pill thinking it's something else and then overdose. And... Throughout many of these news stories, they don't mention uh, Narcan, or if they do, they mention it in the context as saying, like, this school in L.A. now carries Narcan. That's how bad things are getting. Like, they use the presence of Narcan as, like, a bad omen, which means, no, people should just have Narcan everywhere because it's great. Well, more on that later. But these colored pills provide such a compelling visual for anyone with a financial stake in continuing prohibition. In a way, the DEA is right. Rainbow fentanyl is a marketing stunt, but one concocted by the DEA itself as a justification for its own existence, rather than drug sellers marketing their product to kids. Using the escalating demonization of fentanyl to call for increased funding to law enforcement and border patrol, and the need to convince a public acclimating to the idea of fentanyl that actually fentanyl is even scarier than what they once thought. Quoting Filter Mag again, quote, People sell drugs because they are economically motivated to do so. No one except the DEA and its allies is arguing that it's a good business strategy to kill off your adult buyers and give free samples to children, a previously untapped customer base because the fentanyl was never pretty enough and not because children do not have money. The emergence of different colors of pressed pills alongside the traditional blue fentanyl pills won't lure in younger buyers. If anything, it'll help keep newer buyers safe. Unquote. Brightly colored fake pills that are clearly fake are helpful for people being cut off of their prescription and turning to street drugs to remind them that what they're getting is not the oxycodone that they're used to, but something more potent. And for more on what fentanyl actually is, and to kind of get an expert opinion on these topics, I interviewed Ryan Marino. Uh, the resident fentanyl expert who's cited in basically all of these news stories. So after this ad break, you will hear that interview. First, can you uh, introduce yourself? So I'm Ryan Marino. I'm a medical toxicologist, emergency doc, and addiction medicine specialist. So what exactly is fentanyl? What, what's the deal? What's, what, what is 
what is the actual thing? Because people I know have heard a lot about it, but they may, may be unaware, like, what this type of opioid is, how it's different from other things, why it's around. Yeah, and I think most people hear kind of one side of fentanyl. And so fentanyl is a synthetic opioid. So it, it's a lot like heroin, morphine, oxycodone, all those other things. It acts the same way. Uh, the difference is that it is more potent. And because it is fully synthetic, it can be made without the necessity for like large poppy fields, weather, all that stuff. Um, but it's it's very easy to produce. It's used medically all the time. Um, it's like one of the most ubiquitously used medicines and very invaluable uh, for its medical uses. But in the street, um, because of its potency, small amounts can make a huge difference in the dose that people get. And so fentanyl in street drugs has been the main driver behind what people call our opioid overdose epidemic um, and the kind of record breaking overdose deaths that we've had in recent years. I, I would like guess that one of the biggest reasons that people have heard about fentanyl is due to police officers and all of the stories from the past year of police officers spontaneously overdosing by uh, either touching it, getting too close to it, breathing the same air that it's around. Can you overdose by touching fentanyl? You cannot. Um, so there is a patch that's made for the medical fentanyl, so it can absorb through your skin if you try really, really hard. But it, it's incredibly ineffective, even with the best pharmaceutical technology that uh, money could buy. Um, this is still very slow, very ineffective. Touching fentanyl cannot cause an overdose. And the way it exists on the street, um, particularly, you're never going to encounter the form or quantity that you would need to cause an overdose. So these stories are nothing more than um, urban legends and misinformation. How, why are people having these effects then, right? Because there's videos of, of people like fainting and falling over and they're like, this police officer needed to receive Narcan and was rushed to the hospital. Like what, what, what's actually happening there? Because people obviously look like they're experiencing something, but it doesn't really match up with what fentanyl is able to do. So it's a really interesting phenomenon. And if you look at any of these stories, any of these videos, you can very clearly see people having real symptoms. I'm not trying to cast any doubt on that. Um, but what's reported and what's shown is actually the opposite of what fentanyl would do. And so people report feeling very anxious, um, breathing very rapidly, having their heart race, um, all of the things that fentanyl would actually cause the opposite. And so I can only speculate on what's really happening there. But my guess would be that this is some sort of panic reaction related to the fact that people are hearing about this every day, hearing that fentanyl is killing hundreds of thousands of people, hearing that other people have just dropped down from being near it. Um, there's also this related concept called the nocebo effect, which is kind of like the uh, dark side of the placebo effect, if you will. Um, and so basically, it's just that if you believe something so strongly, you can have very negative real symptoms from it. And the way you would treat this would be with a placebo, which in these situations, Narcan is a placebo. So the fact that Narcan works for some of them um, kind of suggests that there is some sort of placebo nocebo effect going on. I know that uh, fentanyl has become more common since the pandemic. Rough, you, I would say, probably starting in California is what most of most of it looks like. In terms of like the whole like opioid epidemic thing, like why has this become such a big problem in the past like three years, uh, specifically like with fentanyl getting into so much of the supply? Well, so fentanyl started getting cut into heroin 
um, particularly on the East Coast, like pretty early on, probably like 10 or more years ago now, and took a while to make its way West. It seemed like California actually had different heroin and particularly like black tar heroin was more prevalent there, which can't be as easily replaced with a powder for anyone who's familiar with heroin. Um, But now, I mean, there is really no like other opioid supplies. So things like heroin are almost impossible to come by just because it doesn't exist in the world. The like oxycodone, oxycontin, all of these pills that people used to sell on the street also just don't exist because they're not being prescribed anymore. Some of them aren't even being manufactured anymore. Um, And so what's left is really when you take away the supply, but you don't address the demand is something's got to fill it. And fentanyl is there. Fentanyl is really easy to make. It's relatively cheap. Um, and simple to produce. And so you can press it into pills that look like oxycodone. You can mix it up into a powder that looks like heroin and gives people similar effects. Um, But because it's so much more potent, which it's like 50 times more potent than heroin. um, So, I mean, if you think just in terms of percentage wise, like a a one or 2% difference could be double the dose when you compare it to something. Um, So that's where the trouble comes in. And then with the rainbow fentanyl angle, the, the DEA has been talking about how rainbow fentanyl is this new thing to market to children. They, they've, they, they've used the word like market a lot, um, being like this is like some advertising job done by big drug to, to, sell, to, to sell to kids. Um, I guess first off, like why would these drugs be pressed into different colors? Like with, 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 with the fentanyl pills being in, you know, the multicolored uh, collections, like what's the actual purpose of that? Well, so that's a great question. And I don't know what to make of whatever the DEA is doing and why they make these announcements because there's, there's no evidence behind it. Um, They have provided no evidence and their own press releases going back years show multiple colors of fentanyl pressed pills. Um, My best guess and in talking to like people who use drugs, people who work in the same space across the country is that pharmaceuticals come in different colors. And so these probably were mostly just to mimic things like oxycodone tabs. Um, also, I mean, dealers like to add their own kind of like mark to things in terms of heroin will come with different like stamps on the bag. So probably something similar there. But also, I mean, people just tend to like things that are, are colored more than like a, a grainy beige pill. Um, if, if it comes with like a, a pink or a green on it, it's going to be more desirable. But there's no evidence whatsoever that this is intentionally marketed towards children. Um, children are not good clients for, for drug dealers. These are just things that adults want. Uh, the American adults are the ones buying these drugs. I guess, can you speak more on how the DEA's rhetorics around this thing specifically it's been like escalating the past few months leading up to halloween right there's been a lot of heavily publicized seizures saying like we seized enough fentanyl to kill 500 million people or something like they're like they they frame it in this really like uh bombastic way and then you're you're, there's a lot of stuff uh, talking about how it's it's being hidden in like candy boxes and they're going to be giving it out on Halloween to your kids. And like, what is the DEA doing? Like what, what's their incentive for talking about it in this way? And obviously I, you, I can't like ask you like, what, what, what is the DEA doing, Ryan? Why are they doing this? <laughs> but like from your perspective, like how, like this rhetoric doesn't seem very helpful in terms of actually pre- preventing overdoses. It seems to be kind of just fear mongering. 
Um, and specifically with stuff like 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 uh, like with the uh, drugs being hidden inside candy boxes, there's reasons for why people might do that to smuggle them. But with all of the rhetoric that the DEA has been been pushing, like, is it like actually dangerous the way that they've been talking about it in terms of like, it's not it's not talking about harm reduction. It's not talking about ways to actually help. It's just like scaring parents, it seems. Yeah, I mean, I think the DEA is solely a law enforcement agency. There is no one there involved in the treatment of addiction in terms of like addiction science, chemistry, no one there who is like a, a former drug user even. Um, so their motives are always suspect to me. And I think with this rainbow fentanyl press release, uh, they put it out, there was no evidence behind it that none of it made any sense. Um, the term rainbow fentanyl wasn't even searchable before August of 2022 when the DEA made this announcement, which is is kind of crazy to think about. Um, and then within six weeks of that announcement, U.S. Congress has pledged to give them hundreds of millions more dollars to, quote unquote, fight rainbow fentanyl, which is, again, a thing that does not exist. Um, and I mean, looking back, the DEA budget has gone up year on year, hundreds of percent since like the 1980s, but even within the context of our opioid overdose crisis has gone up year on year for all of the past, I don't know, however many years you want to look at it, their department size grows every year uh, and overdose deaths go up every year. So whatever they're doing is obviously not working. Um, and like you said, I mean, they particularly ignore uh, and distract from things like harm reduction from real evidence-based measures and kind of public health investments that we could be making. And when it comes to hundreds of millions of dollars extra being thrown at the DEA for rainbow fentanyl, we think back to, what was it just like last winter uh, when the current administration set aside, I think, $30 million towards harm reduction being the first time the federal government has put aside dedicated money for harm reduction. And that created its own kind of like moral panic backlash as well. Um, but $30 million was the first and only federal investment in harm reduction. And yet $300 million can be drummed up at the drop of a hat for an invented uh, crisis. So it does really kind of beg the question of like, what are we doing here? And why are we continuing to do things that don't work? What do you wish people knew that would help them maybe combat some of the misinformation that gets peddled by like lots of like local TV stations are very quick to cover these types of stories, very quick to cover the stories of like your local cop just almost died at the school by getting within five feet of a fentanyl vaporizer or something like like <laughs> what what do you wish people knew to help like combat this type of stuff? I mean, it seems like common sense is just not common when it comes to drug topics. If the police were saying that people were giving out guns for Halloween, if they were saying that they found uranium or plutonium in a car and four officers went down, that would require serious consideration and fact checking before it ever was reported on or accepted. And so, I mean, I think when it comes to this idea that someone was in a car with a bag of fentanyl and nobody in the car was affected, but the officers outside the car all went down, um, like just basic kind of critical thinking or applying any lens of skepticism, I mean, makes all of these narratives fall apart. So that would be, I mean, my biggest ask in people watching these stories. Uh, I feel like 
the onus of responsibility really should be on the ones who are reporting it, not to just necessarily take the words of law enforcement as authority on every subject, especially when they do not have the background to be authorities on how things like fentanyl work. Before we close out, I would like to talk a little bit about Narcan, um, like what it is, what it does, and where people can get it. So Narcan is amazing. I cannot say enough positive things about Narcan. I mean, I'm not like a, a religious person or anything, but if miracles were to exist, <laughs> Narcan is literally a miracle. Um, and especially if anyone has ever seen it in action. But so what it is for people who don't know, Narcan is the brand name nasal spray of naloxone, which is the antidote or the reversal agent for anyone experiencing an opioid overdose, including fentanyl. And there are no opioids that Narcan does not work on. It isn't going to reverse every situation, certainly, um, but it is a, a perfect antidote, so to speak, or as close to one as we have ever had. Um, and so, I mean, if you are worried about someone experiencing an overdose, it's something that you can carry or have nearby and anyone can give it. It was the nasal spray was actually designed with taxpayer dollars, interestingly enough, um, so that an untrained child could administer it. And so it's very easy to use. It's very easy to obtain for the most part. Nowadays, it's available in, I think, almost every state without a prescription. You can just go to your pharmacy and ask for it. Um, if you can't get it from like your local health department or another harm reduction organization, but I have it in my car in every work bag I have, um, I take it with me when I travel, it's something that people can carry and really makes a big difference. And obviously you don't want to experience or come across someone having an overdose, but it's much better to have with you, um, if you need it, than to be unprepared and have to kind of deal with the consequences. And I think this far into this like opioid overdose crisis that the United States and now most of the world has been experiencing. Most people can probably think of someone who they know who they've lost to overdose or, or similar situation. Um, and you don't want to kind of be stuck regretting it later. Well, thank you so much. Um, where can people find you on the internet? So I'm mostly just on Twitter at Ryan Marino, just my name, one word. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about the the latest scourge hiding inside your kid's Halloween basket. Um, Thanks, Garrison. So with that, that does it for us today here at It Could Happen Here. Um, have fun trick-or-treating. Um, if you have any drugs, uh, good for you. I'm happy you got those for free. Watch out for cars. Uh, those are actually dangerous. And uh, thanks, to, thanks to everybody who attended the recent It Could Happen Here live stream. Uh, thank you so much for coming. I hope to get through more questions, but we went a little long because there were so many people. But I, I, will, I will answer two more questions here. Did you know that the latest My Little Pony movie has a literal xenophobic fascist dictator as an antagonist? No, I did not know that, but it's not surprising based on what I know about the recent My Little Pony media. And then um, what do you think is the most important thing somebody can have for a disaster? or chaos preparedness. My personal answer to that would probably be uh, friends. F friends are really useful. Um, books on how to like make stuff and like how to like, you know, basically like survival books because you don't want to count on having the internet. And then I don't know, like water, water filters, water purification tablets. Those would be, those would be my picks. But I hope everyone has a happy, happy Halloween. And that does it here for It Could Happen Here, closing out our latest spooky week. Ooh. <laughs>
Hey, we'll be back Monday with more episodes every week from now until the heat death of the universe. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.